Yes, the other day I was checking out the girlies and the schmucks and the toupees. It was time to get busy. It started getting dark, so we busted out the door onto the sidewalk, walking back to the hotel from the bagel shop. It was so damn humid, it was on us like a mop. I was sweating like a mule. I was frying like a blitz. I was swimming in my shorts. If you get the hint. Chilling out front, working up an appetite, thinking about lunch. Motivating on the beach, hanging out by Wolfies, thinking about Pumpernicks or maybe even Schultzies. I'll have a corned beef or a quarter pound of brisket. Ah, the salmon didn't look so hot. I didn't wanna risk it. Belching by the window, I was getting kinda hot. I felt just like a brisket that was boiling in a pot. Doesn't Myrtle have air conditioning? Myrtle, you mean octogenarian mutant ninja Myrtle? That's the girl, <laughs> Myrtle. Let's go, let's go, let's say, Myrtle. Let's say we walk over there. What? No, what? What? Are you crazy? Uh, 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 let's say we take a bus. Uh, we take a bus. Okay, let's go. Let's go somewhere. I'm flying like a blitz. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. That was not two live crew. That was two live Jews from about 25 years ago. Oi, it's so humid. Anyway, we were gone last week. We weren't intending to be gone last week. There wasn't a good reason. It just kind of kept delaying one day, delaying one day for different little reasons. One of the reasons was that my sleeping schedule got messed up in that it became too normal. I was getting up at like 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m. A lot of people get up at that time, but that's not a good time to get up when your radio show is around 8.30 or 9 and you do it for about six or seven hours. So every time that I would get up at that time, by the time we'd get close to when radio would normally start, I would feel exhausted, and just the thought of doing a six-hour show or more was very, very unappealing, and I knew I would just be going through the motions and wouldn't be doing a good show. So every day that was happening, I was delaying one more day, and then I finally got myself on the correct sleeping schedule to do this show, only to have Benjamin's mom be too tired that night to be able to watch him, so I wasn't able to do it that night. And by then, I said, you know what, it's, it's already Tuesday. Let's just wait till Friday and just skip a week. So that's what we did. It wasn't a full week skipped because uh, we're back on Friday. I think we were last on Sunday, but it's been a while. And I know some of you were waiting for the show and were disappointed it didn't appear. I got some complaints. I had some requests for refunds, and I will give them. So anything you paid for the last episode – not only will I refund your money, I will refund your money double. So get in contact with me, 775-372-8355. You can text me or call me, and I will provide that refund to you. We have a free roll tonight. Speaking of refunds, it is, uh, I think it's $50. I, I actually set it up a few days ago, and I, I kind of forgot. Let me go look what it is. 
I think it's fifty bucks though. That's what I think it is. Uh, yes, it is fifty dollars. Twenty-five for first, fifteen for second, ten for third. Twenty-five, ten, and fifteen. All of the money came from J N G, J A Y E N G I. He's a radio listener who contacted me recently and said he'd like to donate. I hadn't heard from him before, but uh, I appreciated that, and he sent $50 to me, so it is his $50 that's being used this week for the free roll. The free roll started at 9.15, but you can still get in there. There's not that much more time, but you have nine minutes, which is quite some time to be able to lock into the No Fraud Online poker room where it takes place and quickly register for the tournament and get in there with a full stack. If you don't have an account yet, it doesn't matter how much time you have because you will not be able to get in because it needs to be validated and be in good standing in order to play. So what you need to do if you don't have an account there yet is go to the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen at PokerFraudAlert.com, make a separate account on the Poker Room, and then contact Belly Buster, that's Belly Space Buster, through the forum. Or you can contact me if he is not responsive and your account needs to be validated. And it needs to be validated because we need to know that you are legit and that you qualify for the free roll. And to understand how to qualify for the free roll, go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, and it will explain everything. I can pay you, if you win, by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by Bitcoin, or by other methods, maybe a service that has been around to pay for things on the internet for about 20 years. I can pay you that way. And also a similar service that's newer than that. So there's a lot of ways I can pay you. A lot of ways I can pay you. And you just need to either email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, or preferred that you message me on the forum, Dan Space Druff, if you win. Or you can text me, 775-372-8355. But keep in mind, I do sometimes take a few weeks to pay you, not because I'm broke, but just because it's a pain in the ass and I'd kind of do them all in a batch. So if I don't pay you right away, don't panic. I will get to you. I go through the list. We post the list of the winners so you can see who won. You can see who got paid. I I make sure that's all very transparent because a few years ago, some people said, aha, we have figured it out. There is an insidious plan to hold free rolls using other people's money and then not pay those who don't come forward and claim it, and then you keep it for yourself in your own Jew wallet, and you make a lot of money that way. And I said, well, you bring up a good point that this may have happened, but it's not intentional, and it's not very much money. So to make up for that happening, I donated $400 of my own to the future free rolls, and I also promised full transparency of every winner and the accounting of everybody, whether they've been paid or not. And then if they don't get paid, sometime around between 6 and 12 months, we give the money back into the prize pool, which I've done a few times. So there you go. I don't want to keep the free roll money. I want it to go to you guys. And if people don't claim it, then it goes back in the pool. We have that all solved now. But even before that, it was not intentional and it was not very much money. I lose money on this side. I have lost money overall on Poker Fraud Alert. There's no question. So, I'll give you the rest of the information, then we'll get Trey Ruski on, then we will do the agenda. Vintage One said he might come on tonight. I gave him very short notice, so if he doesn't, it's definitely not his fault, but he may come on tonight, and I, I hope to hear from him again. 
since he has been off the show for a few weeks due to the uh, family uh, death that he had, which was uh, very unfortunate. So uh, I do hope he comes back tonight, but if he doesn't, I'll understand. All right, let's just let's just take a call here. Let's see who this is. Call, you're on the air. Uh, yes, hello, Drew. Hi. Um, I'm glad you uh, took care of the free roll money, but uh, the issue still stands that my uh, donation thread has not garnered much attention, and well, I will want to know what you're planning on doing about it. Well, I allowed you to make the thread. I didn't interfere with it. I mean, if people want to donate, they want to donate, and if they don't, they don't. What can I do about that? Uh, but maybe if you took the lead and you, you know, set an example and you maybe might be the first person to actually, you know, uh, contribute, then maybe others would, 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 uh, soon follow. Wait a minute. You you think I should give money to it? I'm another Jew. Why would I do that? Right, right. But, but, you know, it's like, it's like how, you know, the Black Lives Matter, you know, the, the, you know, you got to support your own community. This is one way you could support within your own community as well. What the gay community? That's not my community. Yeah. So, so <laughs> that, that that's just it's just a just an idea. Um, you know, uh, with everything that's going on, you know, everyone is everyone is generating revenue except one step, and okay. that's the problem. Well, here's a question: Are you still planning to go to Vegas? Well, no. the The concert is not happening. The festival is not happening. So. Um, so I'm not going to be uh, in Vegas uh, anytime soon. So what's the what is the what is the fund for then? If you're not going to be traveling to Vegas, what are people donating for? I I will be traveling elsewhere, and you know, Druff, there are twinks all over this great land that uh, need to get fucked, and I am volunteering to do so. Okay, well that's very generous of you, but I think you need to be more explicit with your plans in, in this thread. Explain now that you're not going to Vegas what you're going to do, where you're going to go, and and what you plan to do when you're there. I, I don't necessarily think that that would generate the, the revenue or any revenue that, that I'm you know expecting you know from, from this community. Okay, well, I don't know what I can do, but I, I've, I've done all I can other than give money myself, which I, I can't bring myself to do. But do you, if others would like to donate, I, they can. I, maybe you should bump the thread. Maybe that's what you should do. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, Todd. That's, that's um, all I can do. I appreciate you... I appreciate you taking the call, and uh, best of luck. Okay, thank you, One Step. All right, that's One Step, still trying to get money for his trip. That's not even what he first pitched it to be. That's What, what does he expect there? He's got to be very clear with how he's going to spend the money and what he's looking for and why he's looking for it. He can't just expect that the trip changes and nobody knows what he's going to do and they're still going to send him money. That just doesn't make any sense to me. All right, so... I don't even remember where I was. Let me try to get back to where I thought I was. You can call the show at any time, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. It's also the same number to text, 775-372-8355. You can text me before, after, or during the show, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I will respond to you in all likelihood. You can also listen to the show through the call to listen line. The call to listen line is a phone number you just call and listen. It does not require a smartphone, does not require an app or a data plan, does not require a computer or the internet. No, 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 no. It's much simpler than that. You just call up a phone number and listen. 
605-313-0736. Someone reported to me they tried to call that number and they got someone answering the phone. I don't know how that happened. It's possible that the person who's in South Dakota that is uh, having this run out of uh, the location where they are, maybe uh, they answered the phone. They shouldn't have. I'll have to talk to them about that, but that should not have happened. But usually it won't happen. If someone does answer the phone there, go ahead and talk to them and say, hey, why are you answering the poker fraud alert call to listen line? And see what they say back. Seriously, do that and tell me what they say. I'm very curious. 605-313-0736. You can call the alternate call to listen number, 641-741-1095. It never buffers. It never freezes. It just works. Okay. You can call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary phone which sits on top of Mount Charleston and forwards to me wherever I go. It's kind of like calling the main phone number, except it's just a different line into the show. 702-430-1808 is that number. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston phone number. Mount Charleston is a mountain about 45 minutes away by car from Las Vegas. Nice and cool there. It's not 113 degrees like it is in Vegas these days. It is about 30 degrees cooler than it is in Vegas at all time. Not always 30, but around 30. It's a nice place to go in the summer. I recommend it. All right. The free roll is too late now. 9.41. The clock has struck at 9.40. That's it. Those who are in are in. And I would say good luck to everybody, but that makes no sense. Because everybody can't have good luck in a tournament. It is not possible. It is absolutely impossible if you think about it. That's why I hate good luck all in poker. You can say good luck all in blackjack. In blackjack, the entire table can win. In poker, the t- entire table cannot win, ever. Best the entire table can do is tie. And then they still lose because of the rake. There's just no keeping everyone happy in poker. In poker, with every dream that comes true, another dream is shattered. And that's sad and depressing, but that's the truth about poker. Think about it. Whenever you have a good night, someone else is having a bad night. Every time you walk away from the table happy, someone else walks away from the table pissed off. It's impossible for otherwise to occur unless you hit like a bad beat jackpot. That's the only way that everybody can walk away a winner. But short of that, if you walk away a winner, then somebody has to walk away a loser. Think about that. It's sobering. I sometimes think about that when I have a good night and I go, oh, sweet, I won money. It kind of just feels like free money. You know, it just kind of feels like money's in my pocket now that wasn't before. And I go, wait a minute. But where did that come from? It came from other people who are upset right now. And it's my fault. Okay, let's get Trader Ruski on here and we'll see if we can find Vintage One. And uh, we will get going with this show because we have a lot to talk about because it's been over a week. I think I, Trader Ruski, he's just always here for us. Trader Ruski's just, just a loyal co-host. Just every week, he makes sure to be here. What's happening, Druff? Trader Ruski, nice to hear you again. I know that uh, we just didn't really have the show last week, and that was kind of disappointing, but I'm back. And uh, Vintage One has even said he might come on. Yeah, I kind of dropped short notice on him, but he has some interest in returning tonight if he can make it. So we'll see with him, but I'm, I'm glad you're here. And we, we're going to get going with, with all of our uh, exciting topics of the evening. Perfect. All righty. So 
Okay, let's talk about Ken Strauss. Remember him from last year? Remember him from the main event of the World Series? You remember that, Trader Ruski? The guy goes all in, stands up on the table, and pulls his pants down. He's all in That was such a weird main event last year. You have a guy pulling his pants down and throwing shoes at the table at the main event, actually exposing his penis at the main event. You, you had a guy showing up uh, carrying around... Uh, a woman's panties or something and showing them to people. And then uh, that, that guy got, got forgotten about because of the, the guy showing his dick. And then you have an earthquake that not only wakes everyone up a little bit early on one of the days, but then the next day, a bigger earthquake that drives everyone running out of the room. <laughs> it was a weird main event. And then on the bubble, they, they, they don't know what's going on. They, they refuse to go hand for hand, even though everyone's begging for it. All the tables start stalling, and then they accidentally lose track of who the actual bubble boy was. So someone busted and thought they were out and didn't get pay- and weren't going to get paid and just walked off when they were really owed uh, a min cash. That was very embarrassing. Fortunately for them, it was a known player it happened to. They found him on camera. They're like, oh, I know that guy, and they found him and they paid him. But that, that was very embarrassing, too. So a lot of weird things happen. Another weird thing happened is that I actually got uh, to 128th place that year and cashed 59K. That was another weird thing. So, all right, let's let's uh, let's go on to talk about the guy that Trader Ruski mentioned. That would be one Ken Strauss, who was known for pulling down his pants at the main event on day one and throwing shoes at the table. He was also going all in and showing his hand. Do you remember that weird part of the story, too? It wasn't just that he pulled his pants down and showed his penis, but also that uh, he went all in with some trash hand, like like Queen 3 offsuit. And then uh, this is at the first stage of the main event, like the first level. So that was actually kind of a tough one, is that the the guy goes all in, and you can see his hand, and this is in a very slow event where it's a, a mistake to put a lot of chips in early. But you can see you'll have a big edge on him if you've got a better hand. But in, in Texas Hold'em, of course, there, other than something like, like ace-king against aces, there's no way you can have a tremendous edge where there's like very low chance you're going to lose pre-flop. You can, you can have a, a fairly big edge, but like, like even like aces over fours – you're, you're only like 80-20 to win. And and uh, the, the question becomes when – it's not like the main event where you can't rebuy or anything. When someone shows what they have and go all in uh, and it's some trash hand, what do you have that you're going to want to call him with? You're not going to want to like, call with like a 60-40 chance to win. It's just not worth it there. But how good does your hand have to be? So that was an interesting thing that happened too. And I think the guy had something like uh, like queen three offsuit or queen five offsuit. And then oddly enough, it came back to someone who had uh, – like the big blind had something like uh, – well, here, here's what it was. it was. It was queen three offsuit. I just found it. Queen three offsuit. He went all in and showed it. He also did this out of turn by the way and the floor man was called. So – out of turn, when it wasn't even his turn to act, he just turned over his cards and went all in in the first level of the main event, which is super deep and slow. 
So he went all in out of turn with point three offsuit. The floor man ruled that his all in would be reverted unless there was action before him. But here's going to be the weirdest part. Seeing this already happened, a player who was supposed to act before him but didn't get a chance to, but now could do it again, then limped. Well, that was a really suspicious limp because uh, that makes it look like he's trying to induce this guy to do it again. Like, for example, maybe the other player has pocket queens, which is totally crushing queen three offsuit and doesn't want to scare him off. So this terrified everybody else. So he limped. People folded. And uh, and then it, it goes to the – so then uh, Ken Strauss goes all in. And it goes back to the big blind who had pocket fives. So the big blind was tanking a while. Like, like Trader Risky, would you do this in the main event? Would you take a chance with fives against queen three offsuit uh, to double I your chance? I think I wouldn't have to. I just think I can't not call. Yeah, I mean, that is a tough spot because fives, is, is, it's, it's a pr- pretty – Good favorite against queen three offsuit. It's not a crushing favorite. It's a pretty good favorite. It is nice to double up, but then again, you are knocking yourself out of the main event, which you can play once a year. That's a good event that has a lot of amateurs in it, and that it's a big mistake to put chips in in, in spots where you don't really have the opponent crushed. So uh, the, the five sat there thinking for a long time, but then the fives looked over at that limper and said, oh, no. You know, I would totally do this, but that limper, he's trapping. And so I, I, I agree. I agree with that guy folding because of that limper. So he folded, yeah. thinking the limper is pulling a trick here. And then it goes back to the limper who folded. Didn't he fold like queen nine or something? No, he folded ace three. Ace three at clubs. So he had him crushed. Oh, ace three. Right. Ace three against queen three. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so nobody know. understood why, why limp knowing the guy's going to go all in and you're going to fold anyway when it comes back to you with nobody else in the hand. The, the limping would make more sense if uh, you wanted to see if there's anybody further to act that could crush. Like you don't want to go all in. You don't want to go in with the ace, ace three, and have him go all in, and have somebody else go all in and say, "Screw it, ace three's crushed now." But once it goes back to you, which is you and him, why would you ever do that? Nobody can understand why the limper did this, other than that he just changed his mind. But Strauss actually won the hand. However, right after that hand, he was disqualified for the uh, because dur- while he was waiting for the various people to act here that's when he pulled down his pants that's when he showed his penis that's when he threw his shoes at the dealer so the floor man came over and uh, disqualified it and uh, that was that now he was not arrested it's not even clear if he was banned from the rio but he was out of the tournament and remember he paid ten thousand bucks to enter <laughs> that's a, not a very smart use of ten thousand dollars so then he went over to other properties and caused trouble. He got up on a uh, on a table at the Luxor, like a craps table. The craps or some table like that, I think craps. And uh, he it was a closed table. It wasn't a table that was operating. And he started shouting, "Yeah, yeah, yeah!" And then he pulled down his pants again. And there's a video of that. And they arrest uh, they I don't they didn't arrest him. They walked him away. And booted him out. Somehow he was avoiding arrest. I don't know how. But they took him away. Security did. And then finally uh, he started returning to properties where he was banned from. And he was getting arrested for that. And then he did. He made the big mistake. And see, he started tweeting really erratically after that. 
just tweeting crazy things. And one of the things he tweeted was that uh, the Bellagio, or not the Bellagio, the, the, any casino that has him banned will be destroyed effective immediately. So that was taken as a terrorist threat, and he was arrested at that point. And then he was in jail for at least a few months. But he was in jail because he was considered incompetent to stand trial for any of this. They didn't quite know what to do with him. They were doing psychological evaluations. It was uh, they, they kept letting him in and out of jail for the first like uh, week of this until finally uh, putting him away. So the, the order of events after the thing of the World Series, which happened in early July – that he he uh, he was going in and out of jail, but then uh, he got charged with trespassing on uh, July 27th. He got charged with making terrorist threats over that tweet, also on July 27th. Somehow they dismissed the trespassing charge, and somehow he got released after that tweet, despite talking about how he's going to destroy casinos. Then he went right back and did something else on July 31st. He trespassed again and, quote, engaged in lewd conduct in a public place, probably showing his penis again on July 31st. And then he was arrested again, and that was that. I'm assuming he was out on bail from the first event, from from the first thing he did on the 27th. Not the first thing, but the, like, whatever he did on the 27th between the trespassing and the, the terrorist threats on Twitter, he was probably out on bail for that, and then violated being out when he uh, did whatever he did on the 31st. So then he was in jail for a few months, at least, after that. And uh, they were trying to figure out what to do with him. He was ordered to uh, be held on $150,000 bail on one count of making threats or conveying false information concerning an act of terrorism. And they uh, so that, that was what was going on for a while. Uh, another weird thing that happened that came out is that uh, I think this is on July 31st. He tried to lure an eight year old boy up to his room claiming that he knew the boy's parents. Now this sounds really, really bad of course, but it's believed that this wasn't for molestation, that this was actually him just being crazy and he believed he was rescuing the boy or something. So uh, the the guy was just totally nuts. I I don't even think he's going to molest the kid. I really just think he was crazy. Uh, So he was, found incompetent to stand trial in October and he was being forced into a psych hospital and that was the last we heard and he was sent to a mental health facility near Reno Uh, in March his Twitter changed to private and there were some theories that that means he's out, because otherwise, how is he accessing Twitter? We didn't think he had access to Twitter for the mental hospital. But we found out uh, yesterday that he was given two years probation, ordered to stay out of Clark County, which is where Las Vegas is located, and not to have any contact with Las Vegas casinos during his two-year probation. He was also told he must undergo mental health treatment as well. So that's what ended up happening. And I'm not sure what was going on in March, because I think this is all recent regarding him being uh, released on, on probation. Uh, but this was just reported in the Las Vegas Review Journal yesterday. 
It said Kent Strauss, 46, who spent months behind bars before he was found competent enough to understand the charges against him, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to make a threat or convey false information concerning an act of terrorism, weapons of mass destruction, legal lethal agents or toxins, and malicious destruction of property. Both charges are gross misdemeanors. Under a deal with prosecutors, Strauss, who lives out of state, must undergo mental health treatment, not visit Clark County or have any contact with Las Vegas casinos for the two years while he's on probation. And uh, I, I guess this happened recently. He was released from custody and he appeared via video conference for his sentencing. And he said, I'm very sorry for what happened. I'm just going to continue focusing on my mental health improving. He was married at the time and had kids. I I think the, I think his kid was an adult, but uh, yeah, I I don't know if he's still married. I, I don't know what the deal is. And nobody knows why he cracked like this. He played a World Series event a few weeks before this meltdown occurred, and I don't know how he behaved, but I do know that he cashed. So he obviously behaved normally enough not to get kicked out of that one. He lasted for, what, two days or whatever it took to cash there. So if if he was mentally competent enough to cash in an event, how do you go from that to buying into the main event and within the first hour you're exposing your hand and going all in with queen three offsuit and uh pulling down your pants and showing your penis like how how do you go from that to uh or how do you get there from from for you were able to cash in an event a few weeks before maybe his um maybe his meds were off or something yeah it could be uh there was definitely something that happened to him though i mean just Something happened in that time period, and he was just completely nuts. And on his Twitter, he was writing he, – he had a, an obsession with some woman who was like a, a sports journalist, and he kept uh, writing about her. And at one point, he claimed that she was actually his daughter. Just weird stuff he was making up. They, not just his daughter, that she was his 13-year-old daughter, he was saying. that This woman was like in her late 20s. Just, just absurd stuff he was tweeting out. And I don't think it was for attention. I think he was – like hallucinating these things were true. So I, I I saw there was a criticism on Twitter that it's an indication that our mental health system had issues if he was being released and told to get his own help. But for that to be true, it would mean that uh, he couldn't afford it. And he very well could have afforded it because a look at his Twitter before all this happened, he was traveling all over the country and going to different stadiums. He was a big sports fan. And he was traveling, like, I think he had pictures of tons of different stadiums he went to uh, around the country. So you can't do that unless you have some money. The The average working person can't afford to take that type of time off or spend that much money to go around the country for a long period of time and visit all those stadiums. And he had $10,000 to enter the main event. So I, I, it's very possible the guy has some money and can afford his own mental health treatment. So they basically just said, okay, well, go back home to Pittsburgh, which is where he's from. Don't come back to Vegas, at least for two years, and get mental health treatment. And goodbye. That makes sense if you can afford it. If he's, if he's just some homeless guy, I understand what you – like there's some people who cannot – seek the mental health treatment on their own 
unless the state provides it for them. And to then just throw that person out and say goodbye, deal with your own issues, I can understand the criticism there. But if it's if it's someone who has the money to get their own treatment back in their home state, then I don't see a problem with that. And they are mandating he gets the treatment. They're not just saying, okay, well, goodbye, do what you want. They were That's one element of the probation, that he has to show proof that he's getting treatment, which he definitely needs. So hopefully he'll be okay. Uh, this was, this really did seem like mental illness. It was weird. It was something you didn't expect at the World Series of Poker, but uh, <laughs> it happened. And then it happened at other places in Vegas. It was weird how he was able to do so much for like the whole month of July 2019 without being like completely banned from all casinos everywhere and or arrested. Like why it took until July 31st to arrest him and not let him out, I don't know. Like they they should have grabbed him on the date this occurred on July 5th and evaluated his mental health and figured out that he was crazy and not let him back out until they found something to do with him. The fact that he kept getting let out was the problem to where he even got as far as it did. That's what shocked me. Like when someone pulls their pants down in the main event in the first hour after paying 10k for it, and then they go do the same thing in a different setting at the Luxor. At that point, you really, really have to look at that person's mental health and look carefully. Because fortunately, this guy didn't hurt anybody. Fortunately, he was just acting crazy and tweeted a, a threat about casinos. But fortunately, nobody was actually harmed. But not all mentally ill people are that peaceful. <laughs> there's, there's some that actually will harm people. Some will harm people not even understanding what they're doing if they're that far gone. Fortunately, whatever was going on in his head, it wasn't causing him to hurt anybody. But that's that's why you get the mentally ill off the street, not just to protect them from themselves, but to protect other people from them. So the fact that he was able to run around Vegas for a month doing crazy thing after crazy thing, getting arrested over and over, and it took that long until July 31st to finally put him away, that that's the fault they have with the justice system there. They should have held him weeks before that and checked on what was going on with him. I I think if you had any kind of lengthy or semi-lengthy conversation with him on the day that he was pulling his pants down, I think it would have been very clear that the guy was nuts. And at that point, you hold him. Like, I don't understand why you don't ask him, okay, why did you do this? Why did you pay $10,000 to enter the main event of the World Series and then throw your shoes and pull your pants down as you go all, all in with a trash hand? Like, what? What was the purpose of that? And then what, what was the purpose of going to Luxor and getting on the table and pulling down your pants? Why did you do this? And if the person can't coherently answer why they did that, you need to put them on a mental health hold and evaluate them. And from the tweets that followed after this, it was clear the guy was just totally off. So someone screwed up there. Someone screwed up big time. He should not have been out in July. As I said, fortunately, nobody got hurt. But someone could have. He could have gone postal, right? One of the casinos. Yeah, he could have. I mean, it's, it, it was, and then the weird thing is they let him back out. Remember, he was let back out on the twenty seventh after tweeting he's going to destroy casinos. How does that happen? Imagine if he did something; the, the liability would have been brutal. Yeah, oh yeah, it's crazy. They, they would have been sued. The city would have been sued big time for this because four days later they had to rearrest him. Like, how much does the guy have to do to prove he's crazy? <laughs> So they got lucky on that one. Instead of it being just an amusing story like it is, it could have been a tragedy. 
But fortunately, the guy was not violent. So they got to be careful. You got to be careful with those who are demonstrating mental illness. And you'd think that they would be more sensitive about this after what had happened. I'm sure that Stephen Paddock was mentally ill in some way. Probably in a different way. I think Stephen Paddock, he was very meticulous in his planning. He knew exactly what he was doing. But a normal person, a normal person cannot go to the uh, a high floor of the Mandalay Bay and and plan to bring uh, massive weaponry in there and, and try to kill thousands of people. Uh, that's that's something a normal person could even bring themselves to do. There, there's something psychotic about that guy. So there's. I know, and just like the, you know, just like he had so much time to change his mind as he's doing all those things. It's just crazy. Yeah, it, it was it was insane, but yeah, you got to you got to watch out for the people who are not right in the head. Yeah, they can do uh, very bad things. Sometimes they will, sometimes they yeah. won't. But yeah, when you see that happening, you've, you've got to put a stop to it and evaluate them for for society's sake. And, and I know. So vote in November. Just kidding. I'm not mentioning <laughs> Trump anymore. <laughs> Actually, you know, there, I'll tell you. For many decades now, there has been insufficient uh, mental health uh, assistance for those who need it in this country. That is an area that needs reform, and it's pretty widely agreed that this needs reform, and somehow it just doesn't happen. It's not even like it's a hot-button issue where one side's against it and one side's for it. Like, it, it gets brought up and then everyone's kind of like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we kind of need to fix that. Yeah. And then it doesn't get fixed. It's it's one of those strange things that there's not a lot of objection to reforming, but it doesn't get reformed. So I, I don't understand that. But it, it needs to be reformed. The, in this case, sending him back home to get help if he can afford it is fine, but... It does need reform in general. There's a lot of people who don't get the help they need or don't get enough help, and then very bad things can happen as a result of that. And and there's even some people who, if they get the right help, can go back to normal. It's not just about getting them off the street. There are some who can actually get the medication they need and get the psychological counseling they need, and then they can actually be brought to normal and live a normal life out. And that's also important to save some of these people who can be saved. Some are not irreparably crazy. Some are only uh, crazy as long as they're not medicated. And then you get them on the right medication and then they're fine. I, I got to experience two years ago what happens when something in your brain changes. I wasn't crazy. I was able to coherently reason things and coherently speak to people. But there was, there was a, a change in my brain I couldn't help or couldn't control. I got to feel it. So that's uh, I, I got a a view in some ways of what that's like. All right, uh, let's talk about some things that happened at the uh, WSOP.com online bracelet series. Uh, something happened actually the night of radio, which now has been almost two weeks away. So it's going to sound like an old story, but it's the first time we get to talk about it. And that's the Mike Matisau meltdown. I was hoping we were going to have Mike Matisau on the show to talk about that meltdown and talk about some other stuff too, but I don't know what happened. Uh, Mike Matisau sent me a really long response on Twitter where as I sent him a private message on Twitter. I lost his phone number is the problem. I had his phone number. I lost it. I said, I'll message him on Twitter. 
And then if he doesn't answer, I'll, I'll text. I'll get his phone number from somebody else who has it. And uh, because remember, I had it before, so I'm not like intruding on him. I had his number before. I just lost it. But I, I would. Uh, I figured I'd get his number and text him. But he responded to my message asking if he'd like to come on the show. And he sent me a long message, starting off with "Love to Todd," and then he went on this whole thing about the slow roll, and which we'll explain in a second. He like he went through this long thing. It was a very long response. It wasn't even like he's just trying to dismiss it. Like, oh, yeah, I love to, Todd, sure. And then just never respond to me again. He like he typed a whole book to me in response. So it looked like it's going to come on. And I, I looked forward to it. And then after that, he didn't respond to me. And I have no idea why. Real, really weird. I can't even imagine someone, like, got to him and convinced him not to because he's not that type. Like, he doesn't give a crap what people think. He would... Even if someone contacted him and said, oh, this Todd's an asshole, he, should, for, he knows me anyway. Like, not really well, but he knows me anyway. It's not like I'm, I'm not some unknown to him. But I, I can't imagine anything someone would say to him that, that could convince him not to come on. I, I have no idea why he's not responding once he said. And the, the last thing he said was, uh, love you, buddy. Be, be more than happy to come on your show. That, that's actually what he wrote on July 9th. And then eight days have passed. I have not been able to reach him. So... I have a feeling he's not checking his Twitter DMs. Who knows what the hell's happening? But uh, I, I will get his number again and message him. But we'll talk about him nevertheless. And uh, here's what happened. Mike Mattisau was playing the online WSOP. And he got what he thought was slow rolled. For those of you that don't know, I'm sure most of you do, but slow rolling is when it's very obvious that you would call an all-in or a large bet immediately, and instead you pretend to think about it even though there's no advantage to thinking about it. It's not like there's someone to act behind you. A good example is on the river. It's just you and somebody else. They say all-in. You've got the nuts, and you sit there thinking about it for two minutes and then finally say call. Well, if you've got the nuts, why don't you say call after one second? So that's the slow roll, where you purposely are taking extra time just to make the person think there's a chance you're going to fold, but there's no strategic reason to do it because there's no advantage to be gained by doing that other than just being an asshole. So there's, that's frowned upon very much in poker. That's considered an etiquette violation. If you slow roll people, they get really, really mad. That's just something you're not supposed to do. So Mike Mattisau felt that he got slow rolled on WSOP.com. And he had a big meltdown over it, but he didn't know who did it. Remember, it's all just uh, screen names. So Mattisau wasn't sure uh, who it was. And he was broadcasting on Twitch at the time. And he was pretty sure that uh, the person who slow rolled him was uh, a guy. Because the person's name was Wolverine17. That does kind of sound like a male screen name, Wolverine17. Kind of reminds me of that movie uh, Red Dawn from 1984. But Oh, is that who I've slow-rolled? <laughs> I didn't realize that was Mattisau. Just kidding. But uh, Mattisau was, uh, was furious about the slow-roll. And he started melting down on his Twitch about the whole thing. And here's a portion of the meltdown he had that night. Look at me out in one hand. It's very possible. 
Man, what's he doing? Like, take it forever and then going to re-raise me? Just fucking fold already or do something. He's referring to what... He, like, takes all this time and re-raises me. I don't know about call. He's referring to Wolverine 17 taking too long to act. I mean, I'd be like... Ooh, he did call. Wow, well, he quick-checked it. I'm going to test for his tournament. What's well, the worst thing you can do, call? I'm going to test for his tournament, referring to, I'm going to test for his tournament life. I'm going to go all in, and the worst thing he's going to do is call me. Now, from what I can see on the screen here, it looks like, it's kind of blurry, but it looks like Mattisau has ace-queen offsuit, and the board is, it looks like, I think, 10-9-4. So Mattisau's missed, only has overcards, that's what I can see here. We're like, almost overbet pot. Oh, we call. Oh, we did have aces. So it was a fucking whole fucking jack off and a fucking slow roll. Okay, so he, so this person Wolverine had aces the whole way. So Mattisau was really mad that this person was slow to act, including when he went all in and the, and the person took a while to call there and also took a while to re-raise him. But I, I don't even think Wolverine was out of line because okay, you got aces and pre-flop, and the person is already. Uh, you don't want to shove it in really fast because then it looks more likely you have a big hand. If, you, if someone re-raise, if someone raises you and you just instantly three bet them, that shows that your hand is so good you you just did this as a reflex like you didn't even have to think about it. So of course you have aces, you have to kind of make it look like you're thinking about what to do. And then when it gets to the flop, it, it actually is a thought when it's like nine, ten, four, whatever the board was that uh, to to go in for your tournament life with just aces. So yeah, it requires some thought. And it, we're only one minute into the video, so it wasn't like a, a terrible time that was being taken. So let's go on here. Mattis, I was very angry. This motherfucker, Wolverine 17, I'm going to fuck him right in his fucking ass, man. <laughs> right in his fucking ass. Mark that name down, Wolverine 17. This is the new generation. And then the fucking WSOP turns off the fucking thing so you can't tell these scumbags what you really fucking think of them. Uses three fucking time banks and uses another two time banks. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with these fucking people? Here, man. Here, there. I'm all in. Have a nice day. Hope I have money to rebuy. This is the next hand he goes all in. Very good. Better have money to rebuy or this day's going to be quick. I think I have money in the account to rebuy. Oh wow, it's a, it's a, oh it's a freeze out. <laughs> he just realized he can't rebuy. Well, that stream didn't last long. That lasted all of two hands. Let's see. Oh, it does say freeze out. It does say freeze out. Well, that wasn't fun. Then at, at some point he was asking his viewers to find out who Wolverine 17 is and that he would pay for information on Wolverine 17 and you're going to kick his fucking ass. One little problem, though, aside from this being pretty outrageous to be doing, but uh, one little problem is that Wolverine 17 was a girl. Oops. That made the threat a lot worse. Now, he didn't know this at the time. He thought Wolverine 17 was a guy. He also was saying that he was just screwing around, that he was uh, that he hasn't attacked anybody ever, that he's not like that. He's not a violent person. He was just shooting his mouth off, but that uh, he wasn't going to do that. 
The person behind the Wolverine 17 identity is named Megan Milburn. And that became known because she made the money. Probably partially thanks to Mattisau's chips. She finished uh, 38th place for about 3K. So people looked up the standings and said, oh, there's Wolverine 17. It's Megan Milburn. And that was made public very quickly. Well, Mike Mattisau then doubled down on it. And he called her a cunt on Twitter after that. He's asking, why are you such a slow-rolling cunt, is what he asked on Twitter to her. So that got people even angrier. And uh, then there was massive backlash to this, as you might guess. And then Mattisau walked it back and said that uh, he didn't really mean anything bad, and that uh, he kind of just let his temper get out of hand, and he wasn't... He, you know, he apologized to her and that, that he wasn't planning to kick anyone's ass in the first place. And just, you know, he always says dumb things. That This was his own words, that he always says dumb things. That people should know him by now. So he was basically saying, come on, guys, you know me. I just shoot my mouth off. I'm called the mouth. Uh, I shouldn't have said this, but I'm not a horrible person. And please forgive me. That's that basically what he, what he did. Now, so let's discuss the whole thing. Uh, was this whole thing pretty outrageous? Yes. I mean, it's indefensible. You can't. It's it's not right to say you're going to find someone and beat them up and, and pay your your viewers to to find who this person is. Uh, even if you're not really going to beat them up, I mean, it's, it's it's pretty disturbing to hear that someone's offering money for your information so they can do something to you because you slow rolled them. That, that's pretty bad. So that's even if it is a dude, that's a stupid and bad thing to do. Furthermore, once you realize that you've been threatening a girl like this, at that point you should really walk it back and say, oh, oh sorry, I, I thought by the screen name you were another guy. So sorry, I, you know, I didn't mean to be threatening a girl. You don't call her a cunt at that point. That's, that's also a big mistake, even if you think she slow-rolled you. At that point you realize that uh, you, you have to back up from there. But, but he didn't do that until there was the terrible reaction to his tweet about her being a cunt, and then then he had to back that out. So... This whole thing, there, there's nothing defensible about it. The, the whole thing was bad. Uh, she didn't deserve this, and he shouldn't have treated her this way. And even when he thought Wolverine was a dude, he shouldn't have treated him that way. But I want to say this. It is easy to look at this, this whole story, and think, boy, this Mattisau guy is horrible. This guy is, is violent. This guy is a bully. This guy is uh, disrespectful toward women. You can look at this and think that he's an awful, terrible person. And you may wonder, why would I want to have him on the show, even? But I actually got to know Mattisau over the years. Which, in fact, it, it kind of surprises me he hasn't responded to me in the last eight days. It, it didn't surprise me that he was going to be on the show. I, I said on the forum, I'm going to ask him to be on the show. I think there's a good chance he'll say yes. And he's been on the show before. And he said, yes. He actually said, love you, buddy. I, 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 I'll be glad to be on your show. He wrote that to me right there on July 9th and then hasn't responded since. But I, I think we'll clear that up. It's probably just him not checking DMs or getting too many DMs. I'm getting lost in there. Who knows? But I got to know him over the years. Never was a close friend to him or anything like that. But I got to know him, and we've always gotten along. We've always had a good relationship. But even putting aside how he's treated me, 
I will tell you that I've watched how he's treated other people. And I've seen some good things that you wouldn't always see from people in poker. Like, for example, I know some people who were broke and really weren't that good in poker. They were just kind of mediocre players. They were not going to make it as poker pros. They weren't terrible. They weren't fish. But they they weren't by any means great players or even that good. And they were broke. and, And Mike was putting them in tournaments, not because he thought that they were going to make him money, but just because he had some money at the time, and he felt bad for them, and he he wanted to be nice and, and put them in, give them a shot. He put them in World Series events. They, they didn't cash, but but I, I watched him do this just to be nice for more than one person. Uh, when I first met him in person, it was at a, a dinner, and every, anybody who went to this dinner that... Uh, a lot of people were there, like 20 people. He paid for everybody. Wouldn't let anybody spend, spend a penny. He insisted he pays for everybody. And I've, I've seen other examples of where he has a, a big heart and and really tries to uh, be generous and nice to people. It's not just someone who's, who throws around money but is a jerk all the time. It's someone who uh, really tries to... Uh, do nice things for people that... that not even just people he likes, but even people that he somewhat likes. However, he does have the tendency to do and say dumb and outrageous things. And that can distract from that. And that doesn't mean you can do that with no consequence or you where it just excuses everything. It doesn't matter if you have a, a good heart but, but do asshole things that yeah you, know, you, you you do have to answer for your actions. So anyone criticizing him for this yeah, they should. And yeah, they have a right to. And yeah, they're right. So uh, he's not beyond criticism. And he deserves criticism for this. And even he admits that he deserves criticism for this. Uh, do I believe he was really going to kick Wolverine's ass if Wolverine was a guy? No. I, I've never heard of him being violent or, or threatening. or He doesn't even act like that. If, if, if you've met him or seen, his, seen him around at the World Series... You'll see he's not the type who's trying to scare everybody. He's, he's not like a Mike Dentali type whose whole gimmick is, is hey, I, I'm a big tough guy. You're supposed to be scared of me. Look at my big muscles. He, he's, he's like a – he's in one of those powered wheelchairs because he has back problems. He can't even walk very well. I mean he's, he's not an intimidating character, especially at this point. But he, even when he was healthier, he was never the guy who's walking around threatening to kick everyone's ass. That was never him. Why he was acting that way, I don't know. He was just pissed off about the slow roll that he wasn't winning. and he, Again, he's said stupid things. So overall, I like Mike Matisau with the caveat that he does have the tendency to do and say stupid things. More recently, you may remember that he had Mike Possel on his podcast in October. And I played that and commented on it. And he took a lot of heat because he was too nice to Postle and didn't ask a lot of tough questions. It was a softball interview. He asked a few good questions, but there were a lot of softball questions, a lot of total BS things Postle said that Mattisau didn't challenge him on. Mattisau took all kinds of heat there. And I can tell you with certainty that Mattisau knew the entire time what he was doing, that he was trying to get Postle to open up. And if, because if you're going to come to Postle with in an aggressive stance, 
Apostle isn't compelled to answer you. So he'll just hang up. Or he'll just refuse to answer. Like he, Mike Mattisau was trying to glad handle him. Mattisau, Mattisau was not dumb enough to believe that Apostle was falsely accused. He was kind of posturing that he was open to believing both sides. But he was doing this for the sake of Apostle uh, opening up to him. And Apostle had even agreed to come on again, but then didn't. And now I don't think he ever will. But I understood what, what Mattisau was doing, and at the time I said, look, the, the truth is, who's the one who got him? It wasn't Joey Ingram, it wasn't Doug Polk. It was Mike Mattisau. And Mike Mattisau got him because Mike Mattisau appeared to Postle like that he might be a supporter. Where he knew if he went on Joey Ingram's show, Joey Ingram was not going to be easy on him. He knew if he went on Doug Polk's show, same thing. He knew if he came on this show, same thing. But Mike Mattisau seemed to be someone who was willing to listen to him, even though listening to lies, it's not like it's not like Postle deserved someone understanding. He was a cheater, but he was a cheater who believed that he could go on that show because Mike Postle would be not Mike, 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 Mike Mattisau would be understanding. And we learned a lot there. We learned a lot from that interview from things that Mike Postle did say and things he did not say. So you actually did pick up information from that interview. It was an interesting interview, even though it was not a hardball interview. And that was the only interview we were going to get, and the only interview we did get. You have to keep that in mind. So was Mike Mattisau really at fault for doing a softball interview if he got the only interview that was possible? He got it because he was softballing. So that's the type of thing where he will sometimes get unfairly criticized. I think I've said this before on here, but I had a, a personal experience with Mattisau that spoke a lot for him in a good way. In 2006, uh, I was playing at the World Series of Poker and my parents were watching me play the World Series of Poker for the first time ever. And I already won my bracelet by then, the year before, but this is the first time my parents were ever there watching me. They were not there to see me win my bracelet, but they were there just in Vegas anyway, so they were watching me play day one of, a, I think, a limit hold and freeze out. And Mike Mattisau walked up to them when he realized they were my parents and said, oh, you're Todd's parents? Well, let me tell you, he's the best limit hold and player I've ever played against. This guy is so good at limit hold he, he went on and praised my limit hold abilities beyond what I deserved. But he, he made it sound like I was the very best Limit Hold'em player that he ever played against. Now, I, I believe he thought I was a good Limit Hold'em player, and he had played Limit Hold'em with me on PokerStars, so like he, he wasn't lying, but, but he was exaggerating a bit. And you know why he did it? He did it because he knows that some people's parents don't approve of their poker play. That wasn't the case with my parents, but he didn't know that. Or that some parents don't know exactly what to think. And he wanted them to feel good. He wanted them to feel good that their son was a good player and that he was so impressed by it. And he wasn't doing this with any ulterior motive or trying to gain any. He just did it to be nice. And I wasn't a close friend of his. So that should give you some insight into his character that often gets lost, especially if you read his Twitter and he, yeah, he's, he's very uh, right-wing and he, he'll, he'll make 
statements, even some of the right-wing statements he makes are uh, kind of stupid sometimes. And this comes from someone who is right-wing. Like, sometimes I'll see some people on the right post some things that either aren't true or are hoaxes, and Mattisau will do things like that. Like, if you look at my Twitter account, you'll never see that type of material. You'll, you'll see right-wing material on my Twitter account, but you will not see crazy conspiratorial stuff or me repeating hoaxes or... You won't see that there. Anything that I put out there is something that I have looked into somewhat. And I'll try to put it out from a, a thoughtful perspective, or as thoughtful as you can be on Twitter, on Twitter in this small space they give you. But there's some people on the right who don't do that, and Mike Mattis has one of them. So he turns off some people, especially people that are on the left that just really hate any kind of right-wing politics, and people just are looking for a reason to believe he's an awful person, and two weeks ago he pretty much gave it to them even though that's not really true. It was, he looked much worse than he was. He did something stupid. He did something bad. But it's actually one of these cases where the bark is much worse than the bite. In fact, the bite doesn't exist. It's like a dog with no teeth barking at you. That's, that's more what that really is. You ever seen like a, a really old dog with no teeth that still barks? And you know if it bit you, it wouldn't even hurt. Like That's kind of what Mike Mattisau is. And I'm not saying that to be insulting. I'm trying to say that he's harmless. And that even when he's being what looks like a mean, rude jerk, he's actually not even really meaning any harm. As strange as that might sound. He's kind of the opposite of the person who's very friendly and always chooses his words carefully and comes off as a great guy, but then behind closed doors is the biggest asshole. He's kind of the reverse of this. He's someone who kind of seems like an asshole outwardly, but is a lot nicer than you'd ever imagine. So that's kind of the alternative perspective on Mike Mattisau that you may not really have from elsewhere. But I can tell you this from knowing him. In fact, I spoke to him on the phone, uh, I think it was in November, October or November last year. And we had like an hour-long phone call. And it was a very interesting phone call. I I would love to talk about all the things we said there, but a lot of this is private, so I can't really talk that much about it. But it was an interesting call. And uh, among other things, remember I had just uh, got through my psychological problems uh, a year before, in 2018, and uh, he told me that he had problems with the anxiety and depression, and we, we talked about that too. So, uh, anyway, I'm not just being biased here. I mean, I, I can see when he makes mistakes, and there's, there's no excuse for anything that happens here, and I'm not going to make excuses for it. It was all bad. And you, you, can't, uh, you can't treat other players that way, especially you can't treat women that way. If a female slow rolls you, you don't call them a cunt on Twitter. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty obvious stuff here. Pretty obvious. But we have to look at Mike Mattisau as a whole, and this is a case where someone who's not a bad guy just did something that was bad. Not horrible, because no one got hurt by it, but it was, as far as the things he said, they were pretty bad. And we'll see if we can get him on here. I'm, I'm not giving up on that one. 
I really thought he'd be on this show, this episode that is, and he did not get on here. That was kind of disappointing. But we will try harder to make that happen. Maybe next week. All right, next on our agenda here, talk about another meltdown that occurred. A little bit of a different type of meltdown. This was not a meltdown about a player. This was meltdown about software. <laughs> so uh, this was Daniel Negreanu who had a meltdown. We had a Mike Mattisau, WSMP.com meltdown, and then we had a Negreanu meltdown. But Negreanu's meltdown was because the software sucks, not because of anything any player did to him. Negreanu's meltdown was not as bad because... It was not aimed at anyone. It was just being pissed off about the software. But you'll hear Negranu in a way you probably haven't heard him before. Listen to this one. What do we got over here? It's on me? What the fuck, man? This shit. Come on. The fuck? It says it's on me over here, and I got no fucking cards. I got a fucking big stupid thing in the middle. It's going to make me sit out probably. Come on, dude. What is up with the software? Jesus. I had to fold. Fuck Pisses me off. I can't even. I didn't even see the hand that I got. My software is completely frozen right now. Nothing's happening. We got ten minutes here till the break. It's not my internet. It's not my internet. It's this fucking software right now. You okay, buddy? Don't. It's okay. Don't. Don't worry. I'm not yelling at you. Poor puppy. He's sad. All right. You make me sit up. What I do when I freak out, I lose my shit. Oh my god. Okay, I'm back. Well, no, I'm not back. Give me one fucking card. All right, what happened now? Just keep folding me? It says I'm disconnected. I'm not disconnected, you cock fuck. What's well, okay? Hey, buddy, I'm sorry. Damn it, both dogs hurt me all. They hate when I yell. It's okay. It's a good boy. That's, I gotta do the good, friendly voice. Damn it. Can't even fucking log out. Piece of shit fucking crap from fucking 2000, who knows when. I can't even log out. I'm trying to log out. I can't log out. All right. <laughs> oh, brother. All right. We're disconnected. All right. Hold on. Am I back? No. Fucking break this fucking computer. Motherfucking cocksucking shit. Holy fucking slut. This fucking shit. Stay classy, San Diego. No, I lose my shit. When internet problems, I, my, like, number one, well, you know, everyone has to have patience, uh, for certain, like, what the hell did I win? What, what's going on right now? I'm in the big blind. <laughs> this software, I don't even know what's happening right now. And usually you don't see Negranu that way. Usually you see Negranu very calm, and he just kind of seems like a guy who's even tempered. Even when he's having his Twitter fights, he doesn't seem like he's totally flipping out. You don't picture him as a guy who's slamming things around at home and cursing, but that's what he was doing. Now, I can admit it can be really, really frustrating in online poker when you're having connection issues, especially if you can tell it's not your own internet. Everybody who's played online poker has had the heartbreak of being in a hand, seeing that you're not connected and it will not take your action or telling you you're disconnected, and then you go check 
your connection by trying to go to some websites and you connect just fine and you realize the site's just a piece of crap and has disconnected you and you know they're going to blame you and you know you're not going to get anything back from it and you know you're going to get folded and that's it. So Negranu was experiencing that in this tournament and he was getting really mad. <laughs> so he had his meltdown. Not quite as bad. Just kind of a surprising thing you didn't expect to see from him. Everybody responds to the fail of WSB.com in a different way. That was Negranu's mini meltdown. I don't know if he calmed down after that. That's I only saw that clip. Negranu was none too happy about the connection issues on that site. <laughs> I wonder if that's common for him. I wonder if he does this a lot when he's playing at home and we just don't get to see that side of him. See, that's the thing. When you're doing these Twitch streams, unless you can suppress it, people get to see the real you. I want to get into talking about Phil Ivey, and you guys have heard about the endless saga of Phil Ivey and his battles with the Borgata and that decision that came down against him. A quick recap for the few of you who don't know, or the few of you who might be new to the show that also are not familiar with the story. Phil Ivey did something called edge sorting. This is in Baccarat. And uh, he had a, a partner there, uh, an Asian female, who uh, was very good at what she did. And it's a, a tough skill. You have to have uh, really good eyesight. You have to have a lot of practice. You need to just be really good at recognizing uh, tiny differences in patterns. It's something not everybody could do. I doubt that I could do it. I doubt Trader Ruski could do it. But nevertheless, she could. And uh, he bankrolled it. And they went to go sit down at a Baccarat table at the Borgata and <clears throat> played at very high stakes. And they uh, made some various demands of the Borgata in order for this to work. Because if they just played Baccarat normally, the cards would not be close enough to his partner there to be able to see the little differences in the cards. Because they noticed that there's very slight differences on the backs of the cards, which give you some indication of what those cards actually are. But uh, in order to be able to see them, the cards needed to be closer and they needed to be horizontal instead of vertical. So they uh, talked the Borgata into making an exception and doing this. The Borgata thought to themselves, oh, what's the harm in doing this? So they agreed to do it. And Phil Ivey won a lot of money. He won about uh, 10 million bucks at the Borgata playing with that edge. He also won... I think around the same, playing at Crockford's in the UK. Now, Crockford's caught him. In fact, Crockford's, Crockford's may have been free-rolling him, because even if you're doing the edge sorting, while you have a pretty good edge over the casino, odds-wise, you're not guaranteed to win. So Crockford's, they figured out what he was doing, and they decided to let him play until he went to go cash out, and then they broke the bad news to him, that they were not going to honor his cash out and uh, would only give him back his initial buy-in and that was it. And they would not give him his winnings. And that got him very angry and he tried to sue them and he lost there in the UK. Well, he had already played and won at the Borgata when this occurred. Now, once this case came to light, the Borgata said, oh, so that's why they wanted those cards switched around and uh, wanted them closer. And uh, like they, they realized that the same trick was pulled on them. 
So they sued Ivy. They had already paid him. Unlike Crockford's, they could not withhold payment because they had already paid. So they sued him to get the money back. So Ivy sued Crockford's to get paid, and Crockford's uh, won that, so they never had to pay him. And as I said, I think they were probably free-rolling him because I think they realized what he was doing and figured if he lost, then great, then they get to keep his money, and if he wins, then uh, they won't pay him, which I think is really crappy, by the way, on their part. If they, if they think he's doing something they don't like, then throw him out. Don't free-roll him. The Borgata sued him to get the money back, which, again, was kind of a free-roll because had he lost there, they wouldn't have given the money back. And I don't call this cheating. This is advantage play. Why? Because they knew exactly what they were doing. They didn't know why they were doing it, but they knew that they were moving the cards closer. They knew they were turning the cards to the side. And all the demands, that these were all happening out in the open. It's not like he had a dealer secretly in cahoots with him. It's not like he had some kind of a device helping him see what the cards were. These were advantages they figured out they could get if the Borgata would agree to change some things about the game, and they convinced the Borgata to do it. Just because they were not truthful about the reason why they wanted the Borgata to change these things, does not. it doesn't really matter here. Because uh, they said, hey, can you change the game this way? The Borgata said, yes, we'll change the game this way, because you're bringing a lot of action here. And they did it, and they didn't realize that gave Ivy a big edge, and he won, and then they wanted the money back. So I thought it was crappy. I thought Ivy was in the right, but unfortunately for Ivy... The state of New Jersey's court system did not see it that way, and they ruled against Ivy, and after calculating interest, Ivy owed about $11 million back to the Borgata, and so began the game of collections, which I don't know if you've been involved in uh, lawsuits where you've been the plaintiff, or even maybe the defendant, where a collections issue occurred, but just winning a lawsuit doesn't matter that much if you can never collect the money. So if you win a $100 million lawsuit against a homeless person, that's meaningless because the homeless person is never going to have $100 million. They're never going to have any money, and so you'll never be able to collect a penny from them. So there, there's two big elements to a lawsuit. One is winning it, and the second is collecting what you've won, and especially since there's no debtor's prison or anything like that in the U.S. So you're, you're basically just screwed if the person is broke and, and is going to remain broke, and especially if they don't have a job where you can garnish their wages. So they've been going after Ivy. Ivy doesn't have a job, but Ivy has assets, obviously. Ivy plays poker, and they did grab a World Series of Poker win that he had, which wasn't anywhere near $11 million. It was a six-figure win, a low six-figure win, like 128000 or something. But they did grab that at uh, the last World Series. So Borgata has been very aggressively trying to collect and Ivy has been dodging it. He's been hiding his assets, and it's been a big game. And it's been unpleasant for both sides. Borgata has been wasting a lot of time and a lot of legal expenses to chase down Ivy and, and trying to collect money from him. And it also doesn't make them look the best. You know, there's a big casino coming after one guy and uh, trying to collect his money. And, of course, he's not just one guy. He's a, a very famous poker player. So it's it's not the best look for them. And Ivy, what a pain in the ass for him. He has to hide all his assets. He couldn't play at the World Series anymore because he knew anything he'd won would be collected by the Borgata. And he knew that basically all the poker he'd had to play going forward would probably have to be abroad because otherwise the money could get seized at any time. Even in cash, uh, the Borgata could quickly uh, make a motion to seize any money he has on the table. So Ivy had his life really impacted by this, but at the same time, it was $11 million bucks. He wasn't about to just... Uh, go hand that over since he really felt like he got screwed there and he shouldn't owe it. 
And if you think about it, think even if you have a lot of money, think about if a if if there was a dispute like this, and a ruling came down against you that you owed eleven million dollars that you really felt like you didn't owe, that you felt like it was a miscarriage of justice, you felt like it was a bad decision, and now you're being forced to pay eleven million dollars that you really truly believe that you don't owe, but nevertheless the court says you have to pay it. What do you do? Well, it would make sense to try to dodge payment, and that's what Ivy has been doing. I don't even blame him. I probably would be doing the same thing in his shoes. So that's what he's been doing, and it's been unpleasant for both sides. And finally, it came to an end. Finally, the the cat-and-mouse game has ended, and they've decided to come to terms. And that uh, is something that should have happened a while ago. They they should have really nothing, like nothing new happened to cause this, and that's what's pretty outrageous about this. In that they they should have known this. They should have thought, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't good for anyone. So why don't we just settle in some way? So there's no more chasing down of Ivy, and there's no more expense in doing so, and. Ivy isn't doesn't have his whole life turned upside down trying to avoid it, and the Borgata doesn't look like assholes. Like, why don't they just settle? So that's what they finally did. It, it was more than a six-year battle, and it's finally over. So according to court documents filed on July 2nd in the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, they came to an agreement on the money that was owed. And... Uh, what they did was they, they had a mediation program where the agreement was reached, and the details were not disclosed. You're probably wondering, how much did he have to pay? I don't know. I'm very curious myself, but I do not know how much uh, he actually had to pay. Uh, he was sued originally for $15.6 million, which is more than he won from them. But they did not win $15.6. They, they won uh, $10.1 million. And then with the interest that was accruing on it, it ended up about $11 million. They did seize, as I said, about one hundred twenty-eight. I think it was 124000 actually, in uh, the 2019 World Series. And other than that, they didn't collect anything. So something beyond that, Ivy paid, and then Borgata has agreed to drop it. So that means Ivy can play poker again. Ivy can play the World Series. He can play what he wants. And the Borgata can't touch him, nor can Crockford's, because Crockford's, remember, he sued them. They did not sue him. So Ivy, to my knowledge, does not owe anyone any money, and he can go forward and play poker in peace. So, I mean, that's good. It does kind of suck that Borgata got something, but that... And what's your guess, Drop? I mean, maybe he just said, hey, I'll do uh, some marketing for you guys or something. No, I I can't imagine that because... After all the publicity of this, it would look very insincere if he started promoting the Borgata. It would be funny if, like, after they're going after him and seizing his World Series wins, he's like, hey, everybody, come to the Borgata. They, they screwed me out of a blackjack win, but it's a great place to play. So I – a Baccarat right. win, not a blackjack win, but whatever. Uh, I, I couldn't see him doing that, but I, I have a feeling he probably paid something like $3 million. So something where he's like, look, you're, you're going to have a bitch of a time ever getting this $11 million you think you're going to get. So why it also looks bad for you. You guys can look like dicks. And at the same time, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of running from you guys. So here's $3 million. I'm just making up this number. It may not be $3 million, but here's $3 million. 
That's a good guess, though. I'd say he could have even got. Look, that's about you know a little less than thirty percent. I think. I I think maybe. Well, they paid him the ten million, right? Yeah. So he, they're trying to get it back. Yeah. But at the same yeah, time, it, w- it was a free roll. Uh, otherwise, because that's what people need to keep in mind that um, unless. Ivy would have gotten refunded upon them discovering it had he lost, which, of course, he wouldn't have. It's a free roll. And any kind of ruling for the casino, you have to be very careful in any situation, in any dispute where you rule that a win is invalid. You have to be very careful that the casino is not free rolling. We discussed that with that sports mistake on a recent show, that you re- before making any ruling in favor of a casino, you had to make very – really make sure that – you were not giving them the opportunity to be free rolling the customer to where if the customer loses, they say nothing. If the customer wins, then they complain and cry foul and get the money back. So this, this would turn even a very positive expectation bet for the customer to be a zero expectation bet. And you had to be very careful. You're not enabling the casinos to do that. So that's something right there that you have to consider. Even if you think, Ivy wasn't behaving ethically. I have always felt that anything that would qualify as advantage play, which is something where you're using your eyes, your ears, just you're using your senses to put a game into your favor. And it doesn't matter if uh, you have the edge and you're not supposed to. It doesn't matter if you talk the casino into giving you an edge and, and you lie to them to get the edge. I don't think that is bad. That's part of the whole game. If they agree to do something, they agree to do it. Now, where it is cheating is if you get someone to break the law to help you or you get some insider there to help you knowing that they wouldn't help you if they weren't doing it for a piece of it. Then then that's a whole different story. Then that's cheating. If they had a dealer secretly helping him, then that would be cheating. And not only would I think he should lose the lawsuit, I would agree he should suffer some criminal, criminal penalty for it. But in this case, neither. In this case... He asked the Borgata, can you do such and such for me? And they said, yes. And then they did exactly what he asked. And that was that. And that's really what happened. So, uh, and, and just because his partner can see the cards really well and can see little defects they have to where she can figure out what some of the cards are, that's their fault for not using better playing cards. That's part of the game. It's kind of like someone playing poker with you and they don't protect their hand well. And you happen to see it. Even if you try to see it. I, I think like if you're playing poker... Uh, it's, it's kind of a dick thing to try to see someone's cards. But at the same time, if someone's doing it, as long as they're not breaking the rules, as long as they're not like leaning over to peep your cards, if you're just sitting normally and someone keeps exposing their cards and you don't say anything about it, uh, that's that person's fault. It's not your fault for seeing them. Um, I remember at Commerce one time, a, a pro who actually... You know, he's a very good player. I won't say who it is, but he uh, he accidentally flashed me. He raised under the gun. I was on, uh, all the way across the table, like on the button or something. He raised under the gun, and uh, somehow when he picked up his cards, I saw very clearly he had King, Queen of Diamonds. So what, what was I going to do at that point? I, w- I wasn't going to uh, say, hey, I saw your cards. Like if he was doing it every time, I would tell him. But he made a mistake, and that gave me an advantage. And so I, I said, okay, I'm going to call with any two cards here, and, and and I know what he has. It could be like a super user for one hand. And that again, I would now would I have marked cards to see what he had? No. Would I have uh, had a friend stand behind him and tell me? No. Like I wouldn't do. It. He he showed me accidentally. That wasn't my fault. 
he actually I wasn't even looking for it. I just he he kind of lifted them and it showed me. And that, at that point, uh, he's given away his hand, and that's that's too bad. So that's part of the game. And uh, so that's that's the way it works. If you're playing against a casino, especially if they have given away what the what the cards are because they didn't buy good cards, then tough luck on them. Then they need to get, need to get better cards. They need to be more careful that this does not occur. Or not deviate from the rules of how the cards are placed or how far they are away from the player so people can't do things like this. So even if a high roller wants that, they just say no to him. This is all part of the game. This is not cheating. Cheating is where you use outside help or... And when I say outside help, I mean with the works for the casino, not uh, a friend. Or if you use some kind of device, either electronic or otherwise, like you use mirrors, you use electronic devices to spy on the cards, that's all illegal. That's all cheating. They don't pay people who win like that or if they put them in jail. Fine. I agree with it. But not this. This is advantage play. Just like card counting is advantage play. Just like uh, playing slot machines at certain points when they are positive expectation and only playing then and quitting as soon as they're not, that's advantage play. All these things are advantage play and they're completely fine to do. Casinos don't like it. They may boot you out for it, but these are not illegal and these are ethically fine to do because it's all part of the game. When you go into a casino, the odds are not supposed to be in your favor but it's not that they can't be. They're just not supposed to be. But if you're smart enough to discover when they can be and you can beat them, fine. The whole point is you're playing a game against the casino. It's adversarial. You're trying to beat them. They're trying to beat you. And you go in with the knowledge that everything is supposed to be against you. But that doesn't mean you can't find something that is, that is that's on your in your favor if you know how to look for it. So I have no problem with what Ivy did. And and by the way, I just just expand on that poker example I gave you. I have told people before. I haven't had to tell pros because they don't make the mistake, but I have had to tell amateurs before that they're exposing their cards. And so, so I wouldn't take advantage of someone like that. even another pro if he's doing like over and over and over. I'm going to let him know you're exposing your cards I, on a one-time basis. If the guy is careless and flashes it to me, tough luck. But uh, it's, if someone's routinely doing it, I'll mention it to them. And that's just kind of the etiquette of it. And that's that's really what most people do. If I accidentally flash my cards quickly, uh, it's unlikely anyone would say anything. But if I did it like every time, someone probably would. That's the way live poker goes. Trader Ruski, have you seen people ever flash their cards accidentally to you when you're playing live poker? I have. You know, and I'll just say, hey, keep your cards down. I'll tell them once or twice and then... You know, sometimes they're drunk or whatever, and you just try, eh, try not to look, but whatever. Yeah. And I, want to, I, I think I don't, other than like amateurs, I think that's the only time I remember with a pro where it happened. Where they, I don't know how the guy did it, but uh, if someone's a very uh, frequent player at Commerce did this. And it just, I wasn't trying it at all to look. In fact, it wouldn't be easy to look. I was all the way across the table. Anyway, uh, that's the story with Ivy. Not much more to say about it. I'm glad I'm glad for his sake that it's over. And it's probably a relief for him to not have to deal with this anymore. Ivy loves to play poker and for him not to be able to do that and not to be able to do that in the US and have to 
fear when he goes to the World Series they're going to take his money. I mean, who who wants to do this crap? Boy, was that stupid for him to play there last year, though. I never understood that. And when I heard he was playing before his money was seized, there was some know-it-all at one of my tables. No one I knew, but just some know-it-all who was saying, like, I was saying how that's kind of weird he's playing. And I said, I bet the Borgata is going to seize anything he wins. And the guy goes, no, you know, I, I have information on this. And Ivy, he checked on this. And he checked it very carefully. And uh, and he learned that there's there's a way to where they absolutely cannot get his money. And he was 100% sure of it. And there's no way Ivy would have played otherwise. And I know people who, I, he was he was acting like he knew that Ivy had checked into this. And not only did Ivy believe it, that he was 100% sure it can't happen. Well, either the guy was full of crap at my table or Ivy was just overconfident that whatever belief he had that they wouldn't seize the money or couldn't seize the money was incorrect because they seized the money. So it did happen, exactly like I thought it would. And if you remember after that, he played the main event and he played terribly. He just shot it all off in the first like hour, which at the main event given how slow the structure is and given how deep it is at the very beginning, to lose in the first hour, you have to really get coolered. Really get coolered. And he didn't. He just was uh, pushing a lot of money in whenever he'd flop a draw, that sort of thing. Like We definitely don't do it at the World Series. This is not a turbo event. This is the opposite of a turbo event. So the main event of the World Series is different than any other tournament you've ever played. And if you do ever play the main event of the World Series... Keep that in mind. That's the one piece of advice I can give you about the main event of the World Series. And I'm talking about the real main event, not the stupid online one they're going to have this year. But the main event of the World Series, the best piece of advice I can give you is don't rush. Play slowly. Do not be overly aggressive. Do not put chips in near the beginning unless you have the nuts. That's the best advice I could give you. Is that Just try to play small ball. Take a lot of small pots. Take stabs at pot three, think nobody hit. That's good to do. What's not good to do is just shove in a bunch of money because you have a draw or shove in a bunch of money trying to bluff someone that's, that's, who, who probably has a strong hand is going to call you. Like that's, that's behavior that you don't need to engage in and should not engage in at the main event of the World Series. And that's what Ivy did. And he was out in an hour. Brandon Drexel Gerson, welcome to the show. Is this the fraud show? It is the fraud show. Uh, Brandon, did you play any uh, WSOP.com events yet? Listen, listen. Uh, I'm on the show because I want to show that my heart's in the right place with everything. Okay? Yeah. Now, can you hear me all right? Because I don't have a great internet. I'm not yeah. at home. I'm in a secret location. Yeah, I can hear you. But I'm in a secret location that has been your secret location before, ironically mm-hmm. enough. In fact, technically, you could have been in the exact same secret location. And I mean, like, exact that I am right now. I mean, it's possible. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. Um, I have not played in a WSOP because I've been fighting on Zoom now all, almost every day. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to play the the Omaha, I don't have any interest in these little no limit tournaments playing at the Whole Foods and, and it's just, I don't like no limit. I, I'm not a no limit guy. I, I don't enjoy it. I could sit there and I could play it. If I hit lightning in the bottle, you, you know, I'd be the, the next World Series, what have you. But, uh, as of right now, the only thing I'm going to play is a thousand dollar, uh, six max Omaha eight or better. 
All right. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, yeah, Am very I good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was. Are you uh, mad at me? Is this like the Pollo Loco thing again? Because I don't feel very welcome here. <laughs> no, you're very welcome. I'm, I'm, it I was mean, a pleasant surprise to see you come on here. I did. Well, and we have, we have Trader Ruski here. Well, I'm not talking to him. I'm a little, a little. Upset oh, you're mad at him right now? Really? Uh, yeah. I've never been mad. He's like the nicest. Listen, to Trader Ruski has become that guy. When you text him, you might not hear back from him for a day, two days, five days. He's a, he's a slow texter. That's what he's become. I think the whole, I think all the fame and fortune of the podcast, when I first met him, you text him eight seconds, you get a full response. Now, with the fame, the fortune of the fraud show, you text him, days will go by. Days. Hmm. I text him this morning at 8 a.m. He just texts me now back. Radio on, that's all he writes. Radio on. But that's not it's not days. That's it's one day. No, there was a text before that. I didn't get it. Anyhow, uh, I'm glad to be here. I don't know how I don't have much energy. I've been up since literally five o'clock this morning, but I like to be a part of the show. I'm not going to interfere. If you have any real serious poker topics to talk about, tell me, and I'll go outside. I'll go use the restroom. Uh, you know, somebody did something with plate chips in you know some Scandinavian country. I can't do any of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen. I, uh, I was having a little sushi, and this is the truth. You'll, I'll prove it to you in a minute. I was having a little sushi earlier, and I was listening to the beginning of the show while I was having my sushi. And I'm not sitting here, you know, listen, it's hard to get everything right because you cover so much. But I tuned in right when you were talking about the Phil Ivey stuff, and there are a couple things. They weren't main points, but there are a couple things you got wrong. Okay, what did I get Very wrong? small things, but I just want to okay. – is it okay? Like yeah. I don't want to offend you. No, 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 I'm no, not, no. You know, I'm trying to correct you. No, I, I, I want people to correct me. I want this to be an accurate show, so go ahead and but, collect, right, correct but, me. But, are, but, but it's kind of interesting. Okay, so the first correction was when Phil Ivey went to uh, Crockford's, he had wired the money to them. When he ended up leaving, they didn't tell him they weren't going to pay him. They told him he'd have his money in 24 hours the same way he had deposited it, which was by wire. During that time, during that 24 hours, uh, or maybe even it dragged on to 48 hours, at least the Crockford's original statement was that somebody, an outside security, you know, gaming security consultant, looked at it and was the one that discovered, someone they, they, they went to. Now, who knows if this is true, but this is what their official version was. Somebody outside the company noticed what something was wrong and they were the ones that picked up whether that that means it's one person or a company but it was inferred it wasn't crockford's per se itself that determined the edge sorting was going on okay does that make sense yeah okay and then immediately you know within 72 hours maybe even 48 they notified him he wasn't going to get paid then at that point ivy and the 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 what is, what's her name? The Sun Young Kim something wrong something what what, what is it? The yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, Chung Soon yeah, Kim right. or something like that. Doesn't yeah. even matter. I don't know. So they knew the gig would be up. So that's why they hit almost immediately the Borgata because they were hoping they could get there before the word circled. Now, or words word spread. Now people might not realize this, but when you cheat in a in one casino or something like that happens. They're going to share the information. It's not like that, you know. It's trade secrets. Even competitors, they're going to work together. You know, meaning like if I did something really horrendous here in Vegas, and I went to Atlantis in the Bahamas and used my real name, my ID, they would know about it. I mean, if it was egregious enough, they would know. Well, not only that, you, this had to do with Phil Ivey, who's a big name. Well, right, right, right. But what I'm saying is right. But what I'm saying is they knew the gig was going to be up, so that's why they they hit 
the Borgata right after Crockford's already knowing they weren't getting paid. See, I didn't know when that part. The yeah, Borgata, I, they knew. They already knew they weren't getting the Crockford's okay. money. See, I, and, see, I, then, I, I knew. I remember now about the thing with the twenty-four hours. If they did, that they told them we're going to get paid, and then like I forgot about yes. that part. I did not know that they went to Borgata immediately, knowing that uh, otherwise the time's going to be up on and then pulling this. The uh, other trick. interesting thing is, besides everything else, was accurate and you know very good as usual. The other thing that you, I don't think you mentioned was not only did the Borgata get a judgment for the ten plus million that he won. But they also got a judgment for the one point two million that he won in craps with the money he won. <laughs> After he was done beating them for ten million dollars, and that, that's total. But he used the winnings. I think it was the first night, or maybe it was the second night that he was there, and he unwinded by playing craps. And then he won. I think it was one point two million. You can look it up. It's it's all over, you know, in, in different news stories and blogs. But the judgment they got also covered what he won in craps. Oh wow! Too. In fact, I'll look that up. But it wasn't just a bakra. They added on the craps because <laughs> I don't know. Is that like a maybe a bad actor clause? Because the money that he was playing with was money he had won. You know that. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I'm very surprised. But yeah, that's uh, that's crappy. I'll, I'll find the article. But yeah, so. But anyhow, I just wanted to add that part because I, I always thought that was interesting. Note that them like on a plane, probably saying to each other, "Like, let's get to the Borgata." And then when they're doing this the whole time, you know, they got to be wondering in their head, "Is this going to go public?" Like, you know what I mean? While we're here, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You know, they had to be concerned about that. So. And then they walked out and got the money, and like, oh sweet, we pulled it off. And then, and then it turned out uh, they got sued. Yeah. That wasn't. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so what? What did you? What's the consensus, you guys, with the, the WSOP fail? Success um, somewhere in the middle. I, I haven't seen the overall impression. I guess we'll have to see when it's all over. Uh, it's uh, there's been complaints about the duplicate IP thing, and there's it's happening to some people. And there's the, there's the getting the money on problem, and then there's been the disconnection problems, which makes the Negranu meltdown. So there's things like that we're seeing. I haven't seen like tremendous anger on Twitter. Like I haven't seen like just everyone saying this sucks, it's awful, it's terrible. But people may just be tired of saying that. Maybe people think it, but they're just tired of saying this over and over. I guess we'll have to see when it's over or close to when it's over what if people start giving their overall impressions like, oh, this was actually fun or no, this sucked like we thought it would. Or uh, I don't know. Okay, can I read something? Just getting back to uh, yeah. Ivy real fast so I can be completely accurate. Um, this is from Card Player, and this was a recently posted article uh, eight days ago. Um, the Borgata initially sued for $15.6 million, two years after Ivy beat them. The total included hundreds of thousands of dollars in comps that the Borgata wanted back. Huh. So, so I don't think this was ever mentioned. But so, you know, meaning like the rooms, food, whatever outrageous things they were given – you know, it could be gifts. You know, the Sun Young Ching, whatever name, could have gone on a shopping spree. I mean, you you know, you don't know. But all all those things. I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that can't just be a room. So they sued for that. It doesn't say the exact amount, just hundreds of thousands of dollars. They sued for five point four million that the casino spent on their on their legal fees, <laughs> and they also sued for another five million that the Borgata figured that they would have beat Ivy for if he had been playing straight up. And the judge also decided that Ivy would be forced to pay the casino back, and I was wrong, I'm sorry, half a million dollars that he won playing craps after his initial Baccarat session. I thought it was closer to a million, but it was 500000 
So that that's where all these numbers come in. That's kind of interesting because couldn't he just claim, well, I had wired my own money to them anyhow, so it couldn't have – you know, what differentiates him playing with their money or his when it's all kind of commingled? And you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and for, furthermore, yeah, but, uh, the, the whole thing about – I remember when they sued him about – what he would have lost, which is also absurd, because that you, you can't do that. You can't just say, "Well, the expected loss is this." You should have lost this. That's uh, um, they. You, you can't do that. That's just not. Uh, that's not how gambling works. If they if they want to get back, they're already free rolling him by doing this. Because had he lost doing this whole thing, they would not have said, "Oh, well, you were uh, edge shorting, so we're, here's the money back." They they would have kept yeah. it. So they they were trying to free roll him anyway, and then they're trying to double free roll him by also trying to collect what what he should have lost on top of what he won. And right, and I also want to comment on. I'm not saying you're wrong, and I don't think we'll ever know. But if it is indeed true what Crockford's their PR department initially said, they weren't free rolling Ivy. If in fact somebody else looked at it afterwards, which would mean while it was going on, they had no idea. And then you know it was discovered later. Now who knows what's what the truth is? But I'm just saying, you know, I don't know, maybe fifty fifty. Well, it could maybe have been something 60, like forty, but I don't think it's highly likely they were free rolling him. I don't, I, you know, I it, it's possible, but I think it's more of a. Well, okay, it could have been uh, something like this. It could have been like the Crockfords there having the, the internal discussion saying, so, "So, do you think the bloke is cheating there?" Well, I'm, I'm not sure if he's uh, cheating, but uh, he is um, quite uh, taking the bat to us. And um, uh, what we must do here when he wants to cash out, uh, let's carefully review his play and see if we can find an excuse not to pay him. Yes, yes, that's a, that's a splendid mm-hmm. idea. Um, all right, um, so when he comes to the cage, we're going we're gonna to break it to him and uh, say, Oh, Mr. Ivy, um, it, no, no matter. We'll, we'll be wiring the, the money over to you. Look at his split. You can go home. Tally-ho, pip-pip, let's get on with it. And, uh, sure. and th- that's that. So then he left and they, they say, All right, so let's bring in our best experts to uh, analyze this. Um, and so they let's, so, ca- let's call in uh, Sherlock yep. Baccarat. <laughs> It's funny. So it could have been something like that, so, and then they figured it out. Did you explain edge sorting, like just kind of like the common denominator in a way people understand? Yeah, what yeah, it actually I, yeah. Is? I explained it. Yeah, I explained it. That it's seven. The sevens, eights, or nines are the ones that are marked. And in baccarat, if you know betting on the player, that the first card is going to be a seven, eight, or nine. You have a. That, that's what, what gives you the advantage. Okay, no, I didn't go you that just, far, but yeah. Okay, well that's why there's an advantage because if you know. One of the first cards will be a seven, eight, or nine. You're very likely to hit a face card after, or an ace, or a deuce, which would make a seven, an eight, or a nine, which are in the highest range of hands. I mean, anytime you have a seven, eight, or nine, you're a huge favorite. You're a huge favorite against any any two random or even three if you draw cards. So that's how the edge comes in. So if you know, like, the first card is going to be an ace, deuce, three, four, five, or six, you bet small. If you know it's going to be a 7, 8, or 9, you fire. Now, yeah, there are going to be times where you're 7, the next card's a 3, and you're going to have a 0. Or your next card's a you know, 4, and you're going to have a 1. But there are going to be a lot of a lot of times where it's a face card, an ace, or a deuce, and you basically have to take a bad beat to lose that hand. Like, that's what, you know, when you lose, you can't lose with a 9 in Bakra. The worst you can do is tie. But when you lose with an 8 or a 7 in Bakra, it, it's basically a bad beat. Because those are strong, strong hands. It beats any zero, any one, any two, any three, any four. Any, you know, it, it's it's a very strong. Yeah, hand. And, and to so explain and to explain for the listener who doesn't understand baccarat, it's very easy that uh, uh, th- there's a player and a banker, 
and and you can bet on either one. You don't have to be the player. You can and you're not the cards aren't your cards. They're just uh, there's cards being de- two cards dealt to a player and then it's two just ca- called two, that's the title yeah, of the, what you're betting it's on. Ca- yeah, it's kind of like player one there's or no player two. No significance in banking or being a player. Yeah. It's and, like betting on hand A or B. It's the same exact thing. Yeah. And then and then uh, it, it's very simple is that the uh, the two cards together Whatever the total is, uh, and the total is determined between zero and nine. So if it goes ten or more, you just take away the the, the, the ten digit. So so a ten it's would a become last digit. yeah, it's, it's the last, last it's the last digit. digit. So 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 a ten would become zero, eleven would become one, and what you're trying to yep. do is end up with the highest hand. So the best point value you could get is nine. So yep. like a seven and a two would be nine, and then at the worst, seven and two could do would be. Tie because if if the other one has a nine, then you tie. If any other hand, you win. So so what they're trying to do is if you know the first card dealt to you is going to be a seven, eight, or nine. If you know that before you actually bet, then you know that uh, you place a big bet out because those are the first, the best first cards to have. Because exactly, and and the reason these are so good to have is because the face cards are worth zero. So they don't affect anything. So if you have a nine, any face card still keeps you at nine. If you have an eight, any face card. Uh, we'll keep you at eight, and an ace will we'll make it nine. So in so, essence, are good that you want face cards when your first card is a seven, eight, or nine. Yes. That's what you want. Yes. So that's so that's what they're doing there. Is be there's so many cards there that will keep your your hand good, whereas uh, the other cards delta you you can get anything. So th- that's what you're looking for. So that's what when they could see a seven, eight, or nine was going to be their first card, then they were able to then they place a big bet out there, and it's not impossible to lose, but uh, you, you have a big edge. I don't know what the percentage edge was, but you had a big edge. So that's that's what they I were thought. Doing. I read it. It actually put it somewhere in the thirty percentile range for them. Yeah, it's a very that, big edge. Yeah, you had to yeah, run pretty bad yeah. to lose there. Yeah. So. So yeah, and so and then baccarat isn't like blackjack. It's it's not a thinking game. Everything's already determined the second the cards are shuffled. Meaning you can't make a decision. It's just there's a set of rules in which you know when cards are distributed and you know how it's added and that's it. Like there's nothing you can do to affect the outcome. Like blackjack. Oh, I'm going to split. I want to stay. I want to hit. It's not like that. You're literally just—it's predetermined, and you're just betting on which side you think will win. It's like basically like if you flip a coin. It's almost the same as that, except for you know there's a little big a bit of vig. But in terms of that, there's absolutely no skill in baccarat. Yeah, you could None. you could train a monkey to play it. Yeah, it is. You're just picking okay banker, and oh, it's a banker. Now you look like a genius. Oh, I'm going to say it's a player this time. Oh my god, you know you know how to play this game. It's just that simple. There's nothing you do to control the outcome. So. But it's one of the oldest casino games, and, you know, I don't know about now, maybe, but I know when I first moved to Vegas, it, it brought in more revenue than blackjack or any other table game, and that was because it was the uh, the table game that high rollers, specifically those in Asia, love to play with the biggest money. So when Kerry Packer would come here, and he's not even Asian back in the day, that's what he would play. He'd play, you know, 100, 200,000, maybe even a quarter million a hand of Baccarat. And a lot of other Asian whales, especially before Macau, they would come in here and, you know, some were playing four or $500,000 hands of, of Baccarat. You know, that was where the table game revenue all came from. It could literally break, it would literally break or make a casino's quarter, just their Baccarat revenue. Yeah. It's it, called Big Bock. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's, it is very popular with high rollers and uh, I'm not sure why they love it so much, but they, it's it just, it, because of the, there's no skill aspect. So that's what's always surprised me that it's so popular with the high rollers, but it, but it always has been. Well, you know, and just prestige in it, like the Big Bock, which is, it's dealt in the high limit rooms at the Wynn, at the Bellagio, at the Aria. There's a, a, a 
like basically a pit boss that's overseeing the game. He's wearing a tuxedo. Okay, he's not just wearing you know a, a normal like floorman suit. And then there's a dealer also dressed up on the player side that deals the players' cards. And then there's one on the bank side. And it's a big table, like maybe four or five times the size of a normal blackjack table. And everyone that's betting on the player, uh, you know, is rooting for one side. Everyone, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll be playing heads up. Other times there'll be four or five or six people at the table. But what happens is, say there's a lot of money. Say a guy bets 100000 even 5000 10000 on the bank. He'll get his first two cards. He'll get the cards. Like, the dealer will deal them to him. And this is why people love Big Bach, because you can touch the cards. So, okay. Let's take it to another level. Dude bets a hundred thousand, which I've seen so many times I can't even remember. Someone bets an outrageous amount, like a house, on one hand. Dealer dressed up in, in a tux slides him two cards. He slowly starts bending one of the cards, okay, to look at it to see if it's a good card or a good starting card or not, okay, or know to know what he wants to sweat for for the second card, okay. So this part. Normally isn't that long. Maybe it will take 30, 45 seconds. So say the player turn, turns over a nine. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean the player, but the guy that bet on the bank, $100,000, he turns over a nine. That's a great card. That's a great first card. But say you turn over an ace for your second card, it's, it, then you have zero. You know, your nine is a terrible card, but you have all, all the face cards in the deck. You have another nine to make an eight, which is strong, et cetera, et cetera. So the second card, he starts peeling, and this can take minutes. Like it's not it's not quick, you know. You can just flip it over, but Asian players and other players in general that love Bakura tend to just kind of it's called peeling. They just peel the card a little bit, a little bit, and then normally they'll make some kind of verbal announcement. It could even be like yes, or they'll you know get pissed off and throw the card, or you know whatever it may be. And that's how you can tell, even if you're five ten feet away. Uh, if it's a good card, so the same guy betting a hundred thousand. If his first card's a nine, and he turns over a face card, he's gonna, you know, cheer. He's gonna show some sort of elation. And if it was like an, a zero, you know, meaning an ace, and he ends up losing the hand, he's even allowed to rip up the card, like literally tear it up. So that's why in Bakura, you they never recycle the cards. Once that shoe is over, it's done. Like they don't even sell them in a the casino. They literally shred the cards because they're in such bad shape. But if anyone's really interested, uh, Big Bakura is only going to be in high limit rooms, but it really is interesting to watch. If uh, you can get into a room and just, you know, watch from a distance and, you know, without bothering anyone, I suggest you do it because it's really interesting because there's so many rituals and, uh, you know, just things that have gone on in that game for hundreds of years and people seem to honor it. Um, and it's a classy game. Everyone's always, you know, drinking, wine, you know, fine wine. Women tend to be dressed up while they're playing. It's almost kind of like out of a James Bond movie or yeah, something. Yeah, that's what I've seen so. when I've looked in there. But now, now, how close can an average person get, though? I would think if they get too close to it, they'll be chased away, especially if there's high limits. Um, yeah, probably. I know, like, in the Venetian, the Palazzo, when I've gone into the high limit room, if I've had ships in my hand and I'm kind of pretending like I'm considering sitting down, they usually leave me alone. If you were just sitting there lurking for a while and it's obvious you don't have any you know, intention of playing, it also depends on you know, how you're dressed and who's sitting at the table and how much you're betting. Um, you, know, you, you could get kicked out immediately or you could just be left alone. And, you know, it just depends. But when I go, I have chips in my hand. Like, you know, and I, and I don't do it 
much anymore because I've seen a lot of it. And, you know, it, it's not anything new to me anymore. But uh, in the beginning when I was interested, that's what I do. I just just carry some chips, shuffle them in my hand, look like I'm thinking about playing. And I'd stay for about five, seven minutes. And I, I don't recall ever being asked and I you know, asked to leave. And I, I keep a respectful distance. I would never, like, be over someone's shoulder. Um, but if you're there and, you know, some of these players that are there, they have bodyguards, like, literally next to them or right behind them that are that are just keeping an eye on them because they're worth so much in life. They're betting so much. Not even casino like bodyguards. They're their own security force. And they'll come up to you. That's happened to me a couple times. Um where literally someone has like told me to get the you know, basically get the fuck out of there. And I don't know, you know, I don't remember ever seeing like who the person was, but it had to be somebody that was worth a fucking ton or very important to have their own security personnel like in a high limit area like that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I see. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I, I knew about it all going on in there, but I've never even thought of going in. I always thought I'd be unwelcome, just kind of going in. Especially, no, I mean, well, because the thing is, like, okay, in the Venetian, and we're not talking about a salon. Like in the like the private salons, you couldn't even get in. But in the high limit areas, like you can walk in there because you can sit down and play. You don't have to have any private, you know. No, I know, but you know, it, it just felt process. weird because everybody's so, everybody's all dressed up, and I'm not. It just, I just right. kind of feel what out I'm of saying place. Is if you had chips and you look like you're a player and you're wandering, because it's also like there's you know a blackjack table, there's a roulette table, and you're kind of wandering and not making it obvious that you're just loitering. You know what I mean? Like just make it look like you're considering playing. You're looking around. You're looking at the limits, but you're watching. It, no one's gonna say nothing to you. Like you know, yeah. It, 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 you know what I'm saying? Because they don't know. Like, you may go sit down and play, so they're not going to kick you out. But if you sat there for, you know, 20 minutes and it's obvious you're not doing anything but watching, someone may come up and say, sir, can we help you? Like, are you going to play? And then, you know, if you're not, they'll tell you to leave. That's it. All right. Well, good. So, yeah. All yeah. right. So I, I want to talk about something else here. Uh, I got a response from Danielle Burreal, who is now kind of taking responsibility finally for running again. No, that's the other Danielle. That's the that's the COVID Danielle. The, the, Danielle Anderson has COVID. This Danielle, I think, is still healthy. The, not the girl from uh, Twitter. No, this. Well, this is. She's also now on Twitter, but this is the one who's well, running. I thought one of the Danielles didn't respond on Twitter. You said. Yeah, that's that's the one who is responding now. She uh, wasn't before. You haven't alienated her yet. Well, we probably will soon. But Danielle Burreal, who is on Twitter as Ye Gone Y E E G O N E. She is the one who is in charge of WSOP.com and has been since September, but would not take responsibility publicly for it, probably because Bill Reaney, the previous person who was in charge, scared her into believing that trolls are going to harass her. When, so actually, really, is she won't confirm or deny, but it's not a secret? The, they won't, yes, she won't yes. admit it, but it's not a secret. Right. It's, very much like, it's very much like that, yes. Okay. Thank so you. She, right, that's all I wanted. Yeah. So she, she still has not officially said, hey, everybody, come to me with questions. But if, now, at least if you come to her with questions, she answers you. So I, I gave a shot. She I, may literally be the most passive tournament director or poker manager in the world. Is that, I mean, really? So, so, far, she, right? so far, she might be. So I, this is what I, I tweeted to her, and I, I actually got a response on July 12th because I saw she was tweeting to other people. She's slowly coming out of her shell and being willing to, to answer questions. So I said, hi, Danielle. Would you be able to tell us why no li- no limit hold'em? I mean, I didn't mean no limit hold'em. I meant no limit hold'em, like why there isn't any limit hold'em. Bet it all. You can bet it all on any any two cards. Yeah, that one. No, you can't bet it on. Can you tell us why? Oh, there- you mean limit hold'em? Yes, yes. I, I said no limit hold'em. I meant why there isn't any limit hold'em. Yeah, so, I should have phrased that. Better, I, I should have. When I, when I no, when I looked at it afterwards, very like, very good. Normally, with your words, I must say, yeah, you no, I, I blew that one. In this case, yeah. you weren't. 
that uh, why, why there's no limit hold'em or stud tournaments. We're scheduled. Not no limit hold'em. You're talking about yeah, yes. why there isn't any limit hold'em. This this is like a bad who's on first routine. But, uh, anyway, okay, for the record, so I really I'm not trolling you. So I understand you're talking about you want to know why they aren't any limit hold'em yes, events. Yes, yes, or stud. Why didn't you just said that. Why would you say no limit hold'em? Because I said, can you tell me this why there's no limit hold'em events? Do you understand how? <laughs> yes. But, okay. Okay. After right, I wrote right. it, I realized it was phrased poorly, but she understood. I'll give her credit there. But I said, can you tell us why there's no limit hold'em or stud tournaments where they were scheduled for this year's World Series of Poker? Uh, I assume it's it's possible. Because, I assume it's possible because the software spreads both games. So she wrote back. Would love to run stud, but while we have the ability to spread cash, we don't have the software capabilities to allow us to run as a tournament, which is odd, but that's what she's claiming. Uh, working on putting in limit hold'em tournaments in the future. So first of all, props to her for understanding my tweet, because I agree it was not clear. What just reminds me of... What? Can I tell you? Yes. Culinary. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's culinary. Where I was right, it turned out. I was actually right. Okay, so so she said that they're working on putting in limit hold'em tournaments in the future, but the stud, the software has to be modified to run tournaments, which is weird because if the software can spread stud, shouldn't it be like super simple to run a stud tournament? I can tell you from a software standpoint, the hard po- the hard part in creating tournaments is the whole process of the tournament, the the breaking tables, the switching people around, the keeping track of people's places, and and all that. That's the hard thing. Once you have that all set up, which they do, it's very easy to just say, well, okay, instead of running limit hold'em, instead of running no limit hold'em, run stud here instead and do it the exact same way. Like, I don't understand why that should not have been in the software. But I'll believe her that it's just not in the software. But limit hold'em tournaments I know are in the software because they've run them before. Not as World Series events, but they have run limit hold'em yeah, tournaments. On- it's 2020. Like, shouldn't that just be a very quick fix well no how hard can it be well no i know that it isn't easy because any fix to wsb.com this is the fault of nevada regulators not theirs has to be certified by the gaming commission and it's a whole long process it's stupid but that's the way it is so now they could have done this in advance but at least i can understand like if if they threw this together like weeks beforehand why they couldn't have the stud tournaments but to have Zero limit hold'em tournaments when they did have that capability, and she's admitting they did, is crappy. So she said, so I wrote back, thanks for the response. Can you please explain what you mean by working on putting limit hold'em tournaments in the future? If the software can do it, isn't it just a matter of setting them up and letting them run? Now, that, that was me being polite and saying, like, okay, if it could have been done, why didn't you? But I tried to be a little nicer. So she wrote, uh, so she just wrote back, stud tournaments is not, are not a capability. Limit Hold'em is available, but we need to schedule. So it's basically saying they screwed up and uh, they should have put Limit Hold'em in, but they overlooked it. That's that's if you read between the lines what she's saying there. She she also said re- regarding the stud thing also needs testing, approvals, and terms and conditions, but we're working on it. So the, I don't know what they're working on because they're not going to get it done in time for this year's the online next World pandemic. Series. Yeah, I, I guess. Well, it, yeah, it could be that the pandemic's still here in 2021, and they got to run it then. But it's a, it that's just I don't know how they overlook it. Like, okay, they have software that has limitations, so they can't run mixed games, and there's certain maybe they can't run stud tournaments. But you'd say, well, okay, okay, stop. But see, this is the problem. Okay, I'm not trying to make this moon girl mad, but 
it's been eight, nine years almost. I mean, they they could have done this by now. Yes, it's eight, nine years. That's all. I mean, like it's a new site. Like, okay, you know, we're doing things slow. We got to get a, you know momentum. We're gonna do this. We're gonna. It's been it's been almost a decade. It's almost, well, almost a decade. They don't have horse. I mean, they can't even deal a horse. Well, they, you know, but they can they can deal limit hold'em, and they chose not to. Instead, they ran just a ton of no limit hold'em and like a few PLO and 108 tournament. It's crazy. Like, why why not give a little more variety, well, especially because it's that's online? That's got to be because of the numbers that they were concerned. Listen, some of these tournaments are getting like 600 people. They're not like crazy numbers. They're less than I thought. So they run a thousand dollar limit hold'em. It might only get two or three hundred people, man. Then let how it. many? And they they don't want that. That's, Why? It's, that's, it's easy to run. Tell you that. Why? It's easy to run. It doesn't cost them anything. That if, I mean, if they do one a day, it's, they're not going to make as much money as they would in rake versus having a four hundred dollar no limit where there's going to be you know three thousand entries. Okay, or, but you know he, counting rebuys. But they don't have that's any fine. physical table space to so run two at once. Just say okay at the at this like three hours after the no limit starts, run a limit tournament, and if you can make it, you make it. You can even multi table. This is it's okay. Not, this is a problem though. They don't want. They already know that there are people that are upset with the brand, okay, that think that this is disrespecting the brand. They don't want to further it by having some limit hold'em event, which, I mean, I would play it. So I'm not, you know, I'm not disrespecting limit hold'em, but they don't want to further, you know, tarnish it by having a limit hold'em event that might have 100 people in it or 120 people. Okay, I, I mean, you, you're really overstating. If they're getting 600 people for a $1,000 no-limit event, how many do you think they'd get for a limit hold'em? See, there's two, a re- there's two reasons they don't believe that they're worried about that. Number one, during the regular World Series, they run obscure events that get fewer than 100 people. And, well, Danielle and, says you can't speak on her behalf. So you, <laughs> and, and, and second, uh, I, I, I really – because she wasn't saying we're not going to run them. She was saying stud, we just can't because the software can't do it. And, and limit hold them, we just didn't, but we'll, but we'll – we'll, well, Right, but i.e. we just didn't, i.e. because we know it's going to be fail. No, but she seemed I, to be I, indicating I, that, that they're going to, that, that they, they quote, oh, need to stop. schedule. I, th- I think they overlooked it. Is what we I think happened. Bet. We have a bet on Dodgers. I have to look what I think it's thirteen and a half games. We'll make a bet when it, when this pandemic ends next year. If there's you know live everything goes back to normal, there still won't be a limit hold'em event on W. There hasn't been one in the past. Oh no no no! I, I agree. If this pandemic ends and they go back to a normal World Series, there won't be a limit hold'em event on there because there's not many. If you're, they're only going to have like four online events or six online events, they're not going to have a limit hold'em there. Hundred percent. They had they had they had eight or nine last year. They had more okay, last year than with, ever had. Even with nine, there won't be a limit hold'em. But but the, this no, year that was the only, that was the only choice this year the the WCP.com, So that's why it's absurd that they don't have it there, especially with easy. To I run. know, but I'm just saying. Okay, well, you know what? We both have a theory. My theory is that they didn't want the potential for very very low numbers and embarrassment, and they don't want to give away a bracelet with maybe even you know eighty people and. Fine, maybe there there's you know thirty forty rebuys, but I think that's what they were. That's my opinion. I'm not you know I don't know. I don't talk to any of these people on Twitter, but maybe that's what it is. Okay. Well, or maybe I, she didn't even understand your question and she thought you were being crazy because you asked her about having no, no limit when there's plenty of no limit. And she thought you were just maybe mentally ill. No, no, she, she, had, she understood. She said, working on putting in limit holding tournaments in the future. I'll give her credit. She understood my cryptic tweet. She, she understood completely. I will give her a big thumbs up for even right. understanding a tweet that I wrote that was not uh, very well put together. Well, you know, and it sucks for me because if they, does she listen to the show? Do you have any inclination that she does? I don't have an inclination, but I never know. There's people who surprise me sometimes. That listen. listen, I'll tell her. I like this site. Like, you know, I live in Nevada. Let me tell you the pros, okay? Now, this is something I just found out, 
and I want to apologize, or not even apologize because I, I didn't trash them that bad. The problem with the IPs, okay, and this is Danielle's own words. I read this. I read this in an interview on Poker News, okay, or maybe it was Card Player, one of the one of the poker sites. This was recent. Now, this was like in the middle of the World Series. Danielle said the IP issue is because of a rule they have to follow due to Nevada regulations that was passed down to them about two accounts cannot play on, on the same IP. So Danielle said in this interview that they had gotten special permission from Caesars okay, to run during this event multiple IPs at their properties because they knew that that, that would happen. So anyone in the past that's blamed them, oh, you know, I can't even play at this hotel, it's not their fault. It's in the licensing. They had to agree to it. Okay, according to her. Now, I mean, I'm, I, why would she lie? She she said clearly that's why we they've really? come across this why, issue. Why, in the past. why didn't they so say this? Her. But why didn't they say this before? I, I think I do believe her too. I, but I, I'll find the interview. And I'll, I don't know. I, I didn't know either. I read it myself, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Then, like, it's not their fault. Like, you know, you can't blame. Listen, Caesars has a lot of fail. Okay, but you can't blame them for the things that that aren't their fault as well. No, like, I, I agree. Not, if that's the truth, then it's not their fault. I'll but I, I'm just surprised they haven't mentioned this before. But I, I'll tell you what's, this: how do you, spell her, how do you spell her name? Danielle, and what's the last name? B a r i l l e. I'll tell you about the I'll, regulators. The regulators understand online poker very poorly in Nevada, and that's a big problem. And this is one example of it. Of they, course, uh, that, you're right. That's a great point. That's an absolutely great point. So, but even with that said, I was. Within the last 24 hours at a Caesars property, and I tried to sit down at a $2, $4 PLO table, and guess what happened? Yep, I know the IP uh, the IP error you showed like, me. Even regardless of what – yeah. <laughs> yep. So well, I'm going to find this interview, and I'll read it because I didn't know that either. But anyhow, so what I was going to say though, Danielle, if you're listening, uh, you know, I live in Nevada. I like this site because it's legal. You know, I know I'm going to get paid. I, I don't believe I'm being cheated. Um you know, I, I like the fact that it's so easy to posit, you know, for a Nevada resident. 7-Eleven, uh, you know, any of the pay, pay near me places, PayPal, ACH, credit card, go to the Rio, go to Caesars, you know, any of those things. But you got to just like sometimes you all act like you just don't care and you're not trying to make this site better. And people notice like, you know, we want a site that, you know, we know it's not going to be the most populated site, but we want a site that we at least feel like we can take pride in. That you know that we know that we think that you guys care about it, and a lot of your actions just it acts you know it makes us feel as if you're not even trying to make the site better. So yep, that's true. Anyhow, I'm gonna find this interview. You said B A R I L L E. Yeah. Okay, let me find this because I just read this the other day, and it was very very interesting. And uh, let me see. And Danielle has four thousand six hundred forty six dollars in lifetime earnings. In poker, she actually played Danielle in the 2018 Aussie Millions. She went all the way out to Australia and played in a $900 USD or, I guess, Australia dollaring. What's a dollar in Australia called? What's a currency? Just a dollar. The Australian dollar. Is, is it Australia? Okay, the Australian dollar. Okay. And she has a YouTube video. She was she received the, uh, the Caesars Award of Excellence. Did, did you ever talk about this? Yes, I play. If I played the video, that's all right. It was actually a funny video. It wasn't intentionally funny, but it was kind of funny. Well, well, go on to whatever you want to talk about. I'm going to try to find this because okay. this is a good interview to read. Okay, so I'm, go on to the next topic. I will, I will move on to the gonna, next topic. I'll be quiet for a minute. Okay. Sure. Okay. So, uh, moving on, there is uh, an inspiring story that occurred 
at the World Series of Oh my god, I'm sorry, I gotta stop you. Yes. I gotta stop you. This is too funny. Listen, I, I I'll take a screenshot. I type in Danielle Burreal Poker Las Vegas interview. What do you think the first thing that comes up is? Poker Fraud Alert, the latest poker podcast, Poker Fuse. Poker Fraud Alert apologizes to Daniel Anderson. <laughs> That's the first thing that comes up under the other Daniel's name. I'm not making this up. I, anyone that's out there, type in Danielle Burreal, Poker Las Vegas interview. The first thing that comes up, poke, it's Poker Fuse. But, but the headline of the Poker Fuse is in big letters, Poker Fraud Alert, the latest Poker Yeah, I just tried that. Podcast. Yeah, you're right. Poker Fraud Alert apologizes to Daniel Anderson. <laughs> it's highly, isn't that funny? Oh, oh boy! God, like really? Well, like, and up. you know, half of it's a joke with this whole Daniel Anderson, Daniel. But now it's kind of like maybe, maybe it's a, like life or art imitating life, or you know what I mean? Yeah. He's someone at Google was listening. Hmm. Now, Druff, uh, just before we go too far, I did find it was on Poker News, and it wasn't really an interview. I couldn't remember what it was, but it was more just of. Poker News, I guess, having an informal conversation with her about a few things. Now, the name of the article, if you go to Poker News site, Poker News, um, it's under WSOP, and it's prefaced with, doesn't even mention her name in the, in the name of the article. It just says, everything you need to know to compete for a 2020 WSOP.com online bracelet. It tells you how to create an account. Uh, and then what they do is for each little thing about how or what you need to know about WSOP, and some of this is just ridiculous. They go to Danielle, and she has a comment on it, such as how to create an account and verify your identity. Uh, they explain, Poker News explains, and then Danielle Burrell says, all players go through a verification process. <laughs> In the event a player doesn't pass verification, they will be required to upload a copy of their current driver's license. Okay, I don't need to even read any of this because it's, it's obvious stuff. Um, then it gets to connecting from a hotel. And this is the part that I thought was interesting. Say you get a message that says, sorry, you are not permitted to join this tournament. A number, another member with an identical IP address is already playing in this tournament. This is what Poker News says. Then after it follows with Danielle Burrell of WSOP.com says that this shouldn't be an issue for Nevada players. Nevada regulators, and this is a quote, Nevada regulators have approved the whitelisting. I don't know what that word means, by the way. Have approved, we'll go to draft for a translation. They have approved the whitelisting of Caesars Hotel property IPs, okay, for WSOP online bracelet events from July 1st to July 31st. We are still, though, however, waiting for approval from New Jersey regulators to approve New Jersey Caesars properties whitelisting. Players attempting to play right now from the same physical residential address will not be allowed uh, to play MTTs, sit-and-goes, or cash games as state regulators in both Nevada and New Jersey prohibit multiple accounts playing on the same IP address. I did not know that, Druff. I didn't know that that was actually a regulation thing. I just thought that they hadn't figured out a way to get around it or to safely do it. I thought it was in their software. I don't know. Um, but as Poker News suggests, players have found a simple workaround. Instead of logging in while connected to the shared internet, use a hotspot from your cell phone. I mean, really, how creative. <laughs> I mean, that's not like it's a secret. I know. So then actually, they actually have a, a, a tweet posted from someone named Anthony Pacetta. This is on Poker News. Heads up, yo. Hotspots for phones work. Once you reg for a tournament, on your hotspot, connect to the Wi-Fi. 
and then it, he's basically saying it won't kick you out again. If you if you register while on a hotspot, you don't have to play the entire turn. Oh, I see. Just, just, just disconnect the hotspot and just go on regular yep. Wi-Fi. Yep. Okay, that's good. And that's I a good think, tip. Hold on, let me just make sure. I think that was all. She said, now what is white, whatever I said the word, whatever, what's the white? Okay, whitelisting. White. So let me explain what she said. She, what yeah. she was saying is that she actually, they actually got permission that all Caesars properties would get, it was an exception being made, that all the IPs at Caesars properties could be duplicated, that state regulators were willing to make an exception because they did this in advance, that for this month only, when the World Series of Poker is going on, that they will allow people to be at the same IP if at one of the Caesars properties. That's what you're trying to say. But apparently that didn't work because you ran into that. Unless it's only at events and not at uh, maybe now, maybe at cash games, it doesn't apply. Poker News also asked Danielle about various player concerns regarding multi-accounting and ghosting. Bereal responded, WSO – this isn't really a good response, Danielle. Well, I, don't, you know, I shouldn't say that. Draft, you tell me. If you think this is a good response. Okay. When, when Danielle was asked about co- players' concerns regarding multi-accounting and ghosting, Burrell responded, WSOP.com is fully regulated and licensed in Nevada and New Jersey to the highest international standards. We have a sophisticated risk and fraud model to, the, to detect fraudulent player behavior. The software detects VPNs and similar scripts. WSOP has run dozens of online bracelet events without incident. <laughs> But uh, um, yeah, it was a ridiculous answer. The, the thing is, the VPNing is only a concern really if somebody is trying to play from a jurisdiction they're not supposed to be in. But that's not the concern here. The, the concern here is that well, it could be in the sense during the World Series, I guess. But any other, I mean, but, but you know what? Maybe it wouldn't be because I'll get to the next point of how you actually go about getting your bracelet when we're done. But go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. So so it's very easy to multi-account. For example. You have two computers, you have one computer play on your regular IP, and your other computer you have through your hotspot. There's no way they can detect that. They, there's absolutely no way they can detect that, and uh, you, you, you play in both. You could play both accounts sitting one right next to the other. Maybe you'll end up at the same table as yourself, and you can really collude with yourself. Uh, or, of course, there's also ghosting. You could uh, You could... Either have a better player just come over and help you, but there's or, no way. There's nothing anyone could do. No, there's no that. way. So that's what the answer yeah. should be. The answer should be online poker is just different. It's not going to happen for the most part. There may be a few incidents of this. Unfortunately, sure. in online poker, that's always the way it has been. Uh, yep. and, and you just and need I'm to be sure. Used to that. I get she has to give the politically correct answer, but that's what always bothers me when I know there's no way to stop it. Like you should just. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm. I don't know. Not that I'm insulted, but you know what I mean. Like I just know that that's not true. Yeah, like it's just going to happen. Like it shouldn't just be okay. So anyhow, then it goes on. You can give your comments when we're done. I'm almost done here. Then it goes on to say Daniel states that the winner. This is interesting. The winner of each bracelet, WSOP.com, will be contacted by a representative within forty hour, forty eight hours, uh, to find out your address where to mail the bracelet. There also is a weekly virtual. I don't even know. I didn't know this. There's also a weekly virtual bracelet ceremony and a weekly virtual or bracelet press conference and physical WSOP gold bracelets will be mailed to you to your registered address on file. Um, yeah. Well, I heard that. I heard that. I heard that part. Oh, so the, the virtual ceremony, if we, if we don't know about it, who's, who's watching doing it? I've never seen any of it and I'm on every day. Yeah. Who's watching it? You know, like who's watching it? If nobody knows what's going on. 
Oh, it says it here. Like it's on the article with her. I believe you. I just don't know where it is you or know, how. It's so funny. Even poker news, like they don't have her name even on. Like if you don't just didn't just randomly read the everything you need to know to compete for a 2020 online bracelet, you wouldn't know she was in there speaking on behalf of the WSOP.com. It's almost like even in that she's anonymous. <laughs> I think she was scared by by Bill Reaney. That's what because Bill Reaney. The problem is he did a crappy job. He avoided people. He was passive aggressive. People got tired of it. People got angry, and, and then people started to bash him on Twitter because he was being unresponsive and difficult, and uh, and 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 people were sensing it. And people, you know, like. It would go a long way for Danielle if she – I know there's – I've read it. There's a WSOP thread on 2 plus 2. Like jump into something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just that's... participate with the community. Let them know that you're here, you're listening. Even if you can't do everything they want, at least – you know what I mean? Just actively show that you're there and you're, you're right. trying and that, you're responsive. That's, that's and what she doesn't that understand. That goes a long way. That's what it she really doesn't does. understand is that as long as she's not crappy like Bill, people will be understanding. They're not looking for perfection. They just want someone I mean, who seems to care. The hero poker CEO, buddy, he could have been caught with a prostitute doing crack cocaine <laughs> back in the day, and people would have still loved him because why? He was accessible. He came on radio. He came in the threads. He he met somebody at a bar. Who did he meet? He met someone from Donkdown at a bar at the Palms one morning and had a drink with them. <laughs> so I remember that story. I don't know who it was. I mean, I don't think they met. Like It was a random thing that they were there but like, remember that guy? Mm-hmm. What was his name? Like David Jong, David Jong, yeah, yeah, Jong, yeah, Jong, yeah, yeah, something like that. Something David Jong, Jung, yeah, something Jong. Anyhow, yeah. So, Danielle, if you are listening, that's what you need to do. Like, don't don't be afraid. Like, you know, you're obviously they feel you're qualified for this position. Just, you know, let's turn this thing around. Yeah, you know, I'm looking now, and you know, it's funny because the site is busier than it's ever been, and obviously, part of it's a pandemic, and part of it is the. Uh, I think it's mostly the pandemic. Uh, WSOP, right. <laughs> There's, you know, various PLO, PL, Parliament Omaha games all the way up. I've seen 5,100 and 100, 200. That, that never goes. In fact, those limits weren't even there. So I would love to think that they would take this momentum and try to keep it going. It probably won't. Okay. That's, right. So with, with that, there was a, a very heartwarming story that came out of the online bracelet series. Now, when you think of online poker... Who do you think of as being uh, the ones who would have an edge in these events? Who would you picture? If you just kind of picture of a generic person winning young an online wizards. poker event. Yes, young, yep. young wizards who are, who are just very, very experienced with online poker, who are very experienced with playing poker through like a, a lot of different tables and, and running these uh, analysis tools and, and, and playing millions of hands. That's who you expect to win. The ones you least expect to win are old people. You wouldn't expect an old guy to be competitive at an online poker event. In fact, it's rare for someone who's old to win a bracelet at all these days. So uh, they're – in fact, to show you how true that is, at the main event – which, by the way, skews a lot older in general as far as the average age of the average player. Uh, by the time I got to day five, or forget forget day five, by the time I got to mid-day four at the main event last year, I was the oldest one at the table. And it's, uh, that wasn't a surprise. I was actually the youngest one at my first table. Actually, the youngest. And then by mid-day four, I was the oldest one at the table. Now, strangely enough, the winner of the main event was older than me, but that was unusual. It's uh, poker has 
really skewed young as far as the skilled players go. And online poker has always been that way. In fact, when I sit at uh, a Bovada game, a Bovada cash game, I assume I'm the oldest one there. I'd be very surprised if there are many opponents I ever have. I'm not saying I'm the oldest one ever, but I think most days when I sit at a six-handed table, I am the oldest one there on Bovada. So that's why it is surprising that the winner of an online bracelet this year was born in 1949. 1949 he was born and won an online bracelet. He had never played online poker before in his life. Now, he does have poker results. He, he got very deep in a, a seniors event. So this, is, this guy is obviously a good player. He, his name is Ron McMillan. He's from Iowa, but he traveled to Las Vegas to play the uh, World Series of Poker online. Uh, you see a picture of him playing, a video of him playing, because someone took a video of the final hand he had. And he was in some house, so I don't know if he has a second house in Vegas or he was renting a house, but he was in a house, not a hotel room, it looks like. At least I think it was a house. You know what? It could have been a hotel. I, I thought it was a house, but now that I'm looking, it could have been a hotel. Well, whatever it was, he he's there with uh, two other guys uh, who are younger than him. One of them looks middle-aged and one of them looks younger than that. But... Uh, you get to see the moment when he wins. He won event number nine, the $1,000 No Limit Hold'em six max of all things. So it wasn't even like a full table event. He, he actually won the six max. Like, like how unlikely is it that the six max event is going to be won by a guy born in 1949 online? But that's what happened. Yeah. He, had, he had never played poker before. His name was Mac Daddy 15 also a name you wouldn't expect for a guy born in 1949. But here's the nine-second video of the all-in and him winning and the reaction that the other two guys with him, I don't know if they were family or friends, the reaction they gave when he won. Yes! So the yes at the end was, was him. And you can clearly see he looks like a 70-year-old. And there's something likable about him. He kind of looks like just kind of like a nice grandfatherly guy. I don't know anything about him other than that he's had other poker results in the past. But, yeah, it was his first time ever playing online poker. Forget online tournaments. Like, he, he registered, and that was his very first online p- poker experience ever. And he won the six max. So that's, wow. uh, that, that got a lot of attention. That was actually probably the Help. biggest story out of the World Series so far. Other in other poker news, do, do we? Did you have anything else? Yes, yes, we we have one more story which you actually okay. made it. You made you made reference to it at the beginning of the of when you came on here. Uh, th- there is a World Series of Poker bracelet winner who did it from a Whole Foods parking lot, and it just so happened he's also uh, one of these uh, YouTube streamers. This is and he's Ryan- also an America America's card room. Uh- Sponsored pro. Yes. I know that because they sent me an email yes. like yesterday announcing and praising him. I had no idea. So this is Ryan DePaulo, who previously we talked about on this show because there was some controversy where he got thrown out of the Borgata for filming people. And I actually understood the criticism of him 
uh, at the time because he was claiming, oh, they, they threw me out for filming and they didn't warn me. They just kicked me. And that, that wasn't true. What had happened was he was filming in there and, and um, he wasn't supposed to. And there was one security guard who's like, hey, man, just, you know, I don't want to throw you out and be the jerk. So just, just do it when I'm not around. I, I don't want to see it. So Ryan took that to mean – Oh, okay. Well, I can do it. That's not what the, the security guard saying. You can't do it. But I'm just not going to be the one to throw you out. But just don't get me in trouble because don't do it in front of me, so I don't have to be responsible for not kicking you out. So then, some other security guard caught him and kicked him out, and, and he was crying foul. The, the other thing was that uh, there were people who were complaining they didn't want to be recorded, and he wasn't respecting that. So, like th- that sort of thing was happening. A lot of uh, some people liked him. Some people liked his uh, the, the attitude, the brash attitude that he would have. Uh, he has kind of like this brash New York uh, type attitude, and and that's fine. But uh, I, I didn't understand his complaints about Borgata. I, I totally understood where they were coming from. I don't watch any of these type of guys. I don't watch these uh, YouTube uh, poker guys, so I don't know that much about him. I, the, the only time I watched him was during that controversy. Uh, since then, I haven't thought of him. But he was in a Whole Foods parking lot to play a World Series of Poker online bracelet event and ended up winning. And I believe the reason he was in the Whole Foods parking lot, yet none of the articles I read said this, is you can tell me if I'm right about this, Brandon, if you know, it's that he lives in New York and you yes. have to be in New Jersey he to He drives play this. over yeah. and he just tries to find a place to play that has an internet access. Yep. That was correct. that was just my guess because it didn't none of them explained it. Like why he's there. He just mentioned he won from a parking well, lot. If but, you look at his Twitter, sometimes he'll tweet before a tournament he found a house to play in or he found a place to play in. <laughs> so like it's every time it's it's something different. Yeah, and I think that like, makes you know the story I mean? somewhere different. He's trying to play it. Yeah, I think that makes it more interesting. Not just that he happened to be playing from a parking lot, but that he actually was playing from a parking lot because he's from a different state, and that's he's just trying to find anywhere that would let him that where he can play. So he he drove across the state border at, from New York and and found a Whole Foods where he could play, presumably on their Wi-Fi or something, and played and won. And he was he was there pretty late too, because these events run late if you're going to get all the way deep enough to win. So he played and won, which is <laughs> – that that is an interesting story. And so that was shared everywhere. It was kind of an oddity of the World Series. So we kind of had two oddities. One was a guy who was actually playing from a parking lot on purpose and, and wins. And the other one is that a, a guy wins a six-max event who was born in 1949. So those, and I got something else for you similar. And what, what is the other thing you have? So part of the intrigue for me – and what I've been doing uh, normally, the you know the morning after an event ends, is I get to look on Poker News or the WSOP, and I get to see the real names behind some of these accounts. Now, in all fairness, a lot of them just registered for the WSOP, or they've registered and they live out of state and they only play during the WSOP. But there are some well-known pros that live in Nevada. You know, or that make you know the, their home here, and others that are here a lot or whatever it may be. And I'm starting now to find out the names. Some cases, even people that I've played with. So there is a certain account, and I have no problem even saying this because it's a thousand percent true. And anyone that's played low, mid, even high stakes PLO will know this to be true. There is an account that's been playing for a number of years, at least, on WSOP called Texas Molly. One word. Instead of Texas Dolly, Texas Molly. Now, this person was one of the most foul mouth and antagonistic, 
poor sports that you could play with. Anyone that plays PLO that looks at the chat, of course, would know who this person is. Like in terms of like being outrageous in the chat, who will curse at you. I mean, if you get it in good, you know, and I'm talking about like, you know, the way the chat used to be, I, you couldn't say like, fuck you, but you would like change like one letter and then you could just type that like, or you'd add a letter. Like you could write F U C C K and it would go through. You know what I mean? So, so any, but everything was, I know, everything was like that. It's probably why they, they, so with this person, you get it in good, he goes off on you. You get it in bad, and then you beat him, he goes off. Just really, really bad. Really, really foul mouth, and he's all over the place. And I, I've, I saw him one night lose about fourteen or $1,500 in an hour in a 1-2 PLO game. Okay, and I don't know if maybe he has a ton of money. He didn't care. Probably not. When I tell you who it is, it it's changes the story. But no matter what, he's very fa- he's probably the worst of the worst when it comes to just being a poor sport and really saying just terrible things. You know, like you know, die of AIDS. I mean, just really bad things. So anyhow, I had no idea who it was. You know, people don't say who their real names are, and I never would have known except for this individual, Texas Molly, finished third place. <laughs> In a WSOP no limit tournament for seventy something thousand, uh, maybe five nights ago. So it's in the last week. And this person, who, if you're an old school poker player, even a poker boomish type follower, will know who it is. If you're relatively new, like five the last maybe five to seven years, you probably don't know the name. Um, but Druff, go ahead and tell them who is it. I'm that referring is to Sam Grizzle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good sound. Yep. Now tell them, Jeff, what Sam Grizzle uh, in the poker room initially. And I'm not talking about all the stories and rumors about his behavior, but in terms of just gaining notoriety. Do you remember how he gained notoriety in the poker room? Well, I remember about the, the punching Phil Helmuth. There was a video story. on WSOP that did like one of their little segments, and in that segment, it explained that they had a long-standing feud, and he had apparently there were claims that he had punched out Phil Helmuth. Yes. Yes. Um, how would you describe Sam Grizzle? I mean, you've been around, you know, not as long as Sam has. Sam's definitely, he's got to be in his late sixties, more likely early seventies, but Druff, you've been around 20 yeah. years. How would you describe Sam Grizzle? Well, do you have any encounters with him? Well, not, not encounters. I, I, I have played with him before, uh, occasionally at Bellagio and there was nothing that interesting that happened there when, when he was at the table. Uh, he, he's kind of just, he's kind of a, a brash, Grumpy older guy who uh, who can get uh, uh, aggressive and nasty if if you piss him off or if he just is in a bad mood or if he even perceives that you pissed him yes. off. You don't even have to do anything, really. He, on, on UB, I was there one time when he was playing many years ago, and he was bragging about it that he's so rich that uh, he just ordered a two hundred dollar delivery meal just for him from Piero's, which is uh, an Italian restaurant in Vegas. And he was bragging that uh, that's how rich he is, that uh, he's got a $200 takeout meal just for himself or a delivery meal just for himself. And uh, I remember that. I, I haven't had any real encounters with him myself other than playing with him a few times. I know that he was, like many poker players, someone who was went from having money to not having money and didn't have very good bankroll management, but that's not unique among poker pros obviously uh, as far as his poker play I'm, I'm looking on the Hendon mob as far as tournaments go he, he the last tournament result he had was a 
1K World Series event in uh, in June of 2018. There's actually the Super Seniors. He got uh, 30 seconds. That means he did they change it to 60 that year? Or is it 65 in 2018? I know it's 60 now, but uh, I get. I think maybe that. Was the I don't remember year. the year. What Druff? What does it show as his highest uh, tournament win? His highest tournament win. It's usually in the top left. Was, of yeah, it was uh, 70,000. So okay, so he just had his high. He had like 72, 77. It definitely was over 70,000. So he literally had his highest. This guy goes back 40 years. He had his, and he's a tournament player. He, he has a, he had his highest ever score at the ripe young age of, I don't know, late 60s, early 70s, and it was online. Wow. Amazing, huh? Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he finished uh, first at some kind of thing called the uh, 7th Annual Diamond Event in, in 1991 for 70,000. 70, that was that was his biggest cash almost 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so at this rate, he'll surpass this when he's a little bit maybe either right at 100 or a little over 100. Yeah, and I, I was – it's it's I in 1991 when he had his previous bigger biggest cash I wasn't even able to play poker yet I was only 19 that's how long ago that was what year is it you said 91 91 yeah I was 16 wow Jesus <laughs> you weren't even legal yet I was I wasn't legal enough to gamble then that trader Ruski here he was old my enough to play my little buddy PLOL he wasn't even born that's my start yeah. PLOL wasn't even born yet, Druff. No, I thought he just. Tur- I know, I thought he just turned thirty. Uh, he's twenty nine. I thought he said he just turned thirty. Well, maybe he did. Okay, then you know. Then if not, he was. He, he couldn't walk yet. Maybe yeah. he was born, but he couldn't. He was crawling. If he yeah. was, I'll get some clarification on this. But when, when I heard he turned thirty, that was kind of shocking to me. I always just see him as like a kid. I'm like, what? He's thirty? Like, I couldn't. I couldn't how, old, how old? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's been in his twenties way too long. Like, I, and for I asked him once if he was lying about his age because it feels like he's been like in that twenty four to twenty six, twenty seven year range for like a decade now. Maybe that like is why because I, I don't know. I just always picture him as, as being there, I guess, perpetually because he just seems yeah. so much younger than me. I just thought he was kind of mid twenties, and when I hear thirty, I go, "Wow!" I, he now even he's thirty. Crap. Of course, I'm getting close to fifty, so I guess that makes sense. Jesus. Unbelievable. So anyhow, I thought it was interesting that, yeah, like this guy who I had no idea. Like I thought it could just be a random person. He was so brutal. I Listen, I never get mad. I mean, he he could put the worst beat on me. Like even if it was like a big pot, like he could say something. I'm never going to snap and react. But like he'd write some like, some bad shit. And, like, you know, some, sometimes it would make me laugh. Sometimes I'd feel bad like for whoever he was talking to. And it's just if he never finished – you know, and that made the final table. I never would know that that's who it was. So, anyhow, Wait, hold, hold on. Do you, want, do you want do you want to take a call here? We have a yeah, call sure. coming. I gotta throw throw yeah. a call on the phone here from the eight one three area code. Oh, I know who that is. Hello, I know who that is. <laughs> call, call I'm twenty nine. You're, you're on with oh, your it, friends. Oh, it's P L O L. Wow. Yeah. Hi. You're twenty nine. Well, you know who it is. I'm, I'm twenty nine. Why did you? Hey, hello, buddy. I could have sworn you said thirty. Hey, Brandon. I got it right. I nailed no, it. No. Well, I, I said I was damn near 30. Oh, I, I'm, okay. I missed, I missed so those very, words. I, I nailed it. I yeah, knew he was yeah. 20. Thank you for calling because Druff you know, sometimes shows a lot of confidence, so I start to back down on him. Maybe he is 30. But I <laughs> yeah. thought I was right. Yeah. I mean, you're, I do talk, right, to you, you know, I talk to you almost every day. 
sometimes several times a day, so I figured I knew your age. That one year he sent me a shoe shine kit. What year was that when you sent me a shoe shine kit? He sent, he sent me, me one. For, he sent me one too, actually. Yeah, he sent us both for doing radio together. What year was that, uh, little buddy? Oh, I mean, that had to be 2012, maybe? I would say wow. 2011, 2012. Yeah, that so was. So eight years. So you're only you. You just had become legal. Yeah. yeah was, well, when I started uh, on NWP, I was either 16 or 17 when I started listening. Now, for those that don't know, PLO uh, L is a longstanding member of uh, the forum that this radio show is based off of. Um, and he also famously decided many years ago that it wasn't bad enough that we almost massacred almost all the Indians. He wanted to steal the internet from them too. Um, so I mean, well, now that we got to get into this, we, really. Well now, well, now that we've had you on, this is your most you yeah. know notorious thing. What exactly, for those that don't know or don't remember, uh, why did you have such a beef with the Indians, and why did you want them not to have their own web address? What was that about? <laughs> What did they ever do to you that you don't think they can have their own domain name? That's what I guess the question is. All right. Well, I, I've already uh, I've resolved that issue. But All right. anyway, I, I just wanted to clarify my age. And Druff, uh, thank you for taking the call. <laughs> I was hoping to hear about the idiots, but all, all right. right. All right. Hey, PLO, wow. thanks for calling. I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Listen, I don't think – have you ever yeah. been on radio before, PLOL? I think one time. Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. One time, no, one time okay. ago. No, I'm, here. I'm I'm just kidding. I'm glad to have okay. you on, and he's uh. All right, all right. Okay, thank, thank you, you for the call. Thank have you for the clarification. Show. All right, bye. Goodbye. Yeah. Well, good that's kid. that's good. With a dream. At least we got an answer. Okay, so just to wrap up the Sam Grizzle thing, and any given night, it almost mirrors like how I remembered Sam in real life. I've seen him at the Bellagio back again, you know, during like circa two thousand two, three, four maybe up to like 2010, playing in like high limit games, high no limit games. I've seen him playing $1, $2, okay? I, you know, just it always varies. I think he's the kind of guy, if he runs it up, he just keeps putting his foot on the gas. Yeah. And if he, if he doesn't have money, can't get stakes, whatever it may be, he has to be in some sort of action. So anyway, I've seen the Texas Molly account playing as low as $0.25, cent, $0.50 cent PLO, okay, which is a game where – the max buy-in is fifty, and the min buy-in is twenty dollars. Uh, what do you think he's playing now, PLO wise? He's playing like fifty one hundred or something. He's playing exactly that. I saw him this morning <laughs> play uh, a guy heads up who's way better than him, and I know who it is because he made a PLO final table. So I looked up his name, and and of course he he was crushing it. Like I've been watching him now. He must eat. I mean. I don't know. It's hard to tell because, you know, I'm not always online, but I've seen him win about thirty, forty thousand dollars straight uh on P- in playing fifty one hundred PLO, like over the last two or three days. But I'm not sitting there for hours, like I'll just look, oh, Wait, look, you're, you so, you're, you're saying that Sam is crushing it against this, this yes. player? Wow. He's yes, he's, he's running. Well no. He he was playing heads up early this morning and he beat the guy for like ten thousand. <laughs> like a, a well known, a well respected <laughs> PLO player. Um, his name on WSOP is Irwin uh, Johnson, like based on like Magic Johnson. Yeah. Or Irvin Johnson. Uh, and then I was watching yesterday. He's playing like a nine-handed game, and he has like $28,000 on the table. Everyone else has like 2000 And it's just like a week ago he was playing like he was playing 25 cent, 50 cent. It's just hilarious. It's hilarious. And I didn't know it was him. Like that's what even makes it funnier. But anyhow, I'll try to, to see 
you know, if this run goes on, but I think a lot of it will be if he gets the cash off the site, he'll find something way better in this city to do than play on WSOP.com. But, uh, I mean, it could all be gone now. I haven't been online, you know, all day. But anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is For several runs. And uh, seeing him play such high stakes and, you know, and he tilts too. Like, this morning, like, he's, like, this morning, uh, he lost four. He, you know, he buys him for two thousand, loses it to this guy who's much better. Buys him for two thousand again and loses it, so he's down four thousand. Then, like the next hand, like he gets raised, he just pots it. The other guy had like a good hand, like a suited, like suited aces or at least one suit, you know, with a pair of aces. It doesn't matter. Grizzle pots it again. He builds a humongous pot and they get it all in and like he makes a goofy two pair, like sevens and deuces. Like I mean, you know what I mean? He's just yeah. tilting. Like he just wants to play a big pot and gamble. You know, it's not like any. You know what I mean? It's just like. All right, you know, I'm only going to be like less than a, you know, a little bit maybe a three to two dog, no matter what any random four cards. Let's just gamble. So then I'm, you know, doing my thing. I look back. Next thing I know, he has like, I don't know, like eight, nine, then ten, then twelve thousand. He's crushing this guy, and it's just it's unbelievable. It's, you I, know, I, I wonder if this guy realizes who he is. I wonder if this guy knows he's playing Sam Grizzle. Well, I mean, if you just went and looked on, you know, online. But what I've been doing, I'm nothing wrong with it. I mean, the information's out there. I've been taking screenshots on my phone, and then I'm actually putting it. I'm alphabetizing the names in my computer, so when I'm online, I can look and just see. Because you know, you can get information. Like, yeah. I, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, it's course. public knowledge. So you know, what that does actually remind me of something. Uh, I was talking with Jeannie tonight, and she asked me this, and I I don't know. I didn't know the answer. I told her I'd ask you. I didn't know I was for sure if I was coming on radio, and then she said she was going to investigate it. Now she said she asked me uh, if you register for a WSOP event online before it accepts your registration. Is there some disclaimer that you have to sign or agree to in terms of being them able to release your name? Because you know you play a normal tournament, you play a normal you know cash game. You're anonymous on here. Everyone that makes a final table, their names are being released. So I registered for a tournament just to see if it asked me to confirm anything. Nope, it's just like registering for a dollar sit and go. Just puts me in the field. So my question is, do you think, and this is what I said to her, is it possible it was in the original terms of service that by agreeing to play on this site in any capacity, they could release your name for you know media attention, publicize who you are, any of that? Yeah, it's possible. Not, I, don't, I don't know. That's a good question. If, and how, the, other question how, the other question is, if it's not in there, are they prohibited from it in any way? They may be allowed to do it anyway. They just choose not to. Okay, so that that was a question because you know she she just said, well, you know, I don't want my name to be out there. I don't want to play an event and then you know everyone see who I am. You know, like how would I know? And I, I didn't know the answer. She said she was going to research it, and of course she worked for Poker Stars, and she had said that in their scenario, like before you would do anything, you would have to sign something agreeing to it, or they could never release who you were. They'd be in big trouble, she said. Hmm. You know, meaning like if you won Sunday Million and no one knew who your name was, they couldn't. They unless you agreed to it, they couldn't advertise who you were, or even you know release that name. I, I just got a text from the five hundred five. I've seen that Texas Molly account flip out at twenty five cent, fifty yep. cent, and, yeah, and, absolutely, and, 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 yeah, and, yep. and fifty cent one dollar oh eight. So this person referring yep, to oh eight now. He says, "I assumed he, I assumed he was just drunk. Honestly, his oh eight was shit." <laughs> but that's what's see that's what's so funny you go on there sometimes like sometimes I, I can't sleep so like it's three in the morning it's four in the morning i wake up right or, or i haven't been to bed and the only thing going is like a 50 cent dollar game and you know I, i'll just log in 
and I'm doing a couple things. I'm watching a movie, and he's there, and he's going crazy. Like you would think, like steam is coming out of his like ears wherever he is. Like he's typing in all caps, and he's saying, "You fucking," you know. I'm not even going to say it on radio, but anything bad you can imagine, and it just goes on and on. Like, and it, and then he's quiet if he's winning, so it's not like it's it's a show. Like he's pissed, and it's like, but he's right. It's fifty cent a dollar. Like he's going ape shit. It's fifty cent one dollar limit where the pots are like six, eight, ten dollars. And now he's playing the biggest game on the site. That's why I think it's so funny. And it, and ultimately, if he keeps going, he'll lose because he tilts. Like, even at 70 years old or whatever it is, he does tilt. Like, anyone that's played with him, especially PLO, like, well, well knows he tilts. He'll just start – I mean, unless he's an absolute, seriously, stone-cold millionaire or multimillionaire, no one knows. When he loses, he just starts – potting and potting it doesn't matter and then like he gets it all in and like and you see he has like clean five six three and like you know and then you're like whoa like how is this an 800 dollar pot like yeah you know so but yeah five was 505 you said yeah all right it's a a regular listener i'm sure i played with him unless he's watching it if he's played in any of those games with texas molly then i played with him you may have but yeah that's someone validated because it's really outrageous like, if there was somebody that deserved to have their chat ban, like, it's him. I don't know about No Limit. I don't know about, you know, Stud, I guess. But in PLO, there's nobody worse than him. Like, he's just brutal in the chat. And he'll remember who you are. He'll follow you around. And he'll just – and he never got it suspended. Well, I, it never. reminds me a little bit of back on Inner Poker in, like, uh, 05 and 06. There was this really, really terrible guy uh, – who played as a, I don't know how you pronounce it, it was spelled like Sanswan or Sansone, S-A-N-S-O-N-E. He was from Italy. He actually was in Italy. And uh, the guy was not only really foul-mouthed, but he'd wish your kids get cancer and they type really sick stuff like that when you'd bad beat him. That's what I'm talking about, those kind of things. Yeah. Like really, like if you took it serious, if you were like a religious person or if you were like a lady or female, you could be like really easily offended. Yeah. Like me, no, nothing offends me after all I've been through. But not to keep going on, but Sam Grizzle's definitely a character. He's, you know, if you watch like, uh, if any of you saw the TV show Tilt, the Michael what? Madsen character, very, very similar to like Sam Grizzle. Just old, no, okay. you know, angle shooting, pissed off, you know. And fuck you, Sam, if you're listening. I know so many confirmed stories of you angle shooting and doing other terrible things that I wouldn't even say that I know are true. Uh, but. That's the Michael Madsen character in Tilt. Like, that's Sam Grizzle, in essence. It really is. So, are you, are you back uh, with Tellus? No, I guess he's not. Maybe it was an important call. So, anyhow, uh, today, today, uh, today's World Series event, I'm logged on here. I'm actually in Nevada. I can tell you all, if anyone cares, I don't know if it's completed. We're going to find out right now if it's still running and what the status is. What the Okay, so we have a... Tournament today was, ooh, the Lucky 777. That's original. So today, the Lucky 777, it was a bracelet event. It's event 17. The buy-in was $777. And again, today's a Friday. So this is actually a decent crowd, but nowhere near what it would be at the Rio. They got 917 entries, $777 each, and 465 people rebought. You're allowed two rebuys. So no way of knowing, you know, Exactly. I couldn't say half the field rebought because people are allowed to. So 917 and then 465. So that gives you 1,382 buy-ins for a price pool just shy of a million dollars. 
price pool today's uh, for today's WSOP event comes out to be $967,400. There's 207 uh, places that were paid. First place pays and a gold bracelet, $173,551 and a little change. And a mint cash in the 777 pays $1,064. So right now there's uh, 12 left out of the original 917, two tables. And I can tell you right now, without having uh, even looked until just now, a guy that won a tournament, I can tell you his name in a minute, is close to the chip leader again, guided by the name of Art Vandelay. For those who don't know what that means, that was a reference to George's alter ego on the early 90s, late 90s TV hit Seinfeld. So we're going to look up Art Vandelay because he is a known player. I just can't remember who it is. In fact, you type it, up, type it in Google, it comes up. Uh, Art Vandelay, it says WSOP right away. His name is Jonathan Dokler. He won the first event. That was the event that Phil Hemmuth went deep. He won event number one, playing under the name Art Vandelay for $130,000. Now, interesting trivia here, folks. Uh, WSOP online tournaments have been going on six years now, maybe seven, but I think six. No one's ever repeated as a winner. Not in, like, the same event, in any event. There's not a multiple online winner. So if this Art Vandelay, Jonathan Dokler, wins tonight, he'll be the first online player to have two bracelets. Mm. Uh, I'm back, by the way. Drop back? Yeah, I'm back, yeah. yeah. So I was going over that, and that's – oh, I know this name too. Jeez, look at this. It's amazing with a 1,000 players. Uh, there's a guy named Dunning Kruger. Let me type in that. That's somebody I know. I I can't remember the names of who they are, but that's a famous poker, not famous, but the known poker pro. And he is also in the top 12. So this may be a sweat while we're on radio. And it's funny, you, you know, these guys have gotten a lot of media attention because you're just, he's, he was actually the second bracelet winner. Hmm. Okay. Oh, he's a, okay. He's a local guy from Vegas. He's not, he's not a known pro. He's someone I know personally. His name's Dave Alpha. Um, but anyhow, I only know these names because these guys have won or made final tables already, and their names have become public. So anyhow, I'll keep an eye on our Vandalay, Jeff. There's a good chance we may be seeing history as we're doing radio tonight. Did you hear the part about the, the history in the making? I, I heard part of it. So, Well, the history in the making was – uh, what year was the first online event, Jeff? I, I said six years ago. Yeah, but it's it, something like I'm, that. It, it, the, well, the first – in 2013, 2013 is when the WSOB.com went up as far as uh, legalized online poker play. I don't know if it was they had an online bracelet that year or if they did it in 14 or 15. It was somewhere around there they started it. Okay. So there's never been a repeat winner. Everyone that's won a bracelet or, or yeah, everyone that's won a bracelet event has only won one. Yeah. So if this Vandalay wins tonight, he'll be the first two-time or multiple Bracelet online winner. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we will see if the person may have to do so. so. We just lost one, so we're uh, two. We're at eleven left, two spots. I mean, this is a poker show, right? Yeah, it kind is, of. isn't it? So, so eleven left for the bracelet. Uh, two away from the final table. Up top is one hundred seven thousand. Not bad for nine hours of work so far. Nine yes. hours, unbelievable. And uh, everyone is guaranteed at least. Ten thousand and sixty dollars. So I'll keep everyone up to date as we go on. Okay. So now, even though this is a poker show, I, we're going to jump to something that has nothing to do with poker. 
Uh, I got a message from Lon Cigar, who I haven't heard from in a while. I wasn't sure if he still listens, but uh, Lon Cigar messaged me tonight, and uh, he tipped me off to something that had happened, which is actually in the news now. But do you ever watch the show, or have you watched the show called Gigolos? It's a reality show? Never seen it. I, I, I don't have, like reality shows. I, I, don't, I don't like them either, and I don't watch them. But anyway, uh, someone who's on that show has been arrested in Las Vegas for murder. And that's, Jesus. Uh, I think that's probably going to be big news pretty soon. I'm already starting to see it appear online. But yes, uh, he has been arrested for the murder of his girlfriend. So here's what it says. This is from Las Vegas Metro Police. On July 16th, 2020, at approximately 10.23 a.m., patrol officers responded to the 8400 block of Blackstone Ridge Court for a report of an unresponsive female. Upon arrival, medical advised the female was deceased and showed signs of trauma. A male identified as 38-year-old Akshaya Kubiak was detained and detectives were called. Through the course of the investigation, detectives learned that the victim and Kubiak were friends. Detectives believed that Kubiak was under the influence of narcotics and beat the victim to death. Kubiak was arrested for one count of open murder and transported to the Clark County Detention Center. So that is uh, that was just released tonight by the police department, which was the following day after he was arrested. Wait, and how does Lon Cigar fit into this? He's just the one who told me it had happened. He, he oh. messaged me for the actually the first time in two years, almost exactly two years ago. I haven't heard from him in two years either. Yeah, well, what I, the hell happened to him? I don't know. He's still alive. Yeah, the last the last time he messaged me was in July of 2018. It said he wanted to. Uh, Talk to Eric Benzamokin about something. So I hope he was okay. But two years later, here he's back. Good. And uh, maybe he's in prison. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I think he knew that Eric wasn't a criminal attorney. But whatever. Lon Cigars is back and he's alive. So he, he gave us the tip about uh, the the guy from Gigolos being arrested in Las Vegas for murdering his girlfriend. That's I don't I don't watch reality shows either. The reason I don't like them is because they're not real. If the reality shows were real, I think I'd have an interest. It's the fact that they are not you know real on the stage for the full, For full disclosure, i got to be honest. During the pandemic, I started running out of things to watch, like midday, just like while I'm eating a meal. So I got into, for the first time, I, I swear, even living in Vegas, I had never seen one episode until the pandemic started. I started watching Pawn Stars. And that's that's reality. It's not It's not real. I mean, it kind of is real, but not really. Have you ever seen Pawn Stars, Druff? Uh, uh, a little bit of it. Traderuski? Hey, buddy. Absolutely. Are you are you a Pawn Stars fan? Yeah, you know, it's, it's decent. It's good. Who, who's your favorite character on there? I'm going to guess it's Chum Lee. Would I be right? <laughs> no. I, uh, he's funny. They're all he's funny. characters yeah. in their own way. All right. Who's your favorite character, Druff? I don't even have one, but uh, well, if you had to pick, I, I don't. I've, I've watched so little of it, I can't even pick. All right, but uh, I, 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 risky, will... I like the old. I like the father. I like the old man. The cranky yeah, old the father's good. Yeah, he's funny. You know he my my away, issue. You know, about a year ago. Yeah, my no, issue no, was three with, years ago with reality shows in general is that. See, I, I like shows that are are scripted and are you, you know you know they're supposed to be uh, fiction. Then I, and I would I would like a reality show that is 
actually real. That's not staged. That's not semi-staged. That it really is just they're finding interesting characters and just filming their life. And even if they just show the most interesting parts, as long as they're not uh, staging things or or pushing certain situations to happen, but where they really just let everything happen organically, that would be interesting. I find reality shows is this worst combination of the two where it's presented as real and the the interest in it is supposedly because it's real but it's fake and that's what that's what bothers me it's kind of like when you see like a youtube video of someone like in an embarrassing moment and it's supposed to be funny because it's supposed to be something that really happened and once you learn that this quote embarrassing moment was staged for get to get views you don't want to watch it anymore because you know it's fake it's it's kind of like that. Yeah. That's kind well, of that's kind of what just happened with with me with my little pawn stars. I started reading how, and I knew this, but I read like everything is scripted. Like they already know what's coming into the store, and it's none of it's random. And like to me, like it's you know what I mean. It's not even really how a pawn star is run. But what are you going to do, buddy? Everything's reality now because it's so cheap to produce. Like I mean, it really is. It's but, so cheap. By the way, I, I'm going to give an endorsement Sons for, bitches. for Danielle yep. Burreal, I see in the chat room, from a person that uh, you want an endorsement from, and that's from Ari Engel, who said... Wait, Danielle Burreal's in the chat room no, with Ari Engel? No, Ari Engel is giving Hold an on, endorsement. I'll, I'll, hey, Dar, Danielle, a friend of mine here. Danielle Burreal's dating Ari Engel. <laughs> See, that's how rumors start. No, I'm kidding. So, what, what so Ari Angle said, uh, still plenty of room for tournament. Uh, for, for, let me start again. Still plenty of room for improvement. But Danielle has been so much better, referring to better than uh, Bill Rini. She added in nightly PLOA tournaments months ago after a few of us asked. Nothing like Rini, luckily. Uh, he, uh, and then referring to Sam Grizzle, Ari said, he's a sick man. We played till 3 a.m. the other day, and when I woke up at 10.30, he was still at the tables playing. Yeah. Well, I guess I was live? Or was it, ask him if it was live or on or I guess no, he, he left. Me. He left the chat. Oh. Yeah. Okay. You know what? Speaking of Ari, I just did this the other day. You're gonna, do you want to hear something funny? What? So I installed – I had another tablet here, and I installed Skype on, on just a different device I didn't have it on. And I started going through and removing old contacts. And I see an old contact, and it just says the Maven VT, okay, on my Skype. And I just write, and all, and it says like hasn't logged on in a very long time. Like you know how Skype will say last seen. Yeah. What else says last seen? Like you know whatever. Yeah. So I know he hasn't even been on probably in years. So I just type in big, big capital letters. How is your WSOP going? Exclamation! 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 <laughs> I just wrote that, and I mean there's no response because he hasn't even logged in. But I I thought it was funny. I, I heard – it's funny you mentioned the Maven because someone – He's a real estate agent in Dallas. Right. Well, someone someone tweeted about him and and said, hey, does anyone have a copy of this video where he went around Vegas and and, and got life coaching from San Juan? And uh, like I remember that video. It was a funny video. Jesus. And uh, yeah, the Maven – someone said that he's selling real estate and he's out of poker. I mean he had a good thing going well, for a while. he has a website. Like, you, it's not like it's a rumor. He has like a you know, nice website and – you know, it's in his it's in his web it's in his real estate profile on his website that he was the online like I don't know why I, I mean maybe it's just as an accomplishment but like when it lists like his accomplishments on his like actual realtor site it says card player online player of the year or bluff magazine whatever it was online player of the year and it lists like 2010 or nine or whatever it was. 
It's on his like real estate page. Like that's is that any more likely or is it less likely to make you want to hire him as yeah. an agent if you saw that? <laughs> if you weren't in no, I'm asking you, if you weren't in the poker I probably less likely. Agent. Yeah, yeah, probably less likely. Yes. So probably yeah. I by the way, so I, I see I see he's changed something regarding his hairstyle. I see the picture of him for his uh real estate uh his real estate picture that he put up there on his website. Uh at uh Chikoski.com. But I'm looking at old pictures of him by comparison, and yes, he's he's older now, so I'm not talking about that. We've all gotten older. Find, see if you can find the biography and read to me exactly what it I, says I'll, about the book. I'll read it in a second, but I'll tell you something I noticed he's changed. There's a lot of guys who kind of like spike their hair up, it. or they, they tease their hair up, uh, and it's always guys who are short. And, and he was one of them. He was one of these short guys who would have a hairstyle where their hair sticks up a few inches, and they do that to look taller. And I got so used to short guys doing that. Hollywood Dave did it too. Like like all these short guys in poker did that. And I was so used to seeing that that when Doug Polk did it, I was shocked to meet him in person and see he was the same height as me. I, I, I could not picture Doug Polk being tall for that reason. No, but you – he he looks tall to me. No, I mean, I, no, seen, I was. Well, you know, I've seen him standing up at tables. I've seen him. Well, in that's person. why I hadn't seen him in person yeah. yet. And then yeah, I, yeah. I I saw I him in person, and I'm like, what the hell? How is he? How is he the same height as me? Every guy who does that with his hair is short, and I could not believe that Doug Polk was the first one I'd ever seen that was tall and and did that. But anyway, uh, David Chakowsky does not do that anymore. I see on his uh, real estate page that uh, his hair is is normal now and does not uh, stick up like that. But uh, <clears throat> Other than that, you know, are you, just, are you purposely sharing your screen with me on Skype, or do you not know that you're doing it? Oh, I, I am. But so I just know that you protect your privacy, and I can see everything you have open. I no, can see all I, your I, 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 I know, but do you know why I'm doing it? I'm not doing this to show. No, off. I don't know. I don't. I'm doing matter, this. Well, just, I'll tell you why. Skype is so huh? terrible that Skype does not give you the option it used to to where you can just share your audio. So I have to share either everything with you or share nothing oh, with you. Is, and if I share uh, nothing I with you, you don't get to hear my sound effects. So now I have to be careful not to have embarrassing porn up while I do radio, which is very now, tough. When I'm, when I'm looking at your browser, it's too small for me to read. I can see the poker frolic. What are the little I- the little icons that you know show open uh, browsing pages that have a spade on it? There's one, oh, two, that, three, those are, four. That's, that's card player. That's just I, okay, I have news. I have news articles up, so I can read them uh, during it. the show. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead and read uh, the Maven's bio for me, please, okay. for the audience. Well, okay, I got I got to click on the Chikotsky uh, dot com and get over there. Uh, uh, Trader Ruski, do you know who the Maven is, or is this before your time? Buddy, are you there? I mean, I, I mean, I, it's very funny. I know of him. <laughs> I, you know, I don't really know much about him. Okay. Uh, am I doing? How am I doing with my Trader Ruski impersonation? I mean, I, I know I've gotten Druff once or twice for a second or two. No good. No so good. Today it's not it's as good. Today, today, yeah, it's a little too high pitched today. It wouldn't work right. today. Uh, so okay, it's it says about us, even though it's kind of more about him. It says uh, the Chitkovsky Real Estate Group, uh, or at Briggs Freeman Sotheby's International Realty. I say so he's part of Sotheby's. Is is owned by husband and wife realtors. David and Michaela Chikoski, I didn't know he's married. They, they took a unique hands-on approach to the real estate business, leveraging the global marketing reach of Sotheby's International Realty, along with utilizing their deep-seated local knowledge of the real estate market. The Chikoski last name has been recognized in the greater Fort Worth area since 1913, thanks to the hard work and goodwill of numerous members of the family taking on civic and economic leadership roles. And Hang on a second. Do you think if you ask the average person in Dallas 
if they or Fort Worth if they know Tchaikovsky. I, I bet they're going to say it's been a, a good standing since 1913. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that like like 99.9 percent would not know that name. That's, I mean, just, that's just my guess. Of course guessing. not. All right. Of uh, course not. But it's funny. Okay. A- aside from the family's that's... real estate interest. Thanks for reminding me how funny it was because I did read this once and I laughed. I really did. Go ahead, aside from the family's real estate interest in the area, which have spanned over a hundred years, they own Chikotsky's. Okay, so I either very rich. Right? Yes. I mean, well, you know, why do you even have to put that there? They own Chikotsky's and Monticello Market grocery stores. They were partners in a farm associated with what's currently Mira Vista. They were owners of Craig and Auto Parts stores, which was acquired by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Relatives founded Old South Pancake House. David's great-grandfather was the president of the Jewish community at Avath Shalom and founded Carlson's Deli. But why is this relevant to – I mean, the only thing he hasn't said is I also have a big dick. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what is? Yeah, why even say all this stuff? It's not even about him. Well, it's, if, it's not even like I I, I've been such a well, good realtor. I, I know, I know. Like, well, you know what? My great my great grandfather. He was uh, a good poker player, but he was always a little arrogant. Okay, let's be honest here. He's a good guy. Like, I don't think he's a bad person, but he was a little arrogant back in the I, day. I, I'm going to give him credit for one thing. Met, I was with him once, and he met Don King. He tried to give Don King his autograph. Okay, I mean, I'm going to give him credit for one thing. In 2009, I was at the main event, and I was not doing very well. I barely made it through day one. I came into day two with a tiny stack. I said, I'm going to need a miracle to even min-cash here. And then I found out the good news. The good news is I was going to be at the featured table because I got put – I got the table draw with one, Phil Helmuth. And, and believe it or not, I was actually the secondary name of the table. It was Helmuth, me, and seven nobodies. So somehow I was a I, I was a slightly big enough name to push it over the top to where uh, um, me, Helmuth plus uh, small name me was able to make it interesting enough to be a feature table. So well, and, and it was a, a real feature table. Hold on, on TV. I'm sorry, I got we, we got. Oh, you know what? This sucks. We just got a Texas Molly alert. He just bought in for a thousand dollars in five ten PLO, but I can't sit and watch. You know why? Duplicate IP. <laughs> God damn it! Somebody that five hundred five or anyone that's out there, bird this table and let me let me know if he starts going crazy. He's playing on table. Uh, what is it called? Table Baturasar five ten PLO. Okay, I'm yes, sorry. Let go us on. know if you don't have a duplicate IP problem. So so yeah. so anyway, uh, he I, I can't, so I I didn't know this till I showed up there, so I couldn't get any kind of sponsorship arranged. Well, David the Maven Chikotsky was right there. And he was asking people if they want to wear a Maven VT patch, which was his uh, virtual training site. Uh, he was competing with Negranu's Poker VT. He, his was Maven VT. So he said, do I want to wear a, a Maven VT for $5,000? So I said, absolutely. Put it on me. So he put on the – so that was half my buy-in back right there. Oh, I never knew that. Oh, yeah. So, so you'll, you'll see it. If you want to go wow. look at that clip of Helmuth busting me, you'll see Maven VT did very prominently. Then second – Somehow somehow the Maven went broken poker, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and then, Imagine that. Then se- second, Doyle's room wanted so, – so UB was trying to get people to wear patches, and I laughed at that. But uh, it's funny. They're like, well, you know, come, come on. Are you sure you can't? And I go, you don't even know who you're talking to here. Absolutely not. So they, they, I was not going to wait. But you were going to insult UB on the show. Now, I tried. It, it just got cut. Well, I know. But you did. I, I mean, did. I did insult UB on the show. And it got, I remember. It, yes. So, so then they said uh, – so then Doyle's room approached me, and they're like, well, will we wear our patch? And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'll wear your patch. I don't have a problem with you guys. So – 
I wore, then I said, hold on a second. I've got another sponsor I already agreed to wear their patch. I want to, you two aren't competing, but I want to make sure it doesn't piss them off. So I went to the Maven. I said, yeah, you know, Doyle's room, they're going to give me the other 5000 I'll get my buy-in, my whole buy-in back here. And, and I'm about to bust here out of the money, so this would be great if I get my money back. So would you mind if I wear Doyle's room also? And the Maven's like, no, that's okay. You know, they're not competing with us. Totally different product. I'm like, okay, thank you, Maven. So he had a very good attitude about that. Uh-huh. He could have – so I, I wore well, Doyle's – Listen, in all fairness, that na- family name has been in good standing since 1913. I, I see why now. He wasn't going to fuck it up in the Rio that afternoon with you, Drust. So, so, so I wore both, and then the problem was the Doyle's – now, so the Maven, he guaranteed that no matter what. Just guaranteed to get the 5K, and he paid very quickly. So so he, he lived broke, up to the good went family. Broke, went, went, went broke a year later. Yes, but still he uh, – <laughs> But still, the the Maven he he was uh, he was a good guy and he he kept it he kept his word he kept his family name in good standing. It, uh, yep. it hadn't been hadn't quite been a hundred years yet, but it was close. But Doyle's room they they had an asterisk. The asterisk there was there were two asterisks. Number one, the it wasn't directly Doyle's room. It was an agent working for Doyle's room who was who was working with other sites too, who who said that they get a seven hundred fifty dollar commission on that five k. So I said okay, fine. That was number two. Is that I had to prominently appear on the broadcast. So if I'm just like blinding off or something and don't get on TV, it, I have to appear on TV where you can clearly see the the logo and not to and for more than like I think five seconds or something, something where it's it, it's it's visible, not just like a panning past me. So I'm like, I okay, I hope when I bust, it's if if I do bust, I hope it's against Helmuth. Well, sure enough, I busted against Helmuth, set against Flush. So uh, I knew right when that happened, even though. I was unhappy that I was about to be out. I thought, okay, this is getting on TV for sure. I'm going to get my money. So I got on TV. Uh, they did have to ver- – so so that money I had to wait for. So I had to wait till it appeared on TV, and it did. So um, so I, I asked the agent it – was, it was not Doyle's room who was going to pay me directly. I asked the agent, hey, um, can I get my money now? It's appeared on TV. Right? They said, yes, we agree. I said, okay, well, can they pay me my money? They said, yeah, we'll, we'll get in contact with Doyle's room. They'll pay you. Okay, okay. Nice. I, I wait. No money. Go back to the agent. I go, yeah, um, I didn't get the money yet. Yeah, we're still kind of waiting. I go, what are you waiting on? Oh, we're waiting on Doyle's room. I go, well, can you email them again? Can you find out? Yeah. Another week passes, nothing. So this kept going on and on and on and on. I was I don't know what the hell the problem was, but I believe the problem was on the agent and not Doyle's room. I think the guy just, like, I guess I wasn't used to him anymore because this was something that happened in the past. He just didn't feel like putting in the work to get my money. So uh, it dragged and dragged and dragged. And, and then I started to say, look, how about you just put me in contact with Doyle's room and I'll send you the 750. Just just please get me my freaking money. And, and the guy was like just saying, well, look, we're so busy here. We'll get to it. I go, it's been months since it appeared on t- – it's like, t- t- like two months or something Son- since I appeared Sons on TV. Sons of bitches. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, Trader Risky, fake, uh, uh, number two. <laughs> So, so, so I, I was, so anyway, this, I won't say who it is by name, but it was a brother and sister team, both of whom were, uh, peripherally involved in the poker community, but not really as players. And, um, one of them was actually friend, friendly with my then girlfriend, but, uh, and my, I, I was saying to my then girlfriend, I'm like, I'm, I'm about to blow this up. I'm about to really make them look bad because they're. They're not. They're, they're jerking me around here. I'm waiting for forty-two fifty to come, and it's not coming. And they're not giving me a good reason. And they're brushing me off like I'm a pain in the ass. And I'm getting tired of this. And I'm about to call them out. And 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 she's like, No, 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 please don't do this. You're going to ruin the friendship. I'm like, Well, if she, she values the friendship. Why am I not getting, am I not getting paid? So fi- finally, 
after after I got a na- like some kind of rude response back that I'm that I'm uh, that I'm just they've already told me I need to wait or something like that that was obnoxious. I said, look, you don't seem to understand something here. I keep my word with things. You guys need to keep your word. You owe me more than $5,000. I've been waiting for months here. First, I had to wait until it appeared on the broadcast, which I agreed to. But then it appeared it's been months. You don't seem to care. You're not getting me the money. You're not letting me take it, to, you know, take control of this. You're just telling me to endlessly wait. I'm not going to take this. So I don't want to go out and, and publicize this, but soon I'm going to have to. So then I got back this message like, well, we don't appreciate being threatened like this. But fine, uh, I'll, I'll get you your money within 48 hours. And sure enough, within 48 hours, I got my money. So, so threatening them like that did work. That was, that was what I needed to do. Well, they obviously haven't had a good name since 1913. Well, that wasn't – yeah, right. That wasn't the, – the, they didn't have the prestigious Dallas family name, so they, they had nothing to worry about. So I, but I, I still don't know what they were doing there. Like I, I wasn't being unreasonable. It was over $4,000. They weren't giving me good reasons. It was Months were passing by. Of course, I was getting concerned. And also, with these websites like Doyle's Room, I didn't know how long they're going to stay around or have money. I didn't want to wait for a long time until Doyle's Room can't pay me anymore. So, I, I, so yes, I got the money, but it was definitely their fault. They just weren't. Maybe Doyle's sure. Room was dragging their feet too. But anyway, uh, the Maven, now, the Maven, he, he did a spectacular mm-hmm. job. I compare, I, and I was telling my then girlfriend about it. I said, "Look how great the Maven did. He just like instantly paid me the five k. You went broke a year later." <laughs> <laughs> so, what does it say about the, the resume? We keep reading it. We okay, were at, okay, sorry. I was family I, I, I owned a Jewish tangent. community center, yes, okay. and they own a bagel shop or something, a grocery shop that made um, car parts. I, 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 I was reading it, and then I kind of just skipped past yeah. the rest of that. Okay, so going on. The, the connections to the community of Fort Worth and the surrounding Dallas-Fort Worth area are numerous and valuable for the clients of Tchaikovsky Real Estate Group, giving buyers and sellers alike a competitive advantage allowing them to efficiently navigate the ultra-competitive real estate market. When David and Michaela Tchaikovsky and their team at Briggs Freeman Sotheby's International Realty list a property for sale, they are aiming for top dollar every time. When representing buyers, David and his team understand that getting the house they desire under contract is paramount and they aggressively act on their behalf. Let, let Let me stop right there. Real estate agents do not like pushing for very top dollar beyond initially. What, what real, since they get commission, uh, what it's worth it to them is to get everything done fast. So they, yes, since it's a percentage of the commission, they prefer top dollar because they get a little bit more, but it's not worth spending a lot of time pushing for top dollar. Uh, it, it's better off for them to just complete the whole thing quickly. I'm not calling out the maven here. I'm just saying that's what agents do in general. Okay, working with the Tchaikovsky Real Estate Group at Briggs Freeman Sotheby's International Realty. I like how they write this whole long name out every time. Maybe for SEO, I don't know. It ensures a competitive and reputational advantage. I'll agree with the reputational stuff. With a last name people trust and recognize. Along, alongside the top international luxury brand, which every local real estate group respects. Referring to Sotheby's, I assume. Agents of the Tchaikovsky Real Estate Group have an in-depth knowledge about the countless neighborhoods and sister cities surrounding the greater Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. I haven't heard that term Jesus. before, metroplex. Okay. When, when purchasing or selling a home, a ranch, undeveloped lot, or raw piece of land, or a commercial property, all prospective properties are compared to the comps in the area to make sure you're getting the most if you're selling and paying the least if you're buying. Here's a good question, though. What, what if you're dealing what, – what if the seller – what if you are buying and you're trying to pay the least through the Tchaikovsky Group and mm-hmm. the seller is using – a group that's equally as competent 
then what happens? Who gets who pays the least and who pays the most then? If someone has to lose. It's kind of like a poker game where both people can't win. Okay. So, uh, owner of the uh, owner of the Chikotsky Real Estate Group, David Chikotsky, has an economics degree and game theory background. I, I love how every poker player says they have a game theory background. That, that's that's what poker players love to say after they've gotten out of poker and do something else. It's always a game theory background. He goes the he goes the extra mile to break down the numbers for you and helps develop a strategy that best fits your needs. You know what he should brag about? He should brag about Earl Hershiser. He taught Earl Hershiser how to play poker. I'd write that up there. Yeah, I, I would too. That's the, that's the most impressive thing here. Instead of bragging about his family from 1913, he should say David Chikosky was such was was such a a great uh, teacher and 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 so competent and clear with everything he does that even baseball great Oral Hershiser trusted Mr. Chikosky to teach him poker. That's that's what he should put there. Uh, I, that's another thing. I got to talk to Oral Hershiser thanks to David Chikosky. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. But I got to have a, a I got to have a conversation with with Oral Hershiser thanks to that. Okay, interesting. Aside from running comps for homes that have sold in the past hundred day, days in the immediate area, David utilizes the comparative market analysis to further flesh out pricing related statistics. As fans of the philosophies and insights of the financial expert David Dave Ramsey, what he's like some radio guy. Uh, we we agree with a prognosis. A good financial advisor equips you to make smart decisions about your investments. More importantly, they must have the heart of a teacher. See, that's where Oral Hershiser comes in. This is exactly where she used to slip in Oral Hershiser. That David had such a heart of a teacher that he taught Oral Hershiser how to play poker. Okay, anyway, I, I've heard yep. enough here. I, I, I could go on. This is a very long. Well, what time. about the poker? It's, it's a, oh, let, I let mean, me scroll I can't down. Let me, it's that long. Well, let me scroll down. It's very long. Let me scroll down here. Um, like, who would even read that? Like, that much? <laughs> that would piss me off, and I wouldn't want to have him buy a house for me, sell a house. It's so long. I, yeah, I've never seen this long of an intro to a real estate agent. I oh, mean, I, I've seen surgeons are probably less, right? You know, I don't see anything about poker. Let me do a search for poker. No, there's nothing about poker. I don't see anything okay. about poker. I, I, send, I will me the s- link. send me the link on Skype, and I'll, I'll read it while you're talking. Okay, I, I, it, it was there, unless he took no, it I, out. No, I just – he must have taken it out. I searched for poker. I actually searched with the search feature. It doesn't appear. And then he took it out. Yeah. He, he said uh, at one point in this, there are 27 ways a house can fall out of contract. We know the pitfalls to stay away from and the best practices to employ. <laughs> There's actually 27 ways a house can fall out of contract. I, I, why didn't they list those? I want to know the 27 ways. It's hard to believe that tw- there's 27 ways a house could fall out of contract. Maybe there are, though. Okay, well, I hope the Maven's doing well there. Oh, here, here's one more thing I want to say. We represented Dallas-Fort Worth clients in the purchase or sale of nearly $4 billion in real estate last year. Oh, come on. $4 billion. Poppycock is what I say. <laughs> Our nearest competitor in the luxury and real estate market is down 14.5% year over year. Well, if it's year over year, they'd be down to like zero by now if that were true. Okay. No, I hope his buddy Ari isn't offended. We're just having fun. <laughs> I, I, look, there's the, when I think back to the Maven, I think of several positives. He was, he was a nice guy. He, he paid my 5000 very fast. He, he got me to talk to Earl Hershiser. So these these are all good things. I think uh, sure. lovely things about the the Maven here. I'm not I'm not even being sarcastic. I'm I'm glad that uh, glad he's doing well in Dallas Fort Worth, even if his website's kind of funny. Okay. Oh, you know what? I bet this was it. That I was looking on a different page. So I'm not okay. Let me let me just see. 
I know I saw it. I'm on another website or another site that's listing all this. And let me just see real fast. No, it's not on here either. Okay. He might have taken it off. It's been a couple years since I looked at it. This is on findofrealtor.com. But in other news, uh, the WSOP 77, the Lucky 777. How is that like for an original name again? Isn't there a Lucky 777 every year? Uh, Some form? There's the 888 event. So this is kind of a ripoff of that. Um, all right. Anyhow, they're down to a final table. In Art Vandalay, the only possible person at the time that can now has a shot at winning two, the first two-time online bracelet winner. Uh, he's not doing so great. He's actually dead last in chips at the final table. So I don't think has, he's gonna make it. I think he's done. I think it's not uh, happening. Uh, Hundred thousand. He has nine big blinds. So let's see. And the chip leader has forty. So I just don't have the see. feeling he's going to come back. I have the feeling he's yeah, going to well, be out soon. Art Vandela, you can't look, you can't ever. And also, I have. I'm not going to say my name, but I have sat down and I've been playing for about ten minutes now. Uh, whoever was using the same IP as me is gone, and I'm in a game with Texas Molly. <laughs> I'm not going to say who I am, but I'm at Batura Sar. It's a full nine-handed five-dollar, ten-dollar PLO. And uh, well, they can figure out you now one of seven people or eight people. No, like nine or eight, one of eight people. Sure, they can try. They're not going to know which one is me. And uh, Texas Molly, aka Grizzle, he is up four hundred dollars on his first buy-in so far. D- didn't we once sit at the same table and then like heads up yes, and realized we and, and we laughed and we realized? Well, because the reason why we laughed is my name was my original name was Drexel, and then when they did the change. Uh, you know, when New Jersey was added, everyone had to create a new name again. Yeah. I changed it to something else. But I once sat down at Drexel, and you had like a name I knew, and we just wrote LOL at the same time in the chat. And then you were sitting at like a, I don't know, 30, 60 limit hold'em or whatever, 1530, and I sat, and it was just about the deal. And then I sat up, and we both typed in LOL. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, le- then I called you, or you called me, or we texted, or whatever it was, because we weren't going to play each other. Yep. It's funny. I know somebody else who uh, at the time lived in Vegas. They don't live there anymore. But uh, I know a Limit Hold'em player who at the time lived in Vegas, a female. And she was sitting at a at – a, I thought it might be her. And, and we played a little bit uh, heads up. And then I, I decided, you know, I think it is her. And, and I sat out and I said, I think I know you. And she says back, I don't think you do. I said, no, I do think I do. And I started making like inside references. I've known her a long time. Like I, I made like little inside jokes that she would understand. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand what you're saying. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then like, like months later, she, she messaged me on Facebook. Okay, you're right. That was me. Wait, hold on. Hold on. I found it. I found the poker thing. What are you doing here? How can you not have seen this? So right under his name before it gets like right under his bio. Well, actually, let me back up. What what website were you reading off of? Of Chikotsky.com. Yeah, I'm there right now. I'm reading it. Prior to owning this real estate group, David was a world-class tournament poker player. He was featured in a Time Magazine article, Attack of the Math Brats, and was ranked the number one poker player in the world. David, David's offices – okay, then it just that's it. That's all about poker. I'm looking at it. How do you? It's right I, in the beginning. I don't know what page you're on. I'm under, like, where it says David Chachowski right above his wife's picture. Oh, see, I was just on About Us. Oh, well, I'm on the bio of him. I don't know how to find that. Well, I just <laughs> typed in Chachowski.com, and it's the first thing I see. 
Then when I go on there, oh, I see you scrolled down. See, I didn't scroll down. Well, of course, before. you got to scroll down. It doesn't come to you. No, I, 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 if you click on here's the here's the misleading thing about this page. There's two about us pages. Oh, they bullshit! Make, Don't blame it on Chachowski. Listen, listen to For, me. Since 1913, they've been advertising in non-manipulative ways. Okay, they don't mislead people. Listen, don't ruin the family name because you didn't scroll down. Listen, they they've been respected since 1913, but they haven't been making good websites since 1913. They 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 were doing billboards. They were doing good billboards, and even before that, it was horse and buggy just trolling the sign around. There is there is an about us, and then and the second about us. There's an about us you click on the top that I clicked on, and then there's the about us on the main page. You just scroll down. That's what you did, and I did the other one. So that's I what I just put it in the website, and I went like one second, two seconds scrolling, and it's right there in front of me. But you said you did a search feature. I don't think you even know what a search feature is. I was on the other about us. That's what happened. The other way. So he has two about us. Yes, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Oh, I'm not. Even, I'm tired. Okay. If you click you know on the, if you click on the family name should be tarnished. If you click on the other seven if, years and then tonight market people July 18th <laughs> false advertising. If you click on the top on the top page there. At the top uh, of the page, it says Home About Us. If you click on About Us, it's a different yeah, About Us than the home. You know now I'm going to go to Contact Us. <laughs> I'm going to let them know. <laughs> There's two About Us. I'm doing a podcast and you're trying to so analyze dear, this site. It's misleading. So dear David, you have two About Uses. This needs to be rectified immediately. <laughs> I wonder if, yeah. It should be, you know what? It should be About Us and About About Us. You should also give Ari an About Us or About Him because Ari was a, wasn't Ari instrumental in, in the Maven's – Training did. I'm not sure how. You, maybe Ari can tell us. Was the original mentor of the Maven? Is you know, I didn't. I never understood that relationship fully. Maybe Ari can explain it. I knew they were friends, and they had something to do with the training together. And I knew they were Ari in the house with other men, and right? Then there were women, and right? Then there were like Capriati sandwiches, and there was marijuana. It was very strange. There was a house where they do all the training, and then Ari was, was the associated, house. and then and then, and then I've been to the house, and then. Um, Ari persisted and continued to to play poker and, and didn't go broke. And uh, Ari's a hell of a poker player. Right, well, and then they, they had like a sponsorship deal with like Capriotis. And then that other snake in the grass wasn't he a part of it? Yes, no? he was, and that's why we got along with him at the beginning. And then he, yeah, uh, the Zaka Dallas, that Zaka. <laughs> <laughs> then he went after uh, a young porn star named Young Smooth and told her, "Don't come on Donktown Radio with those with those donkeys." And then she had already previously agreed to. Then she backed out of it. And then we found out it was him, and that's how he be- really yes. became the snake. Well, you know what's funny is we kept calling him the snake, and then he – like a few years after that, he saw me at the World Series. I, I was like sitting – I don't know if it was a break. I, I was sitting on a bench in the hallway of the World Series, and it was – I guess it wasn't a break. I think it was sometime late at night or something where there weren't many people around. I'm sitting on a bench there, and some guy walks over, and he's like uh, – he's like, hey, Todd. And I look up, and it's the snake of the grass. And I said, yeah? He goes – you know, you talk a lot of shit, and I said, "I only tell, I'm only saying the truth." And he says back, "He says, well, what do you have to say to me now?" I said, "I don't have anything to say. I already said it all before." It, it, Texas Molly just went broke, uh-oh. and stormed off the table. <laughs> Could he have lost it all that fast? From he did. I watched the table. No, I mean on that table, but maybe, but is his account busted? He lost fourteen hundred dollars. He's he left. No, but he had like. Tens of thousands. How's that, where'd that go? No, I don't know. He bought in for a thousand here. He was up four hundred, which gives you fourteen. He lost a whole fourteen hundred on one. You know, yeah, but he's wait, card. 
He's killing it recently, though. He should have a lot of money. Well, no, I'm not saying he's broke. I, I, I don't know. He just left. He well, okay, that's that, that's actually some yeah. self control. He didn't sit there and tilt it all yeah. off. He, he left with I mean, a thousand dollar loss. Know. Yeah. Well, maybe he's going to like play twenty five fifty now or maybe. something bigger. I don't know. He's maybe gone. he's going to do takeout from Piero's. Maybe, maybe, maybe the late night menu. He's gone. So I am leaving the table too. Then. You, you, know what's, you know what's funny? I, so I'm looking at the, the Maven's wife, and, and she's pretty, but I will say something. Let me see. I she, didn't see she, her. she looks like... Which about us is she under? She, the, the main about us, I the one you found. I see her. But, but he, she's he, pretty. No, so, but here's what I'm going to say about her. She's all right. She's all, not all, all, these, all these girls from Dallas, like so many of them have the same look. She, she really looks like she's from Dallas. She looks like Chantel. Kind of. Right. These girls, well, she was from and Houston. Chantel, and Chantel's from where? She was from Houston, so cl- fairly yeah. close. You know, like a, a lot of these Texas girls, they have this look. It's funny. Like, you look and you hear they're from Texas. You go, yeah, they're talking about Hold on, hold on, hold on. Michaela, is it, how do you pronounce her name? It's Michaela. She has lived all over the world from the Philippines to Hawaii to California to Vegas. Michaela and David Chichowski met at the Playboy Mansion in L.A. at a charity event. I'm going to guess it was a poker event? Probably. He was a marketing executive working for the owner of a worldwide clothing brand, blah, blah, blah. David's strong personality and family ties – wait. David's strong personality and family ties ultimately were enough to persuade her to give Texas a shot. Well, then she 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 blended right in. She's not from Texas. So she blended right in. She's taking on the Texas look in in a short time. She only moved there because of David's strong personality and his family's ties. You know, know, she kind of looks like – That's kind of an insult to her. The Philippines makes sense. She kind of looks like she's – like half Asian. That's what she looks like to me. Yeah. She looks like she's half Asian. She's pretty. They yeah, did she, she's, yeah, they did well. All right. Good job, David. All right. All right you know so, what? I see his email. It's dchikowski at briggsfreeman.com. I am going to send him an email, and I'm going to tell him about these two about uses <laughs> and say it's very confusing for the radio listener. <laughs> I'm going to this real estate site is confusing for the radio listener. He got a lot of coverage here. I bet people in the Dallas area are going to start hiring him now for free. No, no, we didn't get paid anything. I, though, you know what? I don't feel bad giving him free advertising because he paid me $5,000 already. I mean, again, let's just tell them it's Briggs. What is it? Briggs Freeman what? I, I don't know. But well, you said it like oh, so- Sotheby's International. They, they always go by the full name, too. They don't, they don't abbreviate. All right. So anyhow uh, – here, yeah. here I, I have another story to tell. This has to do with Vegas. It's not about WSOP.com. But uh, a degenerate gambler decided that he had a foolproof way to get a bankroll, a free bankroll, to go blow in Vegas and on the st- stock market. And he found an opportunity when he heard that the government Oh, was, God, I know this. I read it in yes, the Review the, Journal. The this is unbelievable. The government is giving away paycheck protection loans, which were meant to help small businesses that uh, couldn't operate because of the pandemic. Let me guess. Did, did he go to the Bellagio, Druff? Uh, yes. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he... All the story. So he, he, he obtained $9 million worth of BS... Paycheck protection loans, and he did this by falsifying employee records, pretending he had employees that he really didn't, claiming that he had to pay to keep food on their table when these people didn't really exist. He obtained $9 million from the government that way, and he proceeded to blow it on high-variant stocks and degenerate gambling at the Bellagio. And he has been arrested 
And that's, Facing uh, 30 years in prison, by the way. That's, I, I, he won't get 30 years, but he will get. He will definitely get time. Yes. This is one of the things a jury and a judge do not like. Like this kind of greed. Like if it's 30 years, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets maybe 7 to 12 years of like literally like federal prison time. Yes. His name is Andrew Mar- Marnell. He's 40 years old. But in the one picture I've seen of him, a surveillance picture from July 11th of the Bellagio, he looks a lot older than that. Now, maybe it's where the math – he has a mask on while he's playing. That's just so funny. He he did all this to degen off in like – at these like casinos where you have to wear a mask and have a glass plate in front of your face. Like it's not even fun to gamble this What way. is this showing a picture of him playing? You look on, look on po- at uh, at Bellagio. Oh, just tell me what game is he playing? Oh, uh, he's table playing game slots. What yeah, he's, he's playing blackjack. Okay, he's playing blackjack and placing side bets. You you can't see exactly the denomination of chips he's using, but uh, you can see him on a surveillance camera from July 11th. So this is pretty recent, and he's that's wearing recent. that's less than a week ago. Yes, he, yeah. he's wearing a mask, and he just he looks older. He does not look forty. I would I would guess he's over fifty there, but he's actually forty, not forties, but he's actually forty. So, so he, he faked payroll data and took nine million dollars worth of loans, and uh, yeah, the, 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 all this was just to, to gamble. You know, let me ask you. I, I, I should know this. I think I know the answer. But in these kind of situations, so, okay, you know what? Let me back this up. He he took eight million. Nine million. Okay, nine million. Say he really was a true sicko. And he just kept chasing and chasing because, listen, losing 150 after you know stealing nine million—that's that's you know that's tip money almost. You know what I mean? It's not you know it's not what is it? It's like one percent. You know, it's not a lot. So, if he would have lost the entire nine million at the Bellagio, would the government have a recourse to get that money back from the Bellagio? I believe they do. They they do have a process. What I mean is there is there uh uh. A precedent where that's happened. Like I, I don't know if I've ever. Heard I of haven't that. heard like of it, but, used, but they, but like they do. Then that's where the know your customer comes in. That they have to. They have when there's large amounts like this, they're supposed to be verifying the source of funds. And sure, uh, but, but people also can hide them and make it look like they're from you know legal, you know, businesses and and you know you know what I'm saying. Like you can't. I mean, unless you sit there and do a background check for months. How can you in a short amount of time determine if, if anyone's income is ill-gotten? Like, without a doubt. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if he provides spreadsheets of stocks he owns, commodities, investments, how could they dispute? You know what I'm saying? Like, how – it's kind of shitty, like, that, that burden is on the casinos to that to that extent. No? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know how much they, they – I don't know if this has happened there. I know it has happened before where people uh, – Get money that uh, was not theirs and gamble with it and lose, and then uh, they the government comes collecting it back from the poker players they want it from. Not like in legalized in legal card rooms, but well, in Molly's game that in happened. Molly's game. I was going to say that that's where it happened. Where like at the private but game, the did guy they shot. technically try to get the one fifty back from, or one eighty back from the Bellagio. I don't know. Okay, that's interesting though. Yeah, that's really government money, but. Then if he won, like yeah, it, Baja wouldn't get money back that they paid him. So it's interesting. I wonder what his what he thought was going to happen. Did he think that just everything would be so disorganized during the coronavirus? Of course that they he did. It? That they he was he was betting on the fact that they would never uncover it. Sure. Yeah. That's... You know, and I knew this. I said this months ago to my dad. I said you're going to start hearing in the you know preceding months of all. I mean, because listen, can you even imagine if you had to put a number on the amount of fraud that's gone on? 
Yeah, it's, it's ways unemployment, paycheck protection. I mean, you're talking billions, tens, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars of fraud. So you're going to hear, you're going to start hearing more and more about these cases as they're whistleblowers, as you know, things occur, as our investigations. I mean, everyone's doing this. I mean, yeah. it's fucked up. It's crazy. And and there may there probably a lot of smaller ones that uh, they're not going to detect. It was that the fact that it was nine million dollars that uh, probably. Made them mm-hmm. look into him more, and then saw that this is all BS. And yeah. <laughs> they uh, they saw. It, you know what's funny? These people never have an exit strategy. If you're going to steal nine million dollars like this, at, at that point you leave the country and go somewhere where there's no uh, extradition and and uh, try to live out the rest of your life. Uh, like I remember movies like in the '80s and even early '90s where the whole plot was to like steal like two hundred thousand yeah. dollars and leave the country. This guy had nine million, and he like you know yeah. So so you could definitely live very well with nine million for the rest of your life here in another country. So just go go somewhere there's no extradition, or at least it won't extradite for financial crimes, and and go there and don't come back to the U.S. Otherwise, it's going to come back on you. If you you steal nine million, there's, there's a decent chance that it's going to get tracked down. It's just too much, even during a time like this. It's just too much. And uh, it, but I see a lot of these where they just don't have an exit strategy. They're I've seen much much more money than this has been stolen, and the person just sits around. So assuming he had no priors and there's no extenuating circumstances, what do you guess he gets when all said and done? I mean, it'd probably be a plea. Probably won't even go to trial because it looks like they have dead, dead to rights. What do they? Not like how many years he can get out, but what is it? What is the sentence? What is the minimum he has to serve? You think? Um, I'm going with seven years minimum. Yeah, I, I, th- I think something like that. I would say six years, seven years. That would probably be something like that. And that's assuming he, he doesn't have a pr- any priors, any serious like you know financial crime convictions. Yeah, it's it's funny also when when they just go play like negative EV games <laughs> at casinos. It's like this, it's not even like they have any kind of plan of what to do with the money. They just steal it and they go, oh sweet, let's go gamble high stakes. No, he probably never, or, or you know maybe he had, but he probably wanted. To you know, do the get the high roller treatment. He came. He had a suite. You know, he probably ate at fancy restaurants. Maybe got limousined around. Listen, I'll tell you, now's the worst time to do any of that because none of the nice restaurants are open, or only a few of them are. Like it's awkward, and you know. Well, that's what I was laughing about. Now's not the time to come do that. That's what I was laughing about. There's a guy sitting in the. He's sitting here with a mask on, (laughs) with with like a a big uh, plexiglass divider in front of his face. Like, how fun could that be? Even the hookers are wearing are masks here. They have to. <laughs> oh, what, what what are the do you do you know what the hookers are doing now? No, like, no they're taking temperatures before their tricks. Are they doing? No, I rectal- made that up. I made that okay. up. But that'd be funny if they were. No, that'd be part of it. They could do like Wouldn't a. Rectal- that be funny if you show up at like wherever you're gonna lay the hooker and like they have like a thermal camera to take your. No, they should. They should take a rectal temperature. That'd be go yeah. along with the whole thing. Correct. That's part of it. Yeah. You have to put down like a twenty five dollar deposit, non refundable deposit, just for that part of it. <laughs> and those that are wondering, it's still this is like the boringest way to ever watch poker, but it's still nine handed for the uh, lucky seven seven seven. Uh, what have you, bracelet event. And our Art Vandalay is still hanging in there. Still mm. the low guy, but he's there. No, sorry. He's third, actually. Third from the bottom. So he's oh. six out of nine. Well, he's moving on up. A little bit. All so. right. Well, well, we'll see what happens. Maybe he will. Listen, I'll you tell up. you, just so you do know, I got maybe 30, 40 minutes in me, buddy. I'm tired. I just okay. want to come on here and do this with you, show that, you know, with all the what have yous and the Zoom meetings that 
my uh, intentions are honorable. That you know, I love the show. I love being on here with you. No, it's good. So, Why are you here? Well, good. I'm glad to have me. Okay. So wh- tell me what are, what is left on the agenda? Well, I'll tell you. you I'll, I'll tell you what's next. I want to. We talk- can do the fun stuff to you. Yeah. Trader Ruski, you still out there? Hey, buddy. <laughs> Still with us, Trader Ruski? I'm, fa- I'm, I'm fading. Oh, he's fading. See, you gave him an idea, Brandon. Now he has an excuse to leave. Trader Ruski, if some, if you if, hypothetically, if you stole nine million dollars, what would be? And you just did. Don't I know you never would do it. You're an honest guy, even if you don't return texts to your friends. But if you stole nine million, what would be your exit plan, little buddy? Oh, I'd probably just have to, you know, set something up where I'm making a few grand a month. Or a few grand, or a few hundred thousand a year off interest. No, but what's your exit strategy? Meaning, like, if you think they're on to you, where do you go with the uh, nine million? Oh, where do I go? Like, oh, you steal nine million, and you're worried. You're hearing some rumblings that that some, you know, John, whatever from some agency, has been led to believe that you're stealing. He's investigating you. You're going to flee. What is your exit strategy? You got the nine million. Where do you go? Probably head to Thailand. I got a friend that lives there. <laughs> that's and, uh, that's I, an exit strategy, folks. That's an exit. They may have extradition for this, though. They got, some places sure. have no extradition. Most places have some kind of extradition. Uh, but some will only do it for major crimes. So some may not do it for financial crimes. You, you have to find, That would be the best is to find a country that won't do it for financial crimes but would do it uh, but isn't like that terrible to live in. Trader Risker, have you been to Thailand before? I haven't. Oh, oh you haven't? I, I, I have been a lot twice. of lady boys there. Uh, that's yeah. You know, I'm sure <laughs> they do. But he was actually out here right before the pandemic happened, um, and he was visiting kind of all his friends in California. He stopped by here. Then it was like the pandemic, and then he ended up going back anyway. I thought it was crazy, but hmm. they're yeah. nuts. When I was last in Thailand, it was in '93, and they were uh, two things happened. They, they they were always trying to get me to agree to uh, take these taxis over to the whorehouses, and and they would start off they would start off trying to offer it for twenty dollars, and I'd say no, and then they think I was negotiating, so they go, okay, how about ten? I go, no, oh, okay, I take you for free because the, the thing is they get paid to bring me there, so they try to get they're trying to double dip there. They just thought I was wise to that. In reality, I just didn't want to go. They just they weren't they just weren't believing I didn't want to go. And fi- I, I finally kept saying, "Look, I just really don't want to go. It's not a matter of money." And, and then they'd give up. And then the next one would pull up and, and, and try to ask me. So mm-hmm. that that happened. And then also, I don't. It could have been Lady Boys too. I don't know. I didn't go that far. Jesus. But but uh, it probably wasn't. It's probably regular women. But anyway, uh, also I think in '93 there were fewer Lady Boys. But and all you wanted to do is go to your hotel in Thailand and play some online poker. Yeah. <laughs> not in '93. Oh, I know. But anyway, in 93, also, uh, what what happened there is that then I was there twice. I was there in 93 and once in 88. Both times I was buying uh, pirated music there because they sold very cheap music that they would, would pirate and then sell. With, it would look just like it. It would have the, the same uh, – like it wasn't just like a knockoff-looking cassette tape. Like the, It looked like you were buying the real uh, albums, but it was sure. – uh, it was it was a knockoff. I was very proud of myself for buying these knockoffs for so cheap. So That's funny. Uh, and then I then going through customs, of course, I had to make sure they didn't find that or it would have been taken from me. So a- anyway, um, here, here's the next here's the next story. Okay, so real fast, Texas Molly must have had his Pieros and is refreshed. 
He just sat right back down at the same 510 table and is in another buy-in, $1,000. So I'll keep you updated. Okay, very good. All right, so another Negranu story. This is not so much about a meltdown, but it's about something that happened to him. Daniel Negranu had his Bank of America account forcefully closed. (laughs) And that's not a surprise. He had his business account shut down. This is what he tweeted on July 8th. FYI for Vegas gamblers using Bank of America. They randomly shut down my business account with no explanation or opportunity for appeal despite no abnormal activity. Looking into gambler-friendly bank, Lexicon Bank, I don't even know what that is, will update. And then he showed a screenshot. Your business checking slash savings account ending in blah, blah, blah will be restricted from use in 21 days and permanently closed 30 days from the date of this notice. After a careful review of your banking of our banking relationship, we've made the decision to close your account above. As a reminder, your deposit account agreement, which you received when you opened your account, allows either you or us to close your account at any time. The decision is final and won't be reconsidered. We're notifying you in advance to give you the opportunity to make banking arrangements at another financial institution. Now, he says no abnormal activity. I don't believe that. I'm not blaming him, but I think I know it probably got it shut down. He probably got money from GG Poker which he represents, and they probably noticed that was a gambling site, and even though he probably received it not for gambling money but for promotional money, they don't care. They just saw he was getting money from a source they don't like and shut him down. This is not uncommon. Bank of America for years has been very gambling hostile, especially online poker or online gambling hostile. So I would strongly recommend against using Bank of America to receive money that you get from online gambling sites. It has been this way for a long time. I'm talking about more than a decade. I've known many people to get their accounts shut down. Now, to explain what shut down means, it doesn't mean that they're going to freeze your funds or take your funds. They can't even do that. What they can do, like they put in that notice, we can close your account at any time, which means you need to come down there and take the money out. That's it. You can't use it anymore, and sometimes you are banned. Now, sometimes they just do it to the account where you can open up another account, and other times you are completely banned from the bank and cannot continue. So what happened with Negranu is not surprising. I don't believe he was just going about his business like any average citizen would, and he, they just picked on him and shut down his account. He's even admitting it has to do with gambling. He's not directly saying it, but he's saying uh, looking for a gambler-friendly bank. So they didn't just say, oh, Negranu's a gambler, we're shutting down his, his account. It was that it probably was GG Poker. If it wasn't that, it was something else that he received, probably something offshore that they identified as gambling related, and they shut it down. And Bank of America, as I said, they've just been very hostile towards that. They just don't want that type of business, and you have to be careful. I've known many poker players who've had their accounts shut down, especially online poker players hasn't happened to me but i've known others this has happened to so watch out when using bank of america for that purpose i've known people who actually got banned where they weren't able to open accounts there in the future now this lexicon bank he's talking about i don't know what that is but i'll tell you a gambler friendly bank last i heard and that's wells fargo and that's a better choice because it's large and that means that wherever you go in the country you can probably find one or Lexicon Bank, good luck for that. So it's good to have accounts at big banks, even if you hate the big banks. And there's good reasons to hate the big banks. I'm not Anyone who hates the big banks, I understand it. I'm not going to criticize you for that. Wells Fargo has acted very poorly with the 
fake accounts they were opening. It even happened to my mom. Like they've they've done some shitty things for sure, but still, for convenience sake, it is important to have at least one account with a big bank. And and Wells Fargo is both a big bank and gambler gambler friendly. Number one, I've never heard of them closing someone's account for receiving money from gambling sites ever. Number two. They were one of the last banks to allow you to use their credit card and debit card to deposit to poker sites. Uh, Number three, they were one of the last banks to allow people to deposit cash into someone else's account. They don't anymore, but they were one of the last ones to allow it. Basically, they don't give a shit. So that's actually good for gamblers. Because you're not doing anything illegal, but a lot of banks just don't want any part of it. So if you want a bank that just ignores what you're doing and doesn't over-scrutinize all your transactions because uh, some banks don't like the type of business you're doing, even though it's not illegal, then Wells Fargo was and probably still is a good bank to go with for that purpose. So that's what I'd suggest. And that's what I've seen in my experience with the big banks. Uh, Chase is another one who's pretty tough on gamblers. Citibank, uh, they're fairly good as well. uh, If you're going to go with a big bank that's gambler-friendly, I would say Citibank and Wells are the two best choices, and Bank of America and Chase are the two worst choices. Uh, There's others I don't really know much about, like U.S. Bank. I don't know how they feel about it, but Wells and Citi are are the best two for that. So it doesn't surprise me. Uh, Negranu pleading complete ignorance. I don't believe that either. But I'm not saying he did anything wrong. So that's... Uh, it's it's unfortunate this is happening, but not surprising. In fact, had he posted this story 10 years ago, it wouldn't be surprising. That shows you how do long... Do you think they out. knew who he was and targeted him? Or do you no. think that no. they didn't know who he was and it just fell through the cracks? I think it was neither. I, well, I no, actually, I think it may, it may have been automated, so it could have been... But lots of, like, you think if... Like the head, whatever guy sees it, they're going to be like, okay, that's Daniel Grano. I know who he is. Don't do this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe it, it depends if they, if it's like a poker fan who kind of likes him. But, but I, I will say that this was like an automated thing, which was looking for certain transactions they don't want. And they probably found one like from his GG poker uh, payments he was getting. That's my guess. It's got to be something like that. They didn't. That, there's no way they just looked and go, "Oh, Daniel Negron is a gambler. We don't want that here. We're booting him." It's, it wasn't that. Now, I, I would love to know if he got all of his accounts shut down, or if that was his only account. He says his business account, and that would be a little bit weird for them to close his business account but keep his personal account open. But it's possible. Sometimes they just direct it at the account and and not at the person, which is kind of weird because then they can just open up another account. But he he never clarified that. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I actually messaged. I, I responded to his tweet, but Negranu. It's it's interesting. Negranu treats me now like I don't exist. He doesn't bash me. He doesn't block me, and he blocks a lot of people. He's never blocked me. He doesn't ever say anything bad about me, but he will not answer me, and I know why. It's because of stuff we've said about Amanda, and he. Uh, uh, he Was he, it that one time that. we called her at four in the morning over and over, and then we found out that she was tape recorded? See now, now you're making us sound really bad. No, we we called oh, her. Mean, how, would, how is no, that really bad? You, you said call. You said call her. You said we called her over and over. No, we didn't call her. We called her radio show. Well, they weren't answering. Well, that's what I meant. Yeah, okay, we called yes. her radio show. Josh and Mandy. 
It was a great show. Yes, yeah, no, we tried to call her her morning show over and over Actually, to reach them, and we figured out it was voice tracked, and she wasn't really there. It was it was purporting to be live, but it really wasn't. That's what that's I like what happened. Josh, Josh was a good was good people. Uh, he may still be working. Amanda's not there anymore, though. We know that. Okay, so that that happened to Negranu, and the the takeaway here is don't do any transactions with Bank of America gambling related, or you will be sorry. Okay, so and I don't know if it's also like even legal gambling sites they may close your accounts. I did anything poker or gambling related, just do not do through Bank of America. Trust me. Okay, so moving. Well, hold on, hold on. I got uh, Art Vandelay has one big blind. He gets Uh-oh. raised. He's all in. Ace nine versus King Jack. Vandelay has eight nine seven five two floppies ahead. Turn is an ace. Art Vandelay is going to double up. The two big blinds. I don't think that's Art Vandelay now has <laughs> yeah about three big blinds. Yeah, you yeah. never know. All right, sorry, go on. Well, since you're bringing up WSB.com, I will talk uh, about something else. I'm for Art Vandelay. Nick Shulman got a contact from WSB.com that was concerned that uh, he has oh, a gambling that's hilarious. problem. Hilarious, hilarious. They, they were very concerned about Nick Shulman, who, of course, is a, a longtime uh, poker pro and also people really like his color commentary when he appears on those... Uh, streams but uh nick shulman got this message from wsop.com hey nicholas my name <laughs> is vatashma and i'm contacting you regarding your wsop account uh cash us clay on behalf of management of the support department we would like to take this opportunity to thank you for your membership our goal is provide to provide each individual player with an enjoyable gaming experience at WCP.com, we believe that gambling is entertainment, and I hope you're having fun at the table. So, like, so far he's reading this going, okay, like, what's the, what's the point? Why, why are they telling me all this? Then they said, Nicholas, our records show that you are very active and have significantly increased the uh, amount of, of uh, your deposits and wagering at the tables. We respect your individual choices and have no intention to intrude in your life. Well, that's what they're, that's what they're doing here. Uh, our concern is for your well-being. Please send us a short update to confirm that you are content with your deposit and gaming activities and enjoy the service we provide. I thank you in advance for your time and cooperation and assure you that we're here to offer our assistance if needed or, or to answer any additional questions you may have. Best, Vatashma C. Support Department. So the, what happened here is obviously he was depositing a lot of money because he's playing at fairly high limits. Maybe he started off losing, so he had to keep – I have a feeling – Well, no, he might have just deposited you know, 5000 one day, then ten the next week and play WSOP for 30 days. It could be I that, mean, too. Yeah, maybe it was that, or it could have been he was playing cash and lost. Well, and, that's and, and he's here because he's not even he does he's not he doesn't regularly play on the site, so he's obviously here for bracelet events, yes. and that's why he loaded it up. No, but he probably that's wants to play cash by the fluctuation. Like they've never seen that kind of activity before. Well, no, I think, but I think it's more than I think he probably wanted to load a lot more for cash, and and they then they, maybe that's probably what alarmed them. So anyway, this Vatash must see. I have a feeling that this is someone in a foreign country and they don't know who he is. So that's that's what's so funny about this is if, if somebody who actually knew poker was was, was at WSOP.com, a poker site, they would no, know, it's oh. It's to like Pakistan or India. Yeah, so they'd say, oh, wait a minute. Like you you think at least this part of it may be in the U.S., but it's not. it appears like it's not. Like if it was Victor Ramden, they'd be like, oh, hey, Victor. Yeah. How you doing? <laughs> 
But uh, but you get, it? you get the joke. Yes, but but uh, Vatashma C doesn't recognize who he is. So instead of saying, "Oh yeah, Nick Shulman, he he's a, a poker pro, he pro, he plays at high stakes. This is no problem." Instead, like it's Rambo Sami. What up, brother? How you doing? This like, is what was his name again? Rambo Vasani. Yeah. No, yeah. who's no the, the guy that wrote the email? Oh, Vatashma C. This is Vatashma Ram. <laughs> How you doing, Ram Vasami? <laughs> I think it's Vaswani, but Vaswami. I think whatever. Yeah. So. It's funny because they they don't know who he is and they're they're all concerned. Where anybody who know poker go, oh, it's just a high limit player putting money on to play, and that's that's why this is so stupid. Art Vandalay is all in again from the big blind. They're, they're going to write this message to Art Vandalay soon. He has two big blinds again, and he's got to get a call from the small blind. It's like one and a half big blinds more. Is he going to fold it? It's that's Bud Light blind, Bud Light lime, and he calls. Queen 8 versus Ace 10. Of course, the flop is an Ace, and he's going to double up again. Huh. On the guy's drawing dead. The other guy's drawing dead on the turn. Our Vandalay up to 1.5 million in chips with blinds at 80 and 160. So he's got uh, a little less than 10 big blinds. Wow. No. He's actually, right. Sorry. He's actually in a little better shape. Yeah. All right. So, so what did Nick do? Did Nick respond with what he responded? No. At least I didn't see that. But he, he put this in a tweet. That's how I got the whole message. And I just thought it was funny that the guy who does broadcasts for the World Series of Poker, or did, they got rid of him, which is stupid, because I think he criticized something, they didn't like that. It was really lame when they got rid of him, and people got very angry about it. The World Series insisted at the time when they got rid of him that it had nothing to do with that, but it seemed like it did have to do with that. And there was a lot of criticism about it, and people saying he was the best one, why would you get rid of him, this is so crappy. There was a lot of anger about that. But Still, wasn't there some controversy though? Of, like something he did, he insulted someone, or someone perceived he insulted someone. There's something had, behind I it. I thought he just had criticized something about the World Series, not some person. That's what was I that thought. what it was? That's, okay, there's there was, there was something that he ba- he basically got fired. Yes, that was the way it was interpreted. Yes, but was it for being critical? Is that what it was? I think it I was. Remember. I think it was for being critical, and then the World Series denied that was the reason that they just were. Uh, uh, making, Going in a different direction. Yeah, that type of BS. Yeah, the people. That's were very what they angry. say when they fire someone. That, that's the people were very angry about this. But but anyway, like you think a guy who who commentated for the World Series and was a known high limit player for many years that he wouldn't be getting messages like this. That they would be understood. This, this is not a person with a gambling problem. This is a recreational player with a gambling problem. This is a guy who regularly plays these stakes and right now has to do it online instead he gets the responsible gambling message uh, it, it really shows like this i understand outsourcing support but you would think this like how often is this going to come up where they have to send this message i bet they don't have to send this message to too many people so wh- why not have someone in the u.s handling this what so, do you think he went from like depositing zero to how much to get that kind of letter i have a feeling he put in something like fifty thousand or something and, and th- that's why it alarmed them I don't think it was ten or fifteen thousand. I bet it was like fifty or a hundred. Like he may have just showed up at the cage and put a buttload of money in to uh, to play cash comfortably, and then, and then they were alarmed by this. It's even possible maybe he lost the first day and put in more. Whatever it was, it was something that was a lot of money that alarmed them, and they wanted to make sure. So they sent him this form letter to check that he was okay which, of course, is them trying to satisfy the responsible gaming requirement. Now, it is possible that maybe they, like like what Daniel Burrell was saying about the thing with the IP addresses, this might be a requirement that they can't just say, oh, yeah, we know Nick, he's okay, that they're still required to check in with him with this absurd letter. 
it's possible this is a stupid requirement of the state that it doesn't matter if you know the person or not, you've got to check yeah. in with them anyway. So that's that is one sure. thing I will say. That, maybe maybe there's like a threshold. Yeah, like, yeah. That it could be a threshold saying we don't care who it is. You you have to check in on Daniel DeGrani. Are you doing okay, Hi, Mr. Doyle? Yeah. <laughs> this is what what is the guy's name again? Oh, Vatashma C. Yeah. All right. Hi, Mr. Doyle. <laughs> We're just checking in on you. Like, I mean, you're right. They wouldn't even know who he's writing to. It's funny. It's funny. We're not we're not sure how much poker you've played in your life, but uh, we want to make sure that you've set responsible gaming limits and that you're having fun. Give us an update on yeah, how you're doing. Let, oh my let, let us know if if the game of poker has become too much for you. We understand you're new. But you know, you're probably right. That probably is because we don't know all the parameters and the and the responsible gaming requirements that they had to agree to. I mean, I didn't even know about the IP requirement. That I mean, I didn't know that was mandated by the gaming commission. Yeah, there's a lot of stupid things mandated. The first thing I heard about that was mandated was way back in 2013 when I was criticizing Ultimate Poker, that fail site, and uh, I, I was criticizing a bunch of things on 2 Plus 2. And one of the guys who was like the manager of the software department there read it, and uh, so I was saying something like I, – I said something like these are simple things. And, you know, why, why can't they get it right? Uh, you know, if I was working there, I would totally, I said, I'm not saying it would just be me, but so, someone like me could, could do so much of a better job. So then he messages me and says, oh, so we'll, well, do you want to work here? And I said, well, okay, uh, th- th- let's talk about this. So, so I talked to him and like, it, it turned out they were desperately in need of coders, but, uh, as far as someone with any kind of, uh, like they didn't have any managerial spots open of any side, and like you know what, I I don't really want to start up with with coding again in my forties. Like I already did that when I was younger. I was like I could do it, but I I don't want it. like like we just and so then they were looking into something other than that, and then they just uh, uh, it, it didn't happen. They just whatever reason they they either didn't have the position or decided not to go with me, and that was, and that was fine. Then it, was, it turned out to be a fail site and a terrible place to work anyway. So I was actually happy that that's the way it went down, but. Uh, what I found out from him when we had our talk, he says, look, I know you think we're clueless over here, but I got to tell you that there's some things you don't realize. For example, the reason we're not fixing these little bugs that are so fast to fix is because Nevada Gaming requires this tremendous process to approve any code change, even a tiny one. So we can't just say, oh, this is an obvious bug, we're going to fix it. We have to go through a major process, so therefore we don't do it for every bug. We, we do them all at once. And then we submit it so we only have to go through the whole process once because it takes so long and t- t- it takes so much uh, time and energy and, and money to do. And I said, oh, wow, I never knew that before. And I thought, I said, wow, that's idiotic that they don't have some sort of way. Like if they were doing this with any common sense, they would say if you change this many lines of code or fewer, then you don't have to get our approval. Something like that. This way they can fix little bugs without having to get approval every time. So th- this is just where bureaucracy is crushing it. Sure. And, and they're not. Well, you know what the easiest solution would be, like you suggested when we first started talking about this. Somebody from within the poker community, either being uh, or let to be an advice you know, on an advi- like in an advisory role, or actually on the commission, or you know something like you know how they have like the World Series of Poker, the advisory commission that Daniel. What was it even called? Yeah, the it was the, the advisory board. It doesn't something exist anymore. like that where they confer at least because that's you're right. Unless there's an actual poker player. Involved in the process, are never going to get it. Yeah, and, and well, someone had, someone volunteered, and and they were 
they dismissed them. Uh, John Mahaffey, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's I know he is. yeah, okay, I, I figured you probably and from did. the WSOP. Yes, so so John Mahaffey when he went to the gaming commission, he says, "Look, I, I, I know a whole lot about this, and I, I, I write all these articles. Look at all these articles I've written about online poker. You, you can see how much I know. Uh, how about uh, I'd be glad to be part of this process. Just bring me in somehow." And they dismissed him. In fact, they said, well, "Okay, let me at least bring you my suggestions." He did, and they ignored them. So they just don't want to hear from someone who's knowledgeable. It's stupid, but they don't like. They, they just this is a new area they don't know about, it, and they kind of don't want to accept the fact they don't know. They're kind of like they they think it's a lot simpler than it is. It's one of these things where they at the gaming commission they say, "Look, we've been regulating gaming for so long in Vegas. Of, of course, hey, online gaming, whatever. It's the same thing except it's on a computer. That's the way they see it." And then they don't understand. They don't know what they're doing because they it, it's just such a different thing than brick-and-mortar gaming, and yeah. there's, there's certain things you've got to understand, and they don't, and it's clear they don't, and that's where you get a lot of these moronic re- uh, regulations, and and uh, that's... That they can't it's also strange to me that in Atlantic City, or in New Jersey, you have the entire online, several sites, Party Poker, Poker Stars, uh, online casino gaming, where you have, like, you know, the video, even every, you know, slots, video poker, table games, and they won't even bring that to the table here. Yes. You know, in terms of just discussing having that here. Yeah, they won't. For the residents or just people that want to stay in hotels and play it while they're here. And that was uh, that's what makes the real money there, not even the, the poker doesn't make that much. It's, sure, it's, of it's, course. It's, it's the casino games. And and something else about New Jersey that's, that's absurd, though, is that New Jersey actually has a state requirement to charge a dormancy fee when there is a, a time period where someone doesn't play and just has money there, which is terrible. It's not just they're permitted. In Nevada, they're permitted, but they're not required to. Uh, and WSOP.com does charge it, by the way, even though they don't have to in Nevada. But in New Jersey, they actually have to. Every site has to. And I, and I, I don't know for sure, but I, I think I know how that happened. Because you'd wonder, why would a, a site, why would a state ever say, you have to charge this person a dormancy fee. Why, why would the state care and make that happen? It's one thing to allow it, but why would they require I remember, it? Didn't people start calling the fraud show when they were getting those emails a couple of years ago? Well, they did, but the question is why would the state mandate that they do it? And I think I know why. I, I think I know why from my knowledge of the telephone industry and how it happened there. And that is what happens is that the casinos went to the – uh, gaming commission in New Jersey, and they said, "Look, we don't want to have to maintain these accounts for eternity. You know, someone puts a few bucks on there, uh, quits playing, and they just leave it there, and we have to manage the account forever at our own expense. That's not fair to us. So, what do we do about this? When can we? When can we confiscate it? When can we tr- start charging? Well, what's, them? It, what's the expense? Well, I'll get to that in a second. So they, right. so they, so they say, we we don't want to have to do this. Let us charge them, and then." The, the state says back, well, what we're worried about is if we let you charge them, you can start slapping on outrageous fees. Like well, you could start charging them $1,000 a year and, and confiscate any money under $1,000. So so no. And then the, the uh, casino say back, well, wait a minute. Why don't you just make it a mandated charge? So this way everybody has to charge the same thing under all circumstances. And the state goes, wow, good idea. Let's come up with a reasonable mandated charge. That everybody has to charge under all circumstances. Uh, how about five dollars per month after nine months, whatever it is? Okay, sure, that sounds reasonable. Okay, that's now the law. Well, what they miss in this whole thing is that 
just because it, you you can set the rate without mandating that it has to be done, and that's that's the idiotic thing there is that they're not making it optional. That's the well, there's two idiotic things. That's idiotic thing number one is they're not making it optional. They can come up with a reasonable rate that everybody agrees to without making it mandatory. But the second problem is that there shouldn't be this charge because there isn't an expense. You asked how much, how how could it cost them any money? The answer is. They don't. It doesn't cost them money. It's negligible because a computer does it. It, it does not require human beings to, to do this. And it, it costs money to maintain all the accounts together, but to have one additional account doesn't cost them uh, anything. It, it's basically negligible. It's part of the cost of doing business. It's like, it's like a, a place saying, wait a minute, um, our, casino, our casino has to have bathrooms but what do we do about the fact that someone may come into our casino and use the bathroom without gambling here or spending any money? What do we do about that, huh? And uh, yes, and then the answer is nothing. Yes, there will be a small percentage of people that use your bathroom that never spend any money there, but that's part of the cost of doing business. Same thing with, with maintaining accounts. What, what does that sound I'm hearing in the background? Hearing like a... I don't know. It's not on me. Maybe it's Trader Risky sleeping. Trader Risky, are you sleeping? It is Trader Risky sleeping. Is he still connected? He's connected. It's actually Trader Risky snoring. I heard... Like, it's not me. No, I know it's not. It's Trader, Trader Risky, are you snoring? He's out. It's out like a light. Yeah, I'm sleeping. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> okay, Trader Risky, thank you for being on tonight, and uh, I will talk to you next week. All right, I'll talk to you later, Druff. <laughs> All right, so just me and you, Brandon. So yeah, that's uh, so that happened to Nick Shulman, and uh, I, I, they may have to do it. It may just be another moronic state regulation, and it's the problem. Bureaucracy rarely makes sense. It's something that seeks to make sense, but usually doesn't. Usually, it, it's something that. Uh, it's too rigid and lacks the ability to adjust things for common sense purposes and then for that reason becomes very difficult to deal with. Like the whole purpose of it being – bureaucracy is meant to be standard and simple and straightforward and it becomes anything but. That's that's always been the problem with bureaucracy everywhere, not just with, uh, with, with gambling commissions. So, OK. Let me move on to another topic here. The Palazzo has announced that – they are not going to allow people to stay in the hotel on the weekdays anymore, that there just isn't enough demand, and that the hotel is only going to be open weekends from now on. So this is what is going on with that. The casino is not closed. The Whatever restaurants that they have open there are not closed. Basically, everything's open there seven days a week except the hotel. They're closing the hotel tower Monday through Thursday. The Venetian, which is connected to it, is fully open seven days a week. It's only the Palazzo. They decided they just don't need that much space for hotel rooms during the week, which says a lot. It's, It's telling you how busy Vegas has been that during the week they're actually closing the towers of the Palazzo. Monday through Thursday, you absolutely cannot book a room there. The entire tower is going to be closed. And that's... Uh, Sunday through Thursday. Sunday through Thursday, right. Uh, that's that's uh, 
So there's only it's a ghost. I mean, I could I, I can tell you it's a ghost town here yeah. during the week. It's really bad. Yeah. So that's uh, that's a uh, not a good sign. And that's it's a big cost cutting measure because it costs a lot of money. Unlike maintaining a, a poker account, uh, to maintain a whole hotel tower, it, it costs a lot of money in a lot of different ways. It, it's much cheaper to close the whole thing, even if you have to reopen it every Friday. So that's that's what they decided to do, and they they just are pushing everybody over to the Venetian, and the, the two are very similar. So people aren't gonna, really losing that much. The Palazzo's newer, but. The, the two have a lot of similarities in the way the rooms look. So, you know, they, they figure... And the Palazzo is also much smaller. Yeah. It's not as big. Yeah. The so. casino's not even close to as big. Casino's maybe half the size, maybe even a third. What would you say? I mean, you've been in both. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've never compared them. I know it's smaller, and that and that's remaining open, but I, I've, I've not... Uh, I, I mean, ha- you can get from one side of the Palazzo to the to the... You know, one side to the other in a minute, minute and a half. It takes a good five minutes. At the, I mean, the Venetians. I, you know, I'll look it up. I'm sure the square feet's on the website, but it's it's it, there's yeah. a big difference. I'd, I'd love to be able to go and take a look, but I, I don't think I'll be able to do that again. Very take a look at what at the Palazzo or the Venetian. Oh, I, for, uh, I forgot. Band. That. Yeah, that's, Sorry, that sucks. Please. It's uh, it's one of these like. It, 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 it's it's kind of like the finality of the whole thing that sucks because like I just think I just can't go in again. I'm just banned forever. Maybe one day I can get it reversed, but like, have you even talked to anyone recently? I, I have not. I, I, no, I I have not. But I maybe I should give it a shot. Uh, I, I will eventually give it a shot. Well, they're desperate now for people. Yeah, maybe that that's, that's maybe now I should strike while the iron's hot. But it's it's kind of the finality. Like I just know I won't do it again. Like. You know what was really depressing was two years ago when I had these problems and uh, the psychological problems, and I thought I would never be able to fly again. And I'd see like things like Hawaii on TV, and I'd go, "Oh, I can't ever be there again. I can never go again in my life because I, I won't be able to get on a plane like this." And and the, all these places that weren't drivable from where I am, I was thinking I'm just never going to see these places again. I'll never be able to go again. And it was really depressing. And once I got out of that, then I thought, oh, great, okay, I actually can. I, I didn't expect that. But it's kind of like the, the Venetian. I just I hear the Venetian being named. I go, oh, I can't ever go in there again. That sucks. It's, like, it's not that I have to go in. It would be much worse to be banned from a Caesars property or from an MGM property, but like much, much, much worse. But still, it just kind of sucks. It's like if I was banned from some shithole, then I wouldn't care. And I, I am banned from some shitholes. But the Venetian, I'd really like to be back there. Not right now, but I would like to be back there. That, that would suck, though, if I like I, if I get to them and they go, "Yeah, you know what? We're having a lot of trouble. Look, come out this weekend. All all's forgiven." And I'm like, "Oh no." <laughs> okay, so well, I got about ten more minutes in me, buddy, and okay, I, well, I'm going to have to go. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's, let's see. Let's see. These we'll, hours are killing me. Okay, well, we'll go on next year. All right. Thank you. Next. Oh, and by the way, they're forehanded in the seven, 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 what have you. Listen, Art Vandalay has never had more than. Five, six at the most big blinds, and he is—he's in fourth place at the four, but he's still there, so yeah, hanging in there. I, I thought he was going to be out ninth. I'm surprised. Yeah, so up. did I. He was dead last in chips, and he's fourth. Okay, so commerce. Speaking of them, commerce and other card rooms are very angry about the Indian casino situation. That the Indian casinos can decide to do what they want regarding staying open, and commerce and the others, which are not Indian have to do what Governor Gavin Newsom says, which right now is 
they can't be open. So commerce is closed. The bike is closed. But other casinos that are Indian casinos are allowed to be open. So commerce and the other casinos are complaining that the state actually does have the right to shut them down, which I didn't think was true. I always thought that this is considered sovereign land and that they can do what they want. I know if there's any player issue, the player absolutely can't sue them. They have no recourse. They can sue them in the, their own tribal court, but good luck with that. I always thought that this, you, you just screwed and that basically they can do what they want. Culinary. Yeah, culinary, exactly. They, they, they can, culinary. They can, they, there's no culinary union there either. They can do what they want. And I, I figured that if they want to stay open, they can stay open. Well, the California card rooms uh, got together. They're part of the California Gaming Association. And they wrote a letter to the governor demanding he take action and force them to close as well. They pointed to Section 12.1 of the gaming contract or compact between the tribes and the state, which says... The tribes shall not conduct Class 3 gaming in a manner that endangers the public health, safety, or welfare. So they're claiming that operating when there's uh, a high incidence of the coronavirus in the state, as there is right now, that that endangers the public health, safety, or welfare, and therefore continuing to operate puts them in violation and they should close. Now, I will... Hold on, I'm sorry, I got bad news. He's gone? Yeah, fourth. Hell of an effort, Vandalay. Good job. Our Vandalay takes fourth. There's still not a repeat bracelet winner. Takes fourth for 54,948. Had a bad day's work. So I, I agree. I agree that the card rooms have to uh, – should ha- they should all be under the same rules. I, I really hate all the power that the Indian casinos are given to do what they want, to screw customers, to ignore state the, what the state wants. That they just exist like they're they're the strong arm in many cases of customers. Yes, I've heard a lot of reports. I don't go to Indian casinos. I I don't seriously. Even me, I don't need to. I'm in Vegas, but even another. I was in Palm Springs a a little while back. They have Indian casinos. I don't. I don't want no problems, Jeff. Yeah, I don't either. So I I got I got got detained at one uh, not too long ago. Jesus. So uh, really? Yes. They they I I I went to go kind of free play thing. I went to go run free play, and they accused me of of multi of multi carding. And they, and they surrounded me, and then fortunately the place they took me to wasn't a back room. They took me to a, a center a center of the casino security area, which is out in plain sight, which I was much happier to see. But the problem is I had Benjamin's mom and Benjamin in the car waiting for me, thinking I'm just going to run free play for 10 minutes and come back out. And what if I didn't come out for hours? I was like, oh, no. Anyway, I, uh, wow. I, I I had to be very passive there because, number one, I knew they could have detained me for a long time if they wanted to be paying the ass, and I had no rights there. So I had to really just I, – I took an interesting posture there because I, I, I didn't want to act scared or too passive, but I also didn't want to give them any reason to detain me. So I was, uh, I was kind of like semi-standing up for myself, but also being, like backing down on anything that they wanted me to do. Like they, they, they demanded I take a fingerprint, which normally I'd give them a big f- middle finger. I took the finger. I let them do the fingerprint. 
Um, they, they, so what what was the end result? Did the, they convict you? No, the end, the, end, of... the, end, the end result is they they had me sign a paper that I won't come back there, which again normally I wouldn't do, but uh, but I wasn't going to come back anyway, so I figured I wasn't signing much. So I signed, we're not going to come back there, and I understand it. They took my fingerprint, they took a copy of my license, and uh, they they let me cash out what I had in the ticket, which I was concerned they wouldn't let me do, but they did. And was, how much was it? It was only two hundred twenty five dollars, but still. And then and then. Uh, and then I left. So you're 86 from there too. Yes, I'm 86. But but I was happy. Why I, do you think they inadvert or, or incorrectly, erroneously thought you were uh, multi-accounting cards? Because I was with a group of people when we established the cards, and they must have been. But, but that's it. Yeah. I mean, there's no. Yeah. But that's it. Do you know the group of people? Yeah. But I, they they probably went back and pulled video of us and saw we were. That, were you up to no good at any way at all? I mean, was it really that? Odd? Were you honestly just running free? You don't have to talk about it, but there, there was there, there may or may not have been some advantage play going on. Yeah, okay, that's that's okay. what I'm getting. At. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, did you think the Indian? Did you see a, the people that questioned you and detained you? Were any of them actual native Indians, or were they just regular? Employees I think they, that, I think they were. I think they were. I don't know for they, sure. Did they look Indian? Sort of. Yeah. I couldn't tell you. It could have been someone who they was Hispanic and looked like that, but they were, were they uh, polite to you at all times. And the, they, in the they were they were mostly polite. It wasn't a terrible interaction. It, it's the, 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 the thing I didn't like is the demanding. I do things that I, I shouldn't have to do, like give a fingerprint or sign papers or. Like, well, listen, they, it could have been worse. It could have told you to blow Chief Navajo. Or, I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying. They, I, 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 I would have considered it to get back in the car because my family was waiting there and they didn't know what was happening to me. So, do you think that the the Indians mistreat then the casinos mistreat uh, the Americans because of what we did to them? Do you they, think there's any be. correlation or no? They might say we're going to get back at Whitey any way we can. So they uh, a, this, no, this honest God, why do I hear so many horror stories in the, in, with casinos? And it always involves Indians. Oh no, casinos. because they because they have I'm no because be nobody's racist. regulating. Listen, them. I'm I'm just being honest. No, I, I've said it be, before. It's because there's, there's no regulation. That's why they can do what they want in Nevada. If they in Nevada, well, okay, so what happened if they beat? Like, say they actually physically harmed you. Then what would be your recourse? None. I I, I could only I, okay. I I could if I, I could sue the person individually who beat me. I could not sue them. I could not sue the casino. I could. Sue so what the, happens if, if if one of the guy one of the employees lost her temper and murdered you? Like, that, what, then, then they could they could arrest him, but uh, I. But, I but, I'm saying when does when does local? I've always not understood this. When does local law enforcement actually have uh, jurisdiction and anything that goes on inside there? Uh, for most things, their own tribe has the jurisdiction. Uh, I, I believe that there's there, like for something like murder, obviously they can't just do that and say, okay, well it's our own tribe to deal with it. I'm not sure where the, the where the line is, but I know anything that just happens there. Uh, that that's just where they yeah, screw like, you somewhere. They don't have a prison system, so what? Like, no, they do. They, they yes, they can put you in jail. Yes, they they have jails over there. Yeah. No, but okay. What I'm saying is, say one of their own commits a crime and they get convicted. They don't. I mean, do they incarcerate? You're saying the not, Indian reservations they incarcerate? I'm not sure how that part works. That okay, part. Yeah, you know. what I'm saying, yeah. right? Like if. Yeah, I don't know about that part. I know okay. that if I were to want to sue them, I'd have to sue them in their own tribal no court. No offense. Why would you even go and like do any of that for like a couple hundred dollars? Well, no, that's that what, no I was passing it. through there, but but like I, I actually after that I decided I'm not going to anymore. That was actually There's the, no point. That was the like, turning point. For that minimal money and the risk of that's why I don't I don't want to do it anymore. I, I said, don't ever fuck with I those said, places. Right, I don't want to mess with them because like because if I go, I'm not going to play. You know, it's either going to be something that's a, you know. 
an advantage game or something where I think I have an edge, and all that can lead to is me. You know what I mean? It doesn't. Well, the, like yeah. the last, by comparison, the last time in Nevada, I had a problem. Uh, I got surrounded by security guards, and, and I was. They said, "Can we have your ID?" And I said, "No." And they said, "Why don't you want to show ID?" I said, "Because it's my right not to, but I'll be glad to leave if uh, if you'd like me to leave now." And then they gave me the trespass act and, and told me I can't come back and walked me out, and that was that. And and uh, now Wait, did you ever did you ever disclose what casino that was or no? No. I, oh, okay. I, no, I is it you. one of the big ones? No, well, I can okay, tell you I don't what it is. Oh, so, so okay, I get it. I it was, it was a long time. It was actually a while ago. It wasn't any time recently. Yeah, but, but you know the thing you got to be careful with, with with that is now you know even if it's a small little shitty casino, you never know who's going to merge, who's going to buy what, who's sharing information. You know the city's getting too small, too corporate that you don't even want to be on anyone's radar when it comes to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Unless it's worth it. I mean, you know, if it, whatever. Dollar amount maybe be in your head be worth the risk. Yeah, I, I, th- I actually thought of that recently. That that because of all the merging, that there can be a problem. Well, like I've told you this before. Say hypothetically, Caesars merges five. You don't think it's likely now, but you know what? Fifteen years ago, nobody thought Harris was going to merge with uh, with Caesars. Nobody thought that MGM was going to merge with Mandalay Bay. You know, it just. Things, you know what I mean? Things just. Yeah, well, I was smart not to give my name because that place, yeah. that place banned me by face only, not by name. They, okay, they didn't. Uh, in fact, I will tell you that this place, uh, because it was a, a lot of years ago, that uh, the last time I had any incident in any place in Nevada, that it was that many years ago. So it was so many years ago now that I'm not even worried about going back there because I don't look the same anymore. They wouldn't recognize me anymore because I was sure. younger then and looked different. So. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's good they didn't record my voice. I sound the exact same. I just don't look the same. I've never been 86th. No. I've had other issues where I, you know. Yeah, I know you got no offered, but. Uh, yeah, I've been no offered several. What that means is just for anyone that's listening, no, no offered, which they actually do a lot. I mean, you can go into the casino, you can do anything you want, you know, play, you stay in the hotel, eat in any restaurant. But no matter how much you play, how much you win, how much you lose, how much action you get, you'll never get a mailer. You know, you'll never get any offers, and you could lose ten thousand dollars, and you couldn't get a bologna sandwich. They're not allowed to comp you. Yep. So you're just like an invisible person that still obviously has to follow the rules, but you'll never get any perk. Uh, you know, whether it's points back playing slots, gifts, you know, anything. You just you're just kind of like an invisible person there. Yeah. So anyway, going back to the thing with uh, the Indian casinos and whether they can stay open, the, this hasn't been decided upon. This is just uh, something the, the gaming association, the California Gaming Association, which again is not a, a government body. This is just a group of the card rooms like Commerce that are not Indian casinos. They they are just demanding the governor do something about this, and the governor has not decided whether he will or not. But uh, they're currently closed, Commerce and the others, which is pissing them off. And I, I don't blame them. I don't blame them for being mad that they have to close when the other ones don't. And that's that's just one of many ways that Indian gaming is, is just not fair, even to the other casinos. I also thought it was BS that places like Commerce can't run real casino games and the Indian casinos can. Why can the Indian casinos run real blackjack and Commerce can't? That's not fair to Commerce. So there's there's a lot but that's of... that's a deal that was already made. I mean, that's just the way it is. That was the... That was the compact that the state made with the tribes. Oh, I know. I'm just, I, it's just unfair. Yeah, I yeah, know it's not fair. Well, you know, welcome to the world. Well, I know. It's, not, well, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's just something they shouldn't have done. It was a mistake from the start. It was a big mistake. 
Uh, and, and not only that, the, the Indian gaming is not resulting in the elimination of poverty of the tribes like they thought it would. It just uh, it's enriched no, a few. It's causing more addiction. Yeah, it's, it's causing more addiction. And it's, it's enriching a few and, and still leaving everybody else poor. So the whole thing's been a, uh, a failure. You know what? Why? Okay, you know, I've always had a question. It's been years. So maybe it changed, but I don't think it has. Um, I wasn't a bunch of. Indian casinos and Palm Springs, Palm Desert, Rancho Mirage in that area years ago. Nothing like nefarious. I wasn't you know, doing any advanced playing. I was on a vacation there until we go to casinos at night. So why is it in California they have the two rules about craps being allowed? Or I shouldn't say that. Craps wasn't allowed, but, they, but the rule actually says there's not to be any games with dice. So yes. all those casinos in Palm Springs get around that with the – the cards and then with the roulette the rule was no game should include a ball spun this is actually how it's wrote or written in uh you know the agreements the contracts yes. no game should involve a ball spun by a dealer meaning roulette so to get past that they have electronic releases for the ball and everything is the same the betting why what is the point of that so and and then the state knowing, the gaming commission knowing for 15 years how they've gotten around with the loopholes, why don't they change it? Okay, well, that's, what, that, that's, that's, that? that's bureaucracy again. It's, it's once again where they, they, they write out the exact language, and then because it's exact language, any slight deviation from it gets around it. And, and why don't they care? Because it, the California has a very weak gaming commission. They don't care as long as they get their money. That's it. They, they, it, it was dumb in the first place to say – they should either have said no craps, we don't want craps, period, or, or uh, no roulette, we don't want roulette, period, to say, oh, we can't have a, a dealer spinning a ball or we can't have dice. Like a, It's stupid. Card craps is what they do instead of the, the dice. It's it's the same thing. It just makes craps stupid, but it's the same. it becomes the same game. It's, everything is the same. The odds are yes. the exact same. Yes, so that's what's so stupid is you're taking out the most fun element of it, yet the gambling part of it is still the same. I don't, it, that's why I'm asking so you. That's what, I don't so, get so it. So they don't, they, they don't change it. And but yet they don't try to prevent it either. They don't try to say, oh, "Okay, we see they're getting around it. Let's tighten it up." The gaming commission in California, what sucks is you can complain to them, and and nothing happens as long as they're getting the money that they expect to be getting. That's all they care about. And it's it's not like Nevada. They it's it's an incredibly weak commission, especially for uh, for players. Good luck ever complaining to them. That's why there was all the recent controversy. Not super recent anymore, but uh, the controversy last year, which I thought was appropriate, about the whole thing with those player-banked games, which turned into a big farce that players weren't allowed to bank them anymore and these corporations were doing yep, it. And, I remember. And there was all this controversy about this. And the controversy was started because the Indian casinos were attacking them and saying, look, this whole thing's a farce, and, and we're finding ways to... Uh, but I guess what, I'm, what, what I was asking is... Why wouldn't they just ban roulette and ban craps? Why say no game in which a ball is spun by a live human, which then lets them run roulette without a live human? Because, Why is there I, no I game in which there's dice being you know used, and then they just do it with cards? Like, there had to be a logic in why they made the rule, the wording that way. You get what I'm saying? Well, okay. I, 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 it was one of two things. Either that they did intend for these to exist, and they wanted, the state wanted to have plausible deniability and pretend that they were trying to stop existing and they just got around it or they, they it was written by idiots who thought that they were being clever to stop these games 
or or stop them from making a knockoff of uh, like maybe they were afraid to say no craps and then uh, they make craps two with a tiny rule change and claim it's a different game. So maybe they thought they're being clever by saying okay, just no dice. Ha ha ha. What are they going to do now? Oh cards. Oh crap, yeah. we didn't think about cards. Like so so it's it's but And maybe it, when they wrote maybe when they did this there wasn't the technology for an automated roulette game. Yeah, there could have been that too. But right. but what what's it's uh, very the, odd. But, but they don't change it. The thing is that yes, they have the compacts, but the compacts expire and then they could redo it. They just don't care. The the gaming commission doesn't care. That's why this thing persisted in California with these card rooms with the with those player banked games that were being hijacked by corporations with kickbacks and all kinds of shit that should have been illegal. No one did anything about it. People complained to the Gaming Commission. The Gaming Commission never investigated. They never cared. And it took the Indian casinos crying foul about it and, and finding How long do those compacts last before they're, they're uh, renewed? Um, it varies. It's, it's all over the place. I'm not sure how these ones do, the, 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 they, but they're all over the place how long they last. It can sometimes be super long. Sometimes it can be five years. It, 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 but the dumb thing is whenever they come up for renewal, they, they, they rarely address – Problems that have come up, like if I were, so it's just rubber. It's just rubber stamped, and that's yes, it. Yes, it's rubber stamped for the state to make money, and it's so sad because, like, if I were in charge of this whole Indian gaming in California, I would, I would go to. The, I know that the power is in my hands. At the state, like the state doesn't need them; they need the state. The st- if the state just says they can't exist anymore when the compact's over, that's it; they're done. And and then they suffer. The state doesn't suffer. So the state loses a little bit of money, but the state can get by. That the, these places can't. So the state has all the power, and they don't realize it. So the the state, what they should just do is be hard line. They should just say, okay, first of all, this whole thing about you being sovereign land, uh, that's out the window. We're going to have uh, there's going to be a complaint system that you're going to agree to. That if there's any issues with players, that you actually have to uh, allow people to sue you in court outside of your tribe. And here's a system we're going to set up at the state level to do this. You're going to be sued in the nearest court, nearest county court, whatever, and, and you're going to have to answer to things. And they, they set, set up all these things to fix all the bullshit that goes on there, and, and including with fines if they if they commit various violations. There's a lot they could do to clean up Indian gaming and then say to the Indians, okay, if you don't like it, goodbye. If you don't like it, just don't run your casino then. These, we're protecting our citizens. This is what we're doing. If you don't like it, here's a big middle finger. Close down. That's that's the way that's the way we're making it. Accept it or leave it, and they'll accept it because they're not going to say, "Okay, we're going to close down." They're they're going to they'll accept it because they want it to still exist. But the state doesn't care. They collect their their money every year from it. That's all they want, and they don't give a shit about anything else. And it sucks. That's that's the bottom line. So okay, uh, are, are you done with the? Uh, do you want to stick around for the coronavirus, or do you want to? No, you know what? I'm exhausted. I tried to hang in as long as I could to cover the poker stuff. So I'm going to bid you a fond farewell. I'm going to bid a fond farewell to the listeners and thank you for, again, your hospitality and having me on. I had a good time. Yeah, thank you. I didn't know if you'd be on tonight, but uh, in fact, I didn't even know. It's funny, last time I was on, I said, maybe Brandon will come and then you were sleeping the whole way. I think you had a headache and uh, and you didn't appear. This time, I kind of just assume that uh, you weren't going to be here and no. uh, I didn't even say anything and then you were here. So that's good. I, I'll come on. You know, I, You know how it is. I can't commit i can't say every week you know but I'll, i'm enjoying it you no, know good. this has been a lot of fun so when i when i can come on i'll be here all right great I appreciate the hospitality and whatnot and uh thank you all for listening to me and i'll talk with you all soon all have right, a great uh, we all uh, poker all that the good stuff all gone so the rest is just corona stuff it's well let me see it's corona stuff and i think there's one one or two more topics after that yeah it's it's uh just a small topic about an arrest okay. in Lake Tahoe. So, gotcha. 
Okay. Sounds good. Hopefully in next week again. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Good night. All right. Good night, buddy. <laughs> All right. Just me now. I, you know, I just realized, I just realized that I never did an agenda tonight. No wonder we got into everything so fast. I never did an agenda. I did the intro. I never gave you the agenda what I was going to talk about. That's okay. We're, we're far enough in to where I can't do an agenda now without sounding stupid. Okay, let's talk about the coronavirus. Let's talk about the coronavirus. I think if that Art Vandalay guy had lasted longer, if he was still playing, I think Brandon would still be on. All right, so coronavirus topics. Well, I bet I know what you think the first topic is going to be, and you're probably right. It's that there's a lot of new cases everywhere where there's been a big reopening where they didn't previously have a lot of cases. So not New York, because they already had a lot of cases, but we've had a lot of cases in California. We've had a lot of cases in Texas, a lot of cases in Florida, a lot of cases in Georgia, a lot of cases in Arizona, and yes, a lot of cases in Nevada and a few other states as well. And these are places that kind of got away without being hit too bad before. And yeah, it's going up every day. Sometimes it goes a little bit down, but it's because there's some lag in reporting sometimes or unevenness in reporting, depending on which day it is of the week. But in general, every week we're getting more cases, more new cases, that is, than the previous week. And you can't just say that's because of increased testing. It is because legitimately there are more coronavirus infections in these places and that's not very good. That is why California has decided to roll back their reopening in the face of these new high case numbers. So California had just started a real reopening and then they're like, ah, actually, never mind. We're going to scale that back. So in California, you cannot go into a restaurant anymore that didn't exist for very long. It's it's back to where everything has to be outside. Can't go inside a restaurant anymore. I wasn't going to restaurants anyway. It doesn't affect me, but that that is the case in California. And there's no bars. There's a lot of things that have been closed down. You can no longer do in California that you could do for a short time since they had a reopening. California had almost 10,000 new cases yesterday. I believe had over 10,000 new cases the day before. Florida, not quite as bad as it had been last week, but still with over 11,000 new cases yesterday leading the nation. Texas, very similar to California in number of cases, between nine and 10,000. The number of deaths is, uh, well, it's gone up. Number of deaths yesterday in the U.S. was uh, 946 attributed to COVID-19. That's way up from when we were starting to do better before a lot of these places reopened, and the numbers were and after the New York plague had died down somewhat, or died down a lot. So in that period, the deaths were down to like 200 something a day. Now they're getting close to 1,000 again. But remember, in April, we were seeing numbers that were getting close to 3,000 a day and like that for quite some time until they uh, started to go down and were significantly better for a while. The hot spots at the moment 
as I record this here on early July 18th. Florida, California, Texas, Arizona, Georgia, Tennessee, Louisiana, North Carolina, Alabama, South Carolina, and Ohio are the places that are being hit the worst right now. New York, which was once in terrible shape, is doing well. New Jersey's doing well. Uh, Washington is uh, is doing uh, okay. I mean, they're not doing as well as before, but uh, they're still under. There's still fewer than a thousand new cases every day. So some places that had it very badly were are doing uh, better now. Nevada, which was doing well for a while, they had 1,380 new cases. So they're actually on the list too. I, f- I forgot to name them, but Nevada. Remember, they don't have a lot of population. Nevada is not a high population state, and yet they still had uh, 1,380 new cases. The population in Nevada, I think it's like 8 million or something. Let me check. Nevada population is 3 million, not 8 million. I don't know why I said 8 million. Yeah, so 3 million... If you compare that to California, it's less than 10% of the population of California. California has almost 40 million. So that's a big difference. It's a factor of 13. So Nevada is actually worse per capita than California at the moment. So Nevada's having trouble. That's definitely a hot spot. I still believe that these places are going to go through their period of a lot of cases and increased death, and then it's going to get better. It's not going to get all better, but it's going to be like New York. It's going to get significantly better to where there's new cases, but it, it's it's nowhere near as common. New York got so much better. Remember they, when they were having more than a 1,000 deaths a day? Remember when they were having uh, many thousands of cases every day? They're doing so much better now. They have a thousand new cases yesterday, which sounds terrible. But keep in mind, they had 432,000 verified cases total and a thousand yesterday. I know I mentioned this last week. So they, they're they doing much better. Now, only 17 deaths in the whole state yesterday. Compare that to like over a thousand when it was at its worst there. So they're, they're really doing much better. Is it gone? No. But you know, they have a very large population. They have one of the largest in the country. Not larger than California, but they're, uh, uh, I think, the second biggest state population-wise. And they had 1,000 cases, whereas uh, California has almost 10 times that and has a bigger population. So uh, New York is, is doing pretty well. And that's not because of anything Governor Cuomo did. It's because they ha- already had it. And they, I think they have partial herd immunity there, meaning that, uh, yeah, people are still catching it, but uh, it's it's on its way out. It's on its way down. It's 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 getting harder to spread among the population. Where whereas in April it was spreading like crazy. The question is, are we going to be able to? Uh, control the deaths better as time passes? Well, that's one of the many questions. Because so far, the death numbers still are not as bad, even though there's way more cases per day. Like the, yesterday, there were 75,000 verified cases. 
and 946 deaths. Now, I know the deaths are behind the cases because it takes some time to die. Even if you're you're destined to die with it, it's going to take a little time. You're not going to get it and kick the bucket the next day. So, yes, it's a few weeks behind. But I don't even think in a few weeks we're going to be anywhere near those 3,000 a day death numbers that we were seeing in April. The reason for that is they've gotten better at treating it. A second reason for that might be that the disease might be skewing younger. Uh, the older people are getting better at avoiding it. And I think also the younger people are more likely to go out during these reopenings and catch it. And some of them may have taken the attitude of, hey, we're not afraid because we're not old. We're probably not going to die. Now, I still think you should be afraid because of things we've been learning recently, including that this may cause permanent damage to you even if you don't get a terrible case of it. That Who knows? You may even have permanent damage if you're asymptomatic. There's even some suspicion of that. So the last thing you want is to get it, have a mild version, think, okay, sweet, that wasn't very bad, and now I've already gone through it and I'm past it, and then find out that your lungs got damaged. That's not good. I do know that just about every single person that I personally know who had the coronavirus and had symptoms that were very bad has had lung damage. Every single one I know that had bad symptoms now isn't the same as far as uh, exercising or anything like that. They can feel it. Now, they're not struggling to breathe every day, but anything which requires exertion, they notice they can't do as well anymore. So you really want to avoid getting this. And one big reason you want to avoid it is because there's still so much unknown that you don't know what you're dealing with yet. It would be much nicer to have more information and possibly have a decent treatment for it and get it then, than get it now when there is no treatment and the information about it is much less. Like, what if you find out that there's a very high chance that if you get it, it permanently damages your lungs? Well, I think then you'll probably put more effort into not getting it, right? So that's the type of thing we just don't know yet. We know it it does damage lungs. We know a lot of people end up with, with lung damage on it. But there's also rumors that it could damage your heart, can damage your brain. I mean, these are these are major organs it's damaging. And this is one area where it's bad to be younger. Because if, if you're 80 years old and you get some lung damage, okay, that's not good. But let's face it, a lot of things are starting to not work very well at that age. And you don't have that much longer on Earth anyway. So it's one of these things where, well, how many long, how many years am I going to live anyway? Like, it's not as much of a tragedy to have, to start losing, uh, to have your lungs not be perfect anymore when you're 80 than when you're 30. When you're 30, you know, you have all these years ahead of you when you should be healthy, but instead you're going to have lung, lung problems the rest of your life. That really sucks. Because that's not supposed to happen when you're 30. And there's no way out of it. You can't, you can't get it repaired. You're just stuck that way. So that's, permanent lung damage is really bad. And that's, uh, so that's the other thing. It's not just how sick you are when you, you have it. It's that it leaves behind some permanent problems. So you really should try to avoid it as much as possible, especially because of my belief that it passes 
through these communities and then is not nearly as infectious or at least it's not passing around the population as much. So that's why in like in the upcoming months, I'm going to be especially careful in California, knowing that if I'm going to catch the, the coronavirus, the chance of catching it is probably highest now and next month is my guess. I think it's going to be July and August are the two months you're going to be most likely to catch it and maybe September too. So you really got to watch out. There are some mysteries about the coronavirus that uh, are still baffling people, and there's not a lot of explanation for them. There's some guesses, but one of them is that despite how contagious it is, and it is super contagious, there's people who get it and go, what the hell, I was careful with everything and I got it anyway. So despite it being contagious, and much more contagious than something like the flu, somehow people will be in the same house and not get it. And that's not just a fluke. It's actually found that uh, in various studies, and I mentioned this, I think, last week, that like on average 25 to 30% of people in the same house are catching it. And you'd ask, how can that be? How can, how can they share the same house and not catch something that's super contagious? Like I know when, when a common cold goes around in this house, Everybody seems to get it. So how come the coronavirus, which is even more contagious than the common cold, how come that's not going around as much in the same house? And there is some belief that if you have had a lot of colds, that you actually have some built-in immunization to the coronavirus. This is not proven yet, but there is a theory that uh, the more colds you have had, because some colds, not all colds, there's, there's some people who are saying colds are coronaviruses. That's only partially true. Some colds are coronaviruses. A cold is actually a general catch-all term for a bunch of similar viruses as far as symptoms you'll get. But they're viruses which are different from one another. So there are some colds that are coronaviruses. There's also colds that are rhinoviruses. And I think there's one other kind of virus that uh, that it's a cold as well. But they're different viruses, but you just have a similar set of symptoms. So it's all classified as a cold. Similar symptoms, and they also are mild, and they also uh, be you know, they behave in a similar fashion of, of how long they take to show symptoms, how long they last. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, so you just call it a cold. Some of those are a coronavirus. If you've had colds in your life, which I'm sure just about everybody has, in fact, I'm, I'd be shocked if anybody listening to this show has never had a cold, you've probably have had a coronavirus before. I've had a lot of colds, especially since I've had a kid, and he brings colds home. So I know that I've had a number of coronaviruses in my life, and there's some belief that the more coronaviruses you've had prior to this, the better your body will be at fighting this off and the higher chance it is that you're either not going to catch it or you're going to catch it and be asymptomatic. That could be some good news for me. But there's still a lot that's not known. And the more time that passes, the more we will know. So that's why it's just good right now to avoid getting it. 
Now, with that said, I don't blame these states for reopening because they have to. You can't just sit forever and hide from this because there's no end in sight. There's some potential ends to this, but nothing we can count on. So I want to talk a bit about Florida and whether it really is worse than New York because Governor DeSantis there is taking all kinds of heat in the media, mostly because he's a Republican and the, you know, the media loves to attack Republicans. But he took a lot of heat for the reopening that he did in Florida and with how bad it got there. For, for a while, he wasn't getting heat because Florida was doing quite well. If, compared to its population size, they just weren't getting that many cases. But now it looks terrible there. They're the worst state right now. And they're getting uh, a lot of – there's a lot of criticism that's directed at uh, at uh, DeSantis, especially because he has not mandated wearing masks. And uh, there's some that have believed that he's not taking – the coronavirus seriously enough. Now, I won't defend everything he's done, but I will say this. Reopening and having a lot of cases at once isn't necessarily a bad thing. And that's important to think about because if it really is going to run through every population once and then get significantly better, this is just kind of their time. And whenever they were going to open, this is going to happen. Now, maybe there should have been better mask wearing and requirements to wear masks, and maybe that would have slowed it down a bit. There's rumors that they're starting to run out of hospital space in some cities. And that – now, that's not as bad as it sounds because, remember, they built these backup hospitals in a lot of different places. I believe Florida is one of them where they ended up not having to use them, and they closed them. So they, they can always reopen some of these backup hospitals that they had ready to go, or they could uh, – uh, kick out some patients who either had elective surgery or were going to have elective surgery or people who were there recovering that don't really need to be there anymore that normally could stay, but they, they need the beds now. Like there's, there's people they could boot there that aren't really – that's not really important to still have them in the hospital. So the, the number of beds open is not really that accurate of a figure because they can make more space. To give you an analogy, think of your smartphone and think if you fill it all up with a bunch of crap, a lot of pointless videos of things that you really don't want to keep. I'm not talking about like cute videos of your kids that you don't want to ever delete. I'm talking about just like, you know, you're just screwing around, just recording just random stuff. You're walking through the neighborhood. You're like, hey, let's see what it kind of looks like when I walk around the neighborhood and have my phone on recording. You just kind of record things that you have the space to record. If it gives you the notice, hey, you have no more space, you don't go, oh my god, i got to buy a new phone. What you just go do is you go look at your videos and you delete these big long videos that you recorded of, of junk and all of a sudden you've made a lot of space really quickly. It's, it's kind of like that. Just because your phone's almost full doesn't mean you can't easily make space. It's, it's only when you start having to remove things you don't want to remove, that's when you know you're out of space. So similar to these hospitals, there's more space than it appears. But – I will say that uh, Florida, I think that they do need to be more careful. They do need to emphasize and maybe require the mask wearing 
more than uh, they have been. And and maybe they should scale back some of the things that are reopened. But, you know, it does need to run through the population. So if if they end up like New York, where a few months down the line, their case numbers are way down and stay down, then it won't look as bad anymore. But I, I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to see. I'm pretty sure we're going to see it very bad there for the summer. And then towards the end of the summer, it's going to rapidly improve. I think the same thing will be true of California. I also think that they are not as bad as New York was at their peak, even though New York has a had a lower peak case number that was verified per day. The key is verified. Back in April, there were not as many tests available. So that made it look like that there were fewer cases. But look at the death in New York and think about the testing differences, you just can't compare it. So you see these headlines, 15,000 daily cases, a new all-time record by a wide margin in, in the U.S. Oh, Florida, so terrible. Oh, look how much worse they are in New York. Oh, but look, no, you can't compare them to New York because in New York, you simply could not get a test in many cases if you wanted to test back in April. It's just different. There are people who could not get tested that can easily get tested in Florida today. So, of course, Florida is showing more cases. I still think New York was worth. New York was a disaster area. They have about the same population, by the way. New York was a disaster area, much worse than we're seeing Florida right now. So just because Florida has more tested, documented cases does not mean they have actually more cases. It just means they have more cases that they have tested to be cases. So that's a distinction that you should know. Okay. I want to talk about some bad news that has come out about the coronavirus. And that is the belief that it is possible that any immunity you get from the coronavirus, either from having it before or a vaccine that may come out in the future, that any immunity will only last for a few months. Ouch. If that's true, that's going to really dial down the effectiveness of a vaccine, no matter how good. Because if if uh, you can get it again a few months later, what, you're going to have to get a vaccine every few months? And what if it mutates? Then what? Like, There's a lot of different ways that this could just be around forever. They have found that testing people for antibodies a few months after they had it that some did not. Some did not have the antibodies anymore. So there's a belief that the antibodies start to disappear over time and within a few months the level of antibodies is low and that you can get the coronavirus again. You can recatch the coronavirus because the antibodies that fight it off are no longer there in your body and that would make everybody susceptible again. So I'm reading an article here that it said that uh, scientists in the Wanzhou district of China studied 37 people who became infected with the coronavirus and showed symptoms and 37 people who became infected but had asymptomatic. Eight weeks after recovery, antibody levels fell to undetectable levels in 40% of asymptomatic people and 13% of symptomatic people. So it, it does look like that if you didn't get symptoms that the antibodies disappear a lot quicker – if you did have symptoms, then 
it looks like you're going to have the immunity for a while, but still in 13% of the people who had symptoms, the antibodies were gone, or at least undetectable. So that's not good news. People are hoping that it was going to be one of those cases where you get it once and provided you survive, you don't ever get it again. This may look more like the flu and maybe even worse than the flu where this is something persistent that you can get year after year or maybe in some cases you can get it a few months later. There is some realistic possibility that this is something we're going to have to live with forever, that this will be something that's just live with us and it will never go away, at least not in our lifetimes. Look at the flu. Is that gone? Look at the common cold. Is that gone? I mean, these are things we have just had to deal with. Common cold isn't deadly, but it's there. It's it's a, a pain to deal with. The flu can be deadly. The flu is bit deadly for uh, certain groups of people, not really my demographic, but uh, there's groups of people that are susceptible to death from the flu. That We've dealt with that ever since I've been alive. This may be a new thing. This may be just that coronavirus is here to stay. It would suck, but it may be the case. So this starts to make it more important to develop a good treatment rather than a good vaccine. Not that a vaccine is useless. A vaccine would be nice to have, even if it only lasts for a few months. But treatment may be the more important thing to develop now. Treatment, which is effective. I'm talking about a treatment we don't have yet, where you notice you have coronavirus symptoms and you go get this treatment and it greatly holds down the symptoms. For example, there's such a thing as a shingles treatment. When you notice you have shingles, you you can't cure it, but you can get a treatment that will bring it down to where it's much less likely to cause permanent damage in you And also the symptoms will not get as severe. I took that medication when I got shingles 10 years ago, and it helped. It it, uh, made the symptoms go away after a week, except for like the remainder of a rash, which is very light. But the main symptoms of it disappeared after a week. I had a little weird feelings in my nerves around where the, the problems were. But that got better too. I didn't have any permanent nerve damage. And that was the main reason I took the medication is that uh, when you get the corona, when we get shingles, you're supposed to jump on it quickly, take the medication, and then it's supposed to hold it back to where it doesn't get that bad and doesn't cause the permanent nerve damage. It's not 100% preventing it, but uh, it, it does a good job for the most part holding it down, especially if you're younger, like I was. So that... Uh, I did not get the worst part of shingles, which is the permanent nerve damage. So uh, if they could come out with something similar for the coronavirus, that if you jump on it quickly, that you could stop it from advancing to both become very bad symptom-wise and also prevent the permanent damage that it can do, that would be a game-changer. Then it wouldn't be that scary anymore. Uh, I am waiting for such a thing. I won't be that worried about the coronavirus if I know there's an effective treatment which works on everyone or almost everyone. 
I know I would be responsible enough to get to the doctor quickly and get the treatment. I know there will be some who don't. There will be some who either don't trust the treatment or some who just are irresponsible or some who just uh, don't feel like doing it or think they can just fight it off themselves. There's some people who believe, oh, I'm healthy. My body will fight it off. There's some people who just believe that their body is better than other people's bodies and they don't get sick or they're, they're, they're not going to have a problem with it. And they, they'll just tough it out and they, they just don't take the medication. And that's stupid. So I would be one of the people taking the medication and I would jump on it quickly. But unfortunately right now, no such thing exists. There are medications that seem to somewhat hold back the death or the really, really, really terrible symptoms that get you near death. They don't totally prevent it, but there are some that have shown some promise in uh, improving those numbers. But uh, nothing treatment-wise that that really holds it back uh, from getting bad. And that's what we need. All right, before I continue with the coronavirus topics, I'm going to take a look at our text messages tonight. I, I read a few before, but let's look at our other text messages and see what people have had to say about our, our topics tonight. From the 505, if you want to see a real reality show, watch Tiger King on Netflix. Yeah, I have. I've watched Tiger King like everybody else. It was interesting. I'll give you that. From the 224, I got a, uh, a picture of a tweet conversation between uh, some randoms and Daniel Negreanu where he answered them, where he wouldn't answer me. Someone named Fishy Football asked him on July 8th, I thought I remember listening to a podcast with you on it where Bank of America already did this to you years ago. And he said, yes, my personal account, now they shut down my business account too. So that's the answer to that question. It looks like he lost his personal account years ago and that now they got his business account. I'm surprised they didn't get his personal account uh his business account more recently. And it's also possible why they killed his accounts because uh, they already killed one of his accounts. Maybe they were scrutinizing him more closely and as soon as he got a GG poker transfer, they're like, up, oh, that Negranu's up to his old poker tricks again. He's out of here. It's got to be something like that. Okay, so I've got a little good news. An Israeli firm claims that it has developed that major treatment that I was just referring to and claims it will neutralize a COVID-19 infection. This would be the game changer I was talking about. The problem is this is just a claim they've made, and it hasn't been verified yet. A lot of times uh, firms that are developing coronavirus treatments or vaccines to potentially be used like to overstate their effectiveness or how well they've been tested to get the attention of those who might want to invest in them. So it is true, though, that an Israeli firm has made this claim. And we will see whether this really pans out to be anything. They claim it actually neutralizes the virus. So this is what they're they're claiming here in Israel. They claim that it's an antibody treatment and that this, these antibodies will neutralize the effect of the coronavirus and uh, that this treatment is very, very effective. 
So they are not releasing this yet. It's still being developed. But they said the development phase of the antibody would neutralize the coronavirus that they have already completed development and that they're currently uh, testing it. They said that they're trying to uh, get this into the acceptance phase of the pharmaceutical companies, which would then allow it to be mass-produced. They claim that they used a few proteins that are actually harmful to the human body, but they have these in such low levels that they do not actually harm the human body, that these are proteins that if they were to give in any kind of uh, decent-sized dose that people could really get harmed, but at very low doses they, they will do very minimal harm and will do much more good. They claim they have already tested these uh, this formula on patients with the coronavirus who were uh, particularly susceptible to having uh, b- very bad effects of it. Presumably, maybe they mean old people or those with uh, bad pre-existing conditions. They s- tweeted, In the past two days, the Israel Institute uh, for Biological Research has completed a groundbreaking scientific development determining an antibody that neutralizes the coronavirus. Three key parameters. The antibody is, is, is a monoclonal, new and refined, and contains an exceptionally low proportion of harmful proteins. Two, the antibody is able to neutralize the coronavirus. And three, the antibody was specifically tested for the, on the aggressive coronavirus. And they uh, are hoping this will be the first real antidote to the coronavirus. Now, I do want to say that even though these articles I'm reading are recently, the stuff I just read you was from early May. So they it's not like they just discovered this. This is now two and a half months old, and even though we're just kind of hearing about it, that they're done with the development phase, uh, we're still not certain that, or even close to certain, that this is really doing what they say. So don't... Don't get too excited when you read these things because then they'll just kind of disappear and fall by the wayside and you go, oh, okay, never mind. And the reason for this is that when it's it's the company who developed it doing the testing, they obviously have a lot of incentive to make the testing look more effective than it really is. They, they, want, they want it to look like that these are well thought of tests and that these are uh, – that they really have – tested in a, a manner that uh, independent agencies would test it, but usually that's not true, or sometimes they'll falsify results. You just never know when it's coming from the company that actually developed it. So that's something to keep in mind. But you can hope. I mean, it's, it is possible that with all the research going on, and there's a good reason there's so much research going on, can you imagine how much money a company would make if they came up with a with an effective treatment to the coronavirus? Can you imagine the gobs of money that would come in? So they're all in kind of a race to come up with something, both vaccine and treatment. And whoever does is going to get handsomely rewarded for it. So it's worth expending the resources to try for a lot of these, uh, these companies developing it. And with so many different companies trying, then the chance of one striking lightning in a bottle 
and coming up with something that works is much higher. They're not all trying the same thing. They're, they're doing different things and eventually one will probably hit on something that's useful. But this is very challenging, so who knows when we'll see it. But don't be shocked if one day you learn that, yeah, they actually have independently tested something, and yes, it actually does uh, sufficiently kill off the coronavirus or hold it back to where it doesn't become a huge problem as long as you jump on it quickly. I wouldn't be that shocked to read about a medication like that that has been found to do that and that it's been tested and that it's safe, etc. So that's our, our big hope at the moment, that something like that could be found, or a vaccine, even if it's one you have to take every three months, could possibly be found, and that would keep people from the coronavirus. Now, I'm seeing idiots post on social media, I'm not going to be vaccinated, there's no way I trust the government to vaccinate me. No, they're not injecting me with anything. It's just so dumb. You definitely want to get injected with something to prevent the coronavirus if it works. If it's if it's crap, then I understand. If, if you don't want to do it right away because you think maybe that it's... Uh, you, you want to see how other people react with it and if they if they really are immune to it and if it's not causing them side effects or problems, yeah, maybe you don't want to be the guinea pig. Even if it's been, quote, tested, maybe you don't want to be the first in the general public to get it. Okay, I understand. But to say you're just not going to take it, you just don't trust vaccines, you think there's some government conspiracy to inject you with something, I mean, that's, that's crazy talk, and all you're doing is making it a lot higher chance you're going to get the virus, which is either going to kill you or might more likely damage you for life. So why do that? This, this is not a hoax. This is not being exaggerated. Uh, is, is it being politicized? Yes. Are numbers sometimes being played around with and exaggerated in some areas to make certain politicians look bad? Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not something that, re- that you should worry about. You really need to worry about it. Okay, before I complete the rest of the topics, I'm going to take a little break here. I will confess something to you. I'm, I'm getting tired. So I I don't know how much longer I can go. I already lost our co-hosts, but I got up. Before I take a break, I'll tell you a little story. I got up uh, at about 11.45 a.m. today, which is usually fine for radio. I mean, it's pretty late now. It's 2.45 now. But I've only been up for 15 hours, and that's not very long. I mean, that's getting close to when a person would usually go to sleep, but the average adult gets, what, like seven hours of sleep, so they're usually up about 17 hours, and I haven't even been up that yet. But I feel like I've been up a lot more than that. I'll tell you why. Uh, I had uh, a very short sleep yesterday, and I, I got up after only a few hours of sleep, like maybe three hours or something. And then I never went back to sleep. Uh, Then I I actually stayed up fairly late. And what I was staying up fairly late doing is I was playing poker. And I actually hadn't played poker in about a week. I just kind of took a break. But I played poker and I was doing well. I was winning. I was having a good session. And the game was very good. I didn't want to quit. But boy, was I getting tired. And I actually fell asleep in the middle of a poker hand. I woke up and saw that I had timed out and I was sitting out and I'm like, oh my God, did I just time out during aces or something? I was really, really scared to look what I had. Turned out I had something like 
four seven offsuit. So I was going to fold anyway. So I, I I I timed out pre-flop on a hand where I would have folded pre-flop anyway. So it didn't cost me any money, thankfully. But I did actually fall asleep while I was playing poker. I had the laptop in my lap. Actually, what I was doing first was I was we had a bunch of dishes here, so I was doing the dishes while playing online poker. And then when I was done with the dishes, I'm like, ah, oh, okay, the dishes are done. Good. I'll sit down on the couch. So I sat down on the couch with the laptop in my lap, and I'm playing Limit Hold'em. And, I, yeah, I fell asleep in the middle of a hand. I, I was tired. I knew I was tired, but the game was so good I didn't want to quit. But I knew I had a sleep deficit. I knew I needed to sleep. But I was doing well, and the game was good, and I didn't want to quit. And then I fell asleep in the middle of a hand. And, uh, anyway, I decided it was time to quit. So... It was only a six-handed game, so Under the Gun came pretty quickly. I got dealt pocket tens, and I said, okay. I shouldn't think this way, but I said, okay, if I win this hand, I'm just going to quit. I may have quit anyway if I lost the hand, but I said, if I win this hand, I'm definitely quitting. So I played the pocket tens. One overcard hit the board like a jack, but didn't hurt me. I won with the pocket tens unassisted, and I said, okay, sit out, closed it, left, and uh, boy, I fell asleep fast. I got in bed and boom, right away fell asleep. So that was at about 3 a.m. And I woke up at about 11.45. So I got more than eight hours of sleep, but not nine. Which sounds like a lot, but I, I had such a sleep deficit from the day before and the day before that that I really needed more. It probably would have been better if I slept like 13 hours or 14 hours. So unfortunately, I'm getting tired now. Because I still have that sleep deficit. And I, I've been feeling that for a while and been kind of fighting it. And if you don't hear it in me, then I'm doing a good job faking it. And I, I kind of think I am. I kind of think I sound normal, even though I am tired. There are times at the end of the show I will sometimes sound tired or worn out, and I really am. But right now, I, I, I can sometimes fake it, and I can be very tired, but I can make myself sound energetic. And, and I am managing to do that right now. But... I don't want to do the show for much longer. In fact, I kind of wish it was already over, but I'm, I'm going to keep my commitment to the agenda. I will. I hope you appreciate that. All righty. Uh, I'm going to take a break, though, try to refresh myself a bit and uh, maybe throw some cold water on my face and get some colder drinks. Cold drinks do a little bit of keeping me awake. Like The problem is I sit here all these hours, my drinks get warm. Which, just water, but it gets warm. So I'm going to take a break here. Eric Benzamokin is a fine gentleman and also a very good attorney who uh, is a very big fan of this show and uh, has donated a lot of hard-earned money to, to this uh, this here show we have. And I appreciate that. And out of that appreciation, I'm going to play an ad for him, which I play most weeks. Not every week. There will be some weeks where there's no Eric Benzamokin ad, but this week will be one where I play it. So I'm going to play it right now, take a break. I will be back soon. We're going to finish up the coronavirus thing, then I've got a topic, and I've got an editorial, which hopefully I have the energy to do because it's something I've wanted to talk about. And then I will shut it down, and hopefully I have the energy to put the damn thing in the archives. But we will see. Here we go. I will be back in a little bit. 
Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your disputes. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, people, I'm back, and I'm going to finish off the coronavirus topics. By the way, I'm going to try to make the new day of the show Friday. Maybe that'll stick, maybe it won't. I don't know. I try I try to stick to a date, and then uh, somehow something happens, and that date doesn't stay. We were on Friday for a while, then Saturday for a while, and then we're on Sunday, and now we're back to Friday. So the final coronavirus topic is about llamas. It is actually about llamas. I didn't think coronavirus and llamas would have anything to do with each other, but they do. Yes, llamas. Those llamas. They may help us with the coronavirus. Again, it has to do with neutralizing the coronavirus. There were antibodies that were found in llamas that could be used to stop the virus. These are called nanobodies. And they could be uh, engineered to fight the coronavirus better than regular antibodies could. They happen to already exist naturally in llamas, camels, and alpacas. And uh, it's because of an unusual genetic mutation that they had. 
and this happened uh, a long time ago. So they they have that weird type of antibody called a nano a nanobody, and it's thought that those could actually be used to fight the coronavirus. Ray Owens, a professor of molecular biology at the University of Oxford, said these nanobodies can block the interaction between the virus and the human cell. They basically neutralize the virus. So they are trying to prevent the virus from latching on to the ACE2 protein that sits outside a lot of the human cells. And there's a belief that the nanobodies can do that. They can get in between the virus and the ACE2 and not allow them into the human cells. And then the virus will just kind of float around the human body and do nothing. Because the the problem is not the virus being in your body. The problem is the virus's spikes. I'm sure you've seen the picture of the coronavirus itself, and it has these little spikes on it. Those spikes look scary and are scary because they attach themselves onto ACE2 and then get into the human cells and cause all the problems. So if they can never get in there, then the problems you face from the coronavirus uh, will be will not come to pass. There is some belief that the reason kids are not typically very symptomatic or symptomatic at all with the coronavirus, even when they catch it, is because they have uh, there's there's less ACE2 in their body. Those ACE2 receptors are just far less of them than adults have. And there's also some belief that the virus just has a harder time attaching itself to the cells of children. So even if the virus is in the children, it it just really can't do anything that harmful to most of them. So that's one belief, because it couldn't be about an immune system. Children have a worse immune system than adults do. Healthy adults have a better immune system by a wide margin than kids do. So that's the weird thing about the coronavirus, which is actually found to be the case with most coronaviruses, that it hits adults far worse than kids. And usually, deadly diseases will kill the most who are very old or very young. And here, it's the very old, but not the very young. The very young do way better than those who are middle-aged. So that's the thing that is uh, unexpected. And... uh, but it is kind of expected because it's it's a it's kind of a coronavirus feature. So that's uh, this could be something that would prevent this attachment from occurring, and could be a very good treatment. So this the fact that this already occurs naturally in llamas makes it uh, much easier for this to be adapted for human beings. If, if it didn't exist naturally, it would be much tougher to create. Nanobodies have been used before. One has been approved by the FDA as a cancer treatment. The way they develop nanobodies is that they inject 
a harmless version of a pathogen into a llama and wait for the llama to make an immune response. And then they take the nanobodies out and then they have them. However, it's not as simple as that sounds because this is a problem that this is a process that takes months to do. So it's not just you, you inject a llama with a disease and then the same day they create these nanobodies and okay, okay, got nanobodies. Thank you. It, it takes months to do this. The problem is that you get them and then you've got to test them and this is a big process. It would be great if you could get the llama to produce this in one day, but it's not that simple. So they, this is not something that's going to go quick and everybody wants something quickly for the coronavirus. If this, if they were researching nanobodies for something that uh, wasn't of a lot of urgency, then they could take years to do it and nobody would notice. But since the, the coronavirus were just on pins and needles waiting for something that's effective against it, uh, that's the one issue here is that this could take a while. They said that they have a whole collection of different, different sequences with different binding potentials. And uh, they're seeing what they can do as far as using this to fight COVID-19. The initial trial of this failed. They, they had a, uh, they thought they had a nanobody that could work, but it did not attach to the protein tightly enough. I'm talking about the ACE2 protein. And since it wasn't tight enough, the coronavirus was able to slip by it. <laughs> so I guess one way to picture, picture like, like the coronavirus is running up to a cell and it's trying to put its spikes on the cell and you need someone to stand there at the cell blocking it going, uh, 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 you're not getting past me and stand really up close to the cell blocking it so the coronavirus can't sneak past. But if you, if you've got picture now, Someone trying to block the cell who's not even standing all that close to the cell. And the coronavirus is like, okay, well, you can't block me. I'm just going to go around you. So that's, that's basically what was happening. It was not successful. However, they then mutated that uh, area where the nanobody was. They hoped that they would make a, uh, a tighter fit. And they actually succeeded and they actually noticed that uh, with these mutated nanobodies that the coronavirus could not get into human cells. He said they, the, this guy Owens, I quoted before, said they literally can't develop infection. So uh, why aren't we all using this? Well, it's still not ready. There's a lot they still have to do. They have to test it. They have to see if just uh, injecting this into a, uh, a person, just a normal person who has it, if this is going to work, if it's going to prevent it, if it uh, – uh, and also that uh, they have to be careful that uh, – they have to be careful that it doesn't harm anybody, what they're doing here either, that it's safe. So once they get further with this, this could be one of the possible treatments, but it could be something which ultimately is a failure or uh, has a problem for a particular reason and it never sees the light of day. But it would be funny if llamas end up saving the day.
because again, they, they they actually are using the labas to create the nanobodies. I don't believe they could even do it if they didn't have an animal that could actually naturally create them. So we will see. This is not a new story. They discovered this situation in May, but they've gotten further with it to where it's starting to get some attention that maybe this will ultimately be the solution. So we shall see if llamas save the day. There's some good news for you, that maybe llamas will help us, and maybe that uh, when they develop in Israel to neutralize the virus, which is separate from this, maybe that will do something. As I said, we only need one. We only need one if it's effective. It's you know, There's some things in life you have to have the majority of what you try working, such as playing poker. If you play poker and win one out of 20 sessions, you're a big-time loser. But if uh, you're trying to develop a treatment or a vaccine and one out of 20 is very good, then it's been a wild success. So that's the good news. I can't even begin to predict where we're going to be with this in a year. There's so many ways it could go. We could be in a very depressing situation where we've made very little progress. Maybe it's even gotten worse. Maybe people have been reinfected. Maybe all the vaccines and treatments will have failed. Maybe we'll be having to just accept the fact that we're going to have to just live with the danger. Or maybe there will have been a game changer along the way. And something like this, like nanobodies from llamas, will change the whole thing. And it no longer becomes a big deal because we have a great treatment or a very effective vaccine. Things can change real fast if you get something that makes a big difference. And that's often true in medicine. Often in medicine, you can have a, a breakthrough that really takes care of a problem that before seemed impossible to stop. I don't know if I've talked about this before. Eczema, which is a skin condition, which has to do with an immune response, actually. It's basically an erroneous immune response that your uh, body is doing that causes uh, skin issues. Uh, I didn't have eczema until I was in my 30s. And then I had a very mild case of it, which, believe it or not, started because of living in Las Vegas, because it was so dry there. And and that started to cause uh, eczema that I was getting. And uh, it was getting worse and worse each year. So it started in 2005. Then in 06, it got even worse. In 07, it got worse than that. It's just every year, it worsened. And when I would go to the dermatologist, I wasn't getting any satisfaction. I was just getting, uh, I was given creams to try and things, but they, they would do nothing. They would do absolutely nothing. And uh, it was very frustrating. And I was just having to live with the itch and the frustration of eczema. And uh, it, it wasn't nothing, it was nothing visible. It was, uh, it wasn't like on my face or anything, thankfully, or on my arms, but uh it was still something that was very itchy and uncomfortable and, and red, and uh, the area was growing more and more each year. It was actually expanding, and I felt helpless what to do about it. And finally, and I, I was Googling it too, and I wasn't finding anything even on Google, which was like reliably effective. And finally, uh, 
one day I went back to the same dermatologist I had before, which I don't even know why I did because it was uh, nothing he was giving me before was working. And I was doing this very slowly. Like I'd try something, it would totally fail. I'd say, ah, screw this guy, I'm not going back there. And then I, then I wouldn't go again for a while. Like sometimes like more than a year would pass. But uh, I went back and I said, look, everything we've tried fails. And he says, oh, here, I'm going to give you something that's going to work. And I'm thinking, yeah, how, how could he say that? Everything he's given me so far has failed. How can he be so sure? And I said, well, I don't know. You've given me other things that, that haven't worked at all. They haven't even made a dent, a dent in it. He says, oh, no, 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 I, trust me, this one will work. And I'm thinking, well, why didn't he give this to me before? Well, I found out why he didn't give it to me before, because it can be dangerous. It, it, it can make your skin thin. It can, it can cause all kinds of problems if you misuse it. You have to put a very thin layer on. It's something called Elidel. E-L-I-D-E-L. If you Google it, you'll, you can read about it. And it, in fact, at one point, they were stupidly letting people use it on babies, and then they realized that's a big mistake because it's very, very, very strong stuff, and there's uh, some recommendations against using it at all. But I was happy to try something that he was so confident with. So what do you think happened? Do you think the Elidel was a fail like everything else? No. It was the miracle cream I was looking for. Within a week, it completely wiped out the problem that I had for almost 10 years. I got the Elidel in early 2015. I had the problem since 05. And within a week, the whole thing was wiped out. It was all better. The skin looked great. There's no irritation, no redness. Everything that was wrong just reversed within a week. I couldn't believe it. And every once in a while, it would start to come back. And I just put a tiny bit of Elidel on it. Bang, it's gone again. And by the way, this wasn't like a placebo effect because there was like a real redness there. There was a, there was a lot of clear physical signs of what was wrong beyond just the itching. And the whole thing just bang right away. All better. So whenever I hear people have eczema, and if you have eczema, I would suggest trying this. Ask for Elidel. Because everybody I've suggested it to has tried it and has told me the same thing, that it was a miracle and it just worked and just knocked out everything. And if I never got Elidel, I would still have the problem today because nothing else even made a small dent in it. Everything else that was said to work for eczema failed miserably as if I wasn't even putting anything on it. Kind of felt like I'd be helping, but didn't help. But that Elidel, wow, it just completely fixed the problem. In such a short time, I couldn't believe it. And he just didn't give it to me in the first place because they don't like giving that first because it, it can be dangerous, it can cause problems, uh, it can thin your skin, as I was saying. It's, it's not something you want to mess around with. But boy, am I thrilled I tried it. And I, I have it around every once in a while, maybe every maybe once a year. I, I start to feel the very beginnings of the problem returning, and yeah, just put it on. Goodbye, it's gone again. One application, it knocks it back out. So, what if we have something like that for the coronavirus? I know it's very different than eczema, but sometimes you have a game changer that just in, in medicine, where you just have something that completely changes everything. Look, look at antibiotics that came in the early 20th century. A hundred years ago, when we had the last really bad pandemic in this country, 
there was no antibiotics, and that was responsible for a lot of the deaths. Even though you don't take antibiotics for a virus, there were a number of secondary bacterial infections that developed as a result of the virus, and those ended up killing a lot of people. And there was nothing that could be done because there was no antibiotics. But can you think about what life must have been like back then, where you get some kind of bacterial infection, something which today is trivial, and you take antibiotics and it knocks it right out? You couldn't do anything. You're helpless. And some things which were very small today, back then would be very big because you couldn't get them under control. I can't imagine living like that. But look what a game changer that was when that was invented. So we might have that for the coronavirus. Medicine's a hell of a lot more advanced than the time when uh, antibiotics were invented. And there's a lot of money being put into this. A lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort. So we shall see. I have kind of this weird mixture of optimism and pessimism for the coronavirus. Part of me feels like, yeah, it's going to be okay eventually. And we'll look back on this and say, wow, that was a crappy time, but everything's back to normal now. We're, we're great. And then the pessimist side of me looks and says, ah, oh, this is the beginning of a new age of fear of this virus with everything we do. And people dying from it and people getting lung damage from it, people getting heart damage from it. And that's just the new world we're going to live in forever. The carefree world of 2019 is gone forever. I don't know which future we're going to have. All right. So speaking of the coronavirus, this isn't directly a coronavirus topic, but this has to do with it. A man was arrested at the Hard Rock in Lake Tahoe because he refused to wear a mask. Now, it's not quite as bad as it sounds. If you're one of these people who thinks that people should not be forced to wear masks because uh, it's a violation of your rights or whatever, which I don't agree with, by the way. I think that... uh, something that's for public health purposes, you should be forced to do. And that's not a violation of your freedom. That's trying to mandate that people do things to keep everybody else safe. Because remember, wearing the mask is what protects other people from you. It doesn't protect you from them. And you may say, well, I don't need to protect people from me. I know I don't have it. Well, you don't know that for sure. So everybody else walking around thinks they don't have it. And if they're wearing a mask, it will help you not catch it from them. So a 32-year-old from Nevada was arrested in Lake Tahoe at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino because he was refusing to put on a mask and refusing to leave. And that's the important part. He was also refusing to leave. They didn't arrest him just – they didn't arrest him for just not wearing a mask. It's not like they saw a guy with no mask and rushed the cops in there to grab him. That's not what happened. That's the headline that's been going around and it's misleading. What really happened was that casino staff approached him at about 2 a.m. and said, hey, we see that you're not wearing a mask. Please put it on. And he said, no, I don't wear face masks. I don't care about them. I don't care that everyone else has to wear them. I'm not going to wear it. So they said, okay, well, that's the law. You have to wear it, and uh, you're not allowed to be in this casino unless you have a mask on, so you need to leave. And he said, no, no, I don't want to leave. And he's arguing, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't have to wear a mask. 
I am not uh, going to wear a mask, and I'm not going to leave. So they arrested him eventually for trespassing. Not for not wearing a mask directly. It was They arrested him for not wearing a mask and refusing to leave when told to leave because he was not wearing a mask. Now, the Douglas County Sheriff's Office, which is uh, where... It was actually in the city of State Line, which is what Lake Tahoe is north of the California border. The California portion is called South Lake Tahoe, and the part with the casinos in Nevada is called State Line. Some people think State Line is actually on I-15 between LA and Vegas, 40 miles south of Vegas, but that's actually called Prim. It was briefly called State Line, but they changed it because people were confusing it with the State Line that is in Tahoe. But the real State Line is Lake Tahoe. So when you say I'm staying in Lake Tahoe, you're actually staying in State Line, unless you're staying on the California side, which you probably aren't because all the casinos are on the Nevada side. So anyway, Douglas County is the county where uh, State Line's located, where this arrest occurred. On June 25th, they issued this statement. Due to the minor nature of the offense, the potential for negative enforcement encounters and the anticipation of various ways in which the order could be violated, it would be inappropriate for deputies to criminally enforce the governor's directive, that is to wear a mask. Accordingly, the sheriff's office will not be doing so, meaning arresting people for it. So it is true that they, they, they are not arresting people just for not wearing masks. They arrested him for not wearing a mask and then refusing to leave. So that's more of what happened. But still, it's kind of an arrest having to do with a mask. You just have to look more carefully as to what really went on there. The man was from a town I haven't heard of before called uh, Ruhenstroth in Nevada. R-U-H-E-N-S-T-R-O-T-H. Ruhenstroth, Nevada. I have not heard of that. I assume it's... uh, Near Lake Tahoe, I'm Googling it right now as I do this show. And yeah, it's off of 395. Yeah, it's uh, that's funny. I've passed through it. I just never noticed it before. It's on I3, uh, US 395 southeast of uh, Gardnerville, which itself is uh, south. It's kind of like directly east of Lake Tahoe. So you would pass through Ruhenstroth if you're driving between like Mammoth Lakes and Tahoe, which I've done many times. I don't know why I haven't noticed it. I know every other town on the way there. Some reason, some reason I've never seen Ruhenstroth. It must be so small that I haven't seen a sign for it. I know all the other ones. I know... Uh, Colville and Walker, those are in Nevada. I mean, California. Uh, Topaz Lake, which is the first one in Nevada. I actually got banned from a casino in Topaz Lake. Uh, Gardnerville and Minden, of course. I know all those. I just do not know Ruinstroth, but now I do. Okay, time for my editorial. And I do have enough energy to do it. My editorial is about cancel culture. Because this really bothers me. I I know we did a little bit of a similar editorial recently, but 
this editorial is specifically about cancel culture. And I'm sure you know which side I am on in that debate. You've probably heard about the whole Goya thing. Goya is actually a Hispanic food maker. They they make beans. You may have uh, bought uh, garbanzo beans. That's a big thing they sell. That's what I buy from them. I buy a lot of garbanzo beans from Goya. They're actually pretty good. And I was doing that before the controversy. I actually just started buying them this year, but it was before the controversy. It started around April. But anyway, the CEO of Goya had expressed support for Donald Trump. That was his great crime. He didn't say anything racist. He didn't say anything controversial as far as any opinion he had. Just he likes Donald Trump and supports him, basically. I don't have the exact quote, but he he was very pro-Donald Trump. And that was enough to get him canceled. What do I mean? Well, certain people on the left, on social media, decided that there needs to be a boycott of Goya because the CEO likes Trump. That's it. That's all. That's, that's the reason you need to boycott. Boycott Goya. Do not buy their beans. Even though it's a Hispanic-owned company, you'd think that would be something they'd like, but apparently not. Apparently, if you're Hispanic-owned uh, and you're successful, that's a bad thing if you also like Trump. But the objective was to destroy Goya, or at least until they get rid of the CEO and replace him with someone who doesn't like Trump. That, that was the message that they were sending. And they were encouraging everyone to boycott Goya. That got some attention. What interestingly got more attention was that Trump, who was proud of the Goya CEO for number one, liking him, and number two, not backing down, because you know he's not like the, the guy did not issue an apology saying, "Oh, sorry, sorry. You know what? Uh, I actually don't like Trump. He sucks. You know, he stuck. He stuck to his guns." Uh, Trump took a picture sitting at his desk in the Oval Office with a bunch of Goya products on the desk, and he gave a thumbs up. Ivanka Trump, his daughter, also was holding a Goya can in a different picture as if she were advertising it. These two pictures brought out a lot of controversy that the president was using his office to help promote a private company. There are some who say it's illegal to do this, but actually it looks like maybe... Ivanka could have done something illegal, but Trump did not. Uh, that is, uh, Donald Trump did not, from what I could see, because the law that prohibits public officials from doing this does not apply to the president or vice president for some reason. Now, that doesn't mean they should do it, even if they can do it. There's some things you can do that you shouldn't do. I'll agree that this is something he shouldn't have done, but... It's not a huge deal. This kind of looks stupid. But the sad thing is that people, they were more concerned about Trump putting Goya products on his desk and giving a thumbs up. They were more concerned about that, which is trivial and stupid, than they were concerned about the whole attempt to cancel Goya in the first place. Now, what the left has to say about this sounds like it makes sense on the surface. They say, look, we can buy whatever we want. Isn't that what you guys always say capitalism is about? That people can always vote with their wallets. So if we don't like the fact that the CEO supports Trump, we have a right to choose not to buy their products. 
So how can you tell us that we're wrong to not buy their product because he likes Trump? If we choose not to buy his products, then we choose not to buy his products. So what's your issue? How is that cancel culture? How is that suppression of speech? And you might hear that argument and say, they're right. You may hear that argument and say, yeah, exactly. This is just the market forces at work and the market forces are saying, don't like Trump or you're going to get, you're going to lose business. But that's not what's happening. See, if you as an individual decide that you don't like the Goya CEO because he likes Trump and for that reason you don't want to buy their products, you know what? Fine. That's your right to do. I will never tell you how you should spend your money. It is your money. You can spend it the way you want. You can decide which products you want to buy for whatever reason you want. Even if they're bad reasons, even if they're ignoble reasons, as long as it's not illegal or anything, if you just have crappy reasons, like let me give you an example. Let's say uh, there, there's two companies. One is owned by white people and one is owned by black people. Let's say you say, you know what? I don't like black people. I'm going to buy the, the product from the company owned by white people, even though the products are about equal. Uh, is that a crappy reason to buy something? Yes. But should you have the right to spend your money that way? Also, yes, because it's your money. And even if you're making a choice for a stupid reason to choose one company over the other based upon the race of the the ownership, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have the right to do so because it's your money and you have the right to make the decision you want. And that's what the left is saying here. Hey, if we choose not to buy Goya products because we don't like any company with a CEO that supports Trump, then we have the right to do that. And I agree, but here's where I don't agree. I don't agree that there should be an organized or semi-organized attempt to harm a company because the CEO has certain political views. It's one thing to say, I'm individually going to choose not to buy this product because I don't like the CEO's political views. But to get a movement together for everybody to get together and not buy it, to punish him for having certain political views is a different story. And not only are you punishing him uh, monetarily, but you're also making a statement. You're not just quietly doing it. You're doing it and letting everyone know what you're doing. In fact, that's the way you're doing it is by letting everyone know. You're trying to get everyone together on social media to stop buying Goya products, to really, really hit them in the pocketbook and maybe even get the guy fired. Maybe Goya will say, you know what? He's the CEO. We've got to get rid of him. We got to get rid of him, or otherwise the company is going to die because uh, there's so many people not buying our products now because there's a major movement now that we, nobody's going to buy the products as long as there's a CEO here who likes Trump. So we got to get rid of him. So what is the end result? The end result is that the CEO and his company get punished severely by an organized or semi-organized social media mob who don't like Trump. They're punishing him for his political views and mainstream political views. It's it's not like he has some super extreme, racist, crazy, bigoted view and you're punishing him and his company for that. That would be understandable. But he's just saying, hey, I like Trump. Well, you know what? You, you could find 100 million people in the country who like Trump. 
it's a mainstream view. It may not be the majority view, but it's mainstream enough to where there's a healthy portion of the country that has that view to where it's not an outrageous extreme view that violates the norms of society. It's not. It's, it's just a mainstream view. Hey, I happen to like the current sitting president. So even an unpopular president, that's still a mainstream view because there's still a healthy percentage of the company who does, who does like the president. And even if it's not a mainstream view, as long as it's not really, really super extreme and out there to where just about everybody in society would say, no, this is terrible. Other than that, any political view or preference for a politician should not be punished. But the message that is being put out here is that if you are on the wrong political side, we're going to punish you. The only way we're not going to punish you is if you keep your mouth shut. So if you like Trump, you better not say so. You better keep quiet. Do not say it. Do not praise him. Do not let anyone else hear you or see you say this. Or we are going to make sure you suffer. And if you work for a company, they're going to suffer for as long as they're associated with you. You become toxic and poisonous, and we will make sure of it. Not because individually we're all citing this. We're, get to get, we're getting together as a group and recruiting as many people as we can to harm you for having these political views and stating them. You may not state these because we have determined these are the wrong views and you will be punished for doing so. Does that sound like that is something that is healthy for a democracy? To punish someone for stating their political views? Remember, he didn't say anything bigoted or extreme or crazy. Just said, I like Trump. I respect Trump. So why is he being punished? Why is there an organized movement to punish him for this? Also, this is to send a message. This isn't just to punish this one individual in one company. What they're hoping is that everyone will see this and go, oh, okay, well... We don't want to be the next Goya CEO. We don't want to be the next Goya. We've learned we're not going to support Trump in public anymore because we know what happens to us. The cancel mob will get together and ruin our company or will ruin me. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I've learned. I've, I've watched what's happened to him, and I'm not going to let them get me. I'm going to keep quiet. It serves as an example. It's, it's, a, it's an act of... Speech suppression, it's an act of intimidation because they know everybody's going to see it. They know everyone's going to talk about it. And slowly, through this cancel culture that wasn't just aimed at Goya, it's aimed at anyone who says anything that they deem even slightly out of line, where there's a tremendous pressure put on to make everyone disassociate with whoever's making this statement or has these views which are considered not correct at the moment, not politically correct, not correct according to the leftist cancel mob. And that's why a letter was put out signed by 150 different liberal intellectuals who are speaking out against this. So it's not just the right that thinks this is crazy. There's many... Leftists like Noam Chomsky, who never could be accused of being on the right, who signed this letter saying that this is all crazy, that this is suppression of speech, that this is undemocratic, that 
even if the people doing this have noble intentions, that they're doing it wrong. That the way democracy survives is by having healthy debate and allowing the people to decide which side they're on, not by shutting out one side and punishing one side for speaking to where only one side has a voice. And that's what cancel culture is about. Now, the people engaging in cancel culture, do they think they're being evil? Do they think they're being fascists? Do they think that they are suppressing speech? Not really. They think that they're the good guys. What they believe is that they're on the right side of history, that they're the good people, they're the tolerant people, they're the ones who are anti-bigoted people, they're the ones who are anti-racism, they're the ones who are anti-classism, they're the ones who are anti-homophobia, anti-transphobia, that they are standing for tolerance and everything good in the world, and that they are fighting the greedy and bigoted and, and evil people on the other side. And that whatever they must do, they must do because they are standing for good truth and justice. And in order to make that good truth and justice effective and in order for it to take over the country, they must do some things which maybe before they wouldn't have agreed with doing, but now desperate times call for desperate measures. And that includes having to punish people who have the other side's point of view. Because you see, if you are preaching goodness and tolerance and the other side doesn't agree with you, and the other side brings up points which might sound good to people, well, that other side is using nasty trickery to convince people that your side may not be that good. Your side may not be that correct. And maybe your side is not coming up with the right solutions. And you can't have that because you're standing for good and truth and justice and you can't let the other side trick the public into believing that you're not. So what must you do? You must silence the other side so they can't trick anybody. And that makes you good and noble when you silence the other side, doesn't it? This way only your voice can be heard. This way only the good people can be heard and the bad people will be silenced. Isn't that a nice world to live in? Except what if the people who are good, what if the people who are sweet and who are for justice, what if they're wrong? Who made them right? Who made them correct? Who made their side the one that is undeniably 100% in the right? So much that the side that opposes them isn't allowed to speak or is punished for speaking. What if the side that is able to speak is actually the side that is wrong? Or maybe they're partially wrong. But we're not able to hear the opposition. Because the opposition has learned if, if you speak out, you lose your job. If you speak out, you get shamed on social media. If you speak out, bad things will happen to you. So the good people can only be heard. And then all of a sudden, people realize one day that the good people aren't really so good after all. That is how fascism rises. One point of view and one point of view only is allowed. And anything else is considered dangerous. Anything else is considered bad. Anything else is considered misleading. 
and evil ideas which can corrupt people. So you must prevent those from being heard and stick only to the good ideas that are being presented to you by this one side that knows what's best for you and everyone. That is fascism. That's always been fascism. Fascism doesn't mean a strong police force. Fascism doesn't mean long sentences for criminals. No, that's not what fascism is. Fascism is suppression of speech, suppression of ideas, suppression of opinions, suppression of dissent, punishment of those who don't think the way they're told to think. That's what fascism is. Look it up. Fascism doesn't mean right wing. Fascism means a lack of freedom. Fascism means you can't dissent. And that's where we're getting. And you may say, well, wait a minute. The First Amendment only guarantees that you can speak, not that there won't be consequences for speech. As long as the government isn't arresting people for engaging in the wrong kind of speech, then the First Amendment's not being violated. And I say, you're correct. The First Amendment is not being violated here. I'm not accusing anyone of violating the First Amendment. I'm accusing people of suppressing speech. And it is very possible to suppress speech without violating the First Amendment. Let me give you an example. Let's say I see that you're expressing your left-wing point of view and uh, it's bothering me and I want to suppress it. I wouldn't, but let's just say I was. Let's just say I just didn't want you expressing your left-wing politics in public and I was trying to find a way to stop it. And then I found out that you were cheating on your wife. And I said, aha, I know how to stop it. So I go up to you and I say, hey, just want to let you know, you think free speech is so great. Well, um, I'm just going to let you know that I'm, I might happen to exercise my free speech about a certain person I know who cheats on his wife and does it at such and such motel where I happen to have been the other day and taken some pictures. Not saying I'm talking about you. I'm just saying that someone I know cheated on his wife and went to such and such motel and I happen to have taken pictures of it. And since you love free speech so much, uh, Next time you uh, engage in free speech, uh, I think I'll follow your example and I'll engage in free speech too. Have a good day. Well, I think you might be afraid then to keep posting your left-wing points of view because you have a feeling that I might uh, engage in my free speech of uh, posting pictures of you uh, going into a motel with the woman you're cheating on with on your wife. Now, that wouldn't be a violation of your First Amendment rights, but it would be a shitty thing to do, and it would be suppressing your speech, because I would be stopping you from speaking. You'd be afraid to speak, because when you'd speak, there would be a consequence. Now, you may say, well, that's different. That's that's blackmail. Well, okay, let's change it around a little bit. Let's say I say that, uh, let's say you're engaging in uh, left-wing speech. And I say, you know, I heard that uh, your boss, even though he doesn't talk about politics at work, is a right-wing Republican. 
But he doesn't really follow social media. So he doesn't know. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I might have to send him a copy of your most extreme tweets. I'm just going to mail it to him. And just, yeah, let him know. I'm just going to put it out there. You know, stuff you've posted in public. I'm not violating your privacy. But I'm just going to direct it to him. And then let him uh, decide what he wants to do from there. See if he might decide differently about promoting you next time or uh, or laying you off when he has to choose who gets the layoff. So uh, just letting you know that. But uh, you know, if I maybe if I see the tweet stop, I won't uh, won't do that. Uh, that would just be letting your boss know about what you're actually doing about your speech. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's just stating facts. It's just directing a person to things you're posting in public. But I bet you'd be afraid to continue if you cared about that job. And I bet you wouldn't want to continue. It would be suppression of speech. Anything which stops people from ta- from presenting their political or social point of view. Anything that is... Uh, Intimidating them to where they are afraid to do so is suppression of speech. Now, I don't mean being afraid because on their own that uh, maybe what they're going to say is going to be uh, is just not appropriate for society, and that society would reject it, and that therefore they they won't say it. Let's say someone has a really controversial opinion that. 0.5% of the population would like and 99.5% of the population would hate. And you say, you know what? I'm not going to post this because I'm going to make like almost everyone hate me for posting this, so I'm just not going to post it. That's not suppression of speech. That's just uh, understanding that society has certain expectations and that uh, almost everybody reading is going to look at it negatively, so you're just not going to say it. That, that's different. That's not suppression of speech. But that's just someone individually choosing to conform to uh, society standards. That's a totally different matter. But I'm talking about where someone normally would engage in speech, and they know that a healthy portion of the country agrees with them, but they cannot engage in that speech because they know that there will some there are some who will take who will make an effort to harm them for it and make an example of them, and not only harm them but make it clear to everyone else who's watching that this is what happens to those who dare be on the right that they will be harmed for it. And eventually, maybe everyone will be scared, or almost everybody will be scared to ever question anything the left says because, well, they might lose their job or they might be uh, branded a racist and uh, shamed everywhere on social media. And they just, they don't want that. So they'll just be afraid to speak out. They'll be afraid to ever question anything that the cancel mob says because the consequences are just too harsh. That is speech suppression, whatever way you slice it. That's not capitalism. That's not the free market at work. That is an organized effort to put a consequence, a negative consequence upon presenting one's opinion. And that's not the way democracy works. Democracy works by everyone being allowed to state their opinion, 
Nobody gets punished for stating their opinion. And then the people as a whole decide which opinions they agree with and which ones they don't. And then they elect candidates to represent them based upon the candidates and how they feel about those opinions. And that's how democracy takes place. That's what makes democracy work. When you start to suppress certain opinions in the name of preventing hate speech or preventing the uh, bigoted points of views getting out or or furthering systemic racism, when you start preventing people from expressing themselves because your side is right and theirs is wrong, then that's when democracy dies. There should always be dialogue, even from those who are wrong. There are many issues where, yes, there's a clear right and wrong, so that means one side is wrong, but they should still have the right to express it. And then the people should make the decision of what is the clear right and wrong. Not a small group of people, or even a not-so-small group of people, they should not decide what speech is right and what speech is wrong. All speech should be right. And then the public should decide which ones they agree with. That's where democracy come from. And you may, you may say, well, wait a minute. Why, why should we ever give a platform to anything that's hateful or bigoted? And the reason you give a platform is because anyone can call anything hateful or bigoted and therefore silence somebody else. And that's the reason for free speech is if you don't have free speech, someone can always find a reason to say that certain speech shouldn't be heard. Someone can always twist it to sound like certain speech is inappropriate. And that's where the slippery slope comes in regarding preventing free speech. Because you can say anything is racist, anything is bigoted, anything is hateful, anything is harmful. Those are very subjective descriptions. And as you've seen, they have been perverted in recent times to be used basically for anything for which uh, there's disagreement. So the solution is just not to prevent the speech and not to punish speech. And just because you can do it and legally get away with it does not mean it's right. Just because it's not a violation of the First Amendment does not mean it's not speech suppression. It is speech suppression. Cancel culture is speech suppression. And it's wrong. It's very wrong. And I'm appalled at some of the responses I've gotten on social media when I've said this. The most common thing I see is these people are trying to do good and they're trying to get hate. They're trying to prevent hate from having a platform. They're trying to make people understand that hate and bigotry will have a consequence. And my response back is, no, because who are you to determine what is hate and bigotry? And what should have a consequence? You're not the judge of that. You can judge it yourself. You can have your own opinion. But you're not the one to give a consequence to others for it. You can't just determine, I think this is bigoted, and therefore now you're going to suffer. 
You can say, I think this is bigoted and I don't like you. You can say, this is bigoted and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. You can say that because that's just you expressing your opinion. But not, I think this is bigoted, I think this is hateful, and therefore, I'm going to screw your career. I'm going to get you fired. I'm going to make sure nobody ever hires you again. I'm going to make sure others like you don't get to express these opinions ever again or they will see what happens. That's not fighting bigotry or hate. That's fascism. That's speech suppression. I run a forum where people are allowed to come on and insult me. And they do. Go read it. You'll see. I run a forum where people can make fun of me. I run a forum where people can say derogatory things about me. I don't delete the message. I don't ban them. The only people I ban for doing that are the ones who just are there only for that purpose and do it like every day. I've had to, there's very few people, but there's a few people over the years that have been there just to troll me. And every time I make a post, they jump and troll me. Like, it's my own forum. It's not fun to be there when there's someone doing that every single day to me. And then I'll get rid of them. But if, if it's people who just throw in quips or, 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 you know, or, or bash me or insult me when there's something I say they don't like, then fine. I'll sometimes get to dislike them if there's enough of that, but I don't, I don't ban them. I only ban them if I think the whole purpose they're there is to troll me. Then I'm not going to tolerate that on my own site because, because it makes it my, my own site's not fun to be on. But other than that, it, it's very free speech. And I get messages all the time from people saying, I don't know how you can take the stuff on the forum. Why do you let people talk to you that way there? And my answer is free speech. I want people to be themselves. I don't want anyone to feel they have to kiss my ass because I'm the one running the forum. And they don't. You'll see, you'll see by the way they talk to me that they don't feel they have to kiss my ass. They, they talk that way because they know they can. I definitely don't have to allow it. I can throw off wherever I want. It's my forum, but I don't because that's how much free speech is valuable to me. You'll see a lot of leftist political posts on my forum more than you will write political posts. There's, there's a, if you take a look, you'll see more people on the forum posting leftist political messages than ones from the right, for sure. Why is that? Why don't I suppress the opinions of the left? I can do that. It's my forum. Why why don't I ban the people who are leftists from my forum or, or start deleting some of their posts? Why don't I do that? In fact, why don't I just start a right-wing forum where only people from the right are allowed? Maybe not even with a poker focus. Why don't I just start a right-wing forum where I ban anyone from the left? Everyone will agree with me. Sure, we can all have a great time talking about uh, all the politics we agree upon. Why, Why don't I do that? I could. I don't because I don't want it. I'm happy there are people on the left on my forum so we can have actual debate. I'm happy to have it. I don't want an echo chamber. I don't want everybody agreeing. I don't want there to be only one point of view. I want there to be a natural group of people of which some will be on one side, some will be on the other, and some will be in the middle. And that's where you have real discussion. That's where you have a real exchange of ideas. And to suppress one side is basically saying, I don't care about democracy. All I care about 
is forcing my point of view upon others and telling them that I must be right. I feel that way, so I must be 100% right. But you're not. Nobody is. That's the whole reason we have a democracy, because one person is not 100% right. Otherwise, we just designate that one person to make all the decisions, and he'd, we'd have a great country, wouldn't we? Why don't, why don't we just designate a, a king who just knows exactly all the right things to do and say and to solve all the country's ills? And let, just let, let him do it. Let her do it, whoever it is. Why, why don't we do that? Why don't, why don't we just find the, the, the most sensitive, non-bigoted, non-racist, non-sexist, non-hobophobic person? Just put them in charge. Let them solve everything. Make them the king. Let's bring back the monarchy. Like, that's, that's, I think, what some people would want. And that's terrible. We must have an open and free exchange of ideas. And if you try to cop out by saying, no, 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 we're just putting pressure, we're just putting economic pressure, that's how you get things changed. Boycotts have been going on for decades. That's very American. And that's the other thing I wanted to be clear about. Yes, boycotts are American. Yes, boycotts can work. And boycotts have been done before. In fact, they've been done before I was born, long before I was born, and they've been done effectively. However, boycotts usually are a result of something a company does that is not directly related to their product, or that is directly related to their product or their service. I'll give you an example. There is the grape boycott from 1965 to 1970. I don't remember it because I wasn't alive, but I have read about it. The Great Boycott was about the treatment of workers that were in the grape industry and that they were basically not being treated well, being paid very poorly. They had to work very long hours. It was not an easy job. And uh, the industry would not listen to anyone complaining about it. Just tough luck, that's the way it is, and uh, deal with it. So finally, some people who felt this was important got together and organized a campaign. Of course, there was no social media in 1965, but they organized a campaign to boycott grapes until the industry changes. And it took five years. Things weren't as quick back then because of no social media, but it took five years. But the grape boycott was effective enough to actually change working conditions for those in the grape industry. Someone actually brought that up to me recently. They said, look, the, the, that, that, there's the example of, of, of a boycott. That was good. So, so why are you giving a hard time about this Goya thing? We're, we're doing the same thing. The, the CEO is supporting hate and bigotry that Donald Trump re- represents. And much like the grape thing, we're standing up against it and saying, no, as long as you support that, there's going to be a large group of people who won't buy your product. But this is different because this is not about getting a company to change a certain practice. This is not about convincing a company to do something different. This is about speech suppression. This is about punishing someone for having a certain preference regarding a political candidate. This is about punishing someone for their support of the sitting president of the United States, something which you can say at least 100 million people in the United States support as well. So this is not an extreme position that the guy is being punished for or that the company of Goya is being punished for. 
And that's a very, very big difference. Yeah, you can use the boycott forever, whatever you want. You can get anyone to boycott anything. If you want to get a group of people together and get them to boycott something, yeah, it's your right to do so. And I'm not saying that's a violation of the First Amendment because it's not. However, you have to look at why you're boycotting something. If you're boycotting something to get the company to change their practice, that is fine. If you're boycotting something because the company believes something you don't like and, or an executive of the company has expressed support of a candidate or a political position you don't like, then what you're doing is you're punishing speech. You're not giving a consequence to speech. You're punishing speech. You're saying, if you don't agree with me, I'm going to make sure you get punished. I'm not going to just make sure I don't spend my money there. I'm going to encourage others not to spend money there. I'm going to make sure you suffer for not having the same point of view that I do. And that's a big problem. And that is speech suppression. It's especially speech suppression because others will see it. Other CEOs will see it. Other people will see it and say, wait a minute. Look what happened to the Goya CEO. I'm not going to make the same mistake. I won't ever express any kind of right-wing opinion ever again. I won't ever say I support a Republican president ever again. I'm going to keep quiet. Even though it's my right to say so, I'm going to keep quiet because I am afraid that the cancel mob is going to come get me. And that is speech suppression. The whole point is to intimidate people into not coming forward with their right-wing beliefs. And this way, all we hear is from one side. That is the goal. The goal is that the right learns to keep their mouth shut. They're trying to turn the right into a silent minority. They're trying to say to the right, you can't say anything or you're going to suffer. So even though a lot of you people believe the same way, we have decided that only our speech, only our opinions is acceptable. And that if you try to express your points of view, well, you better be prepared to have your career ruined. So maybe it's not worth it. Maybe you better just keep quiet. And that, again, is speech suppression. If you don't believe me, think about it. What was the goal of the Goya boycott? The goal was to punish the company and the CEO for having a certain view. And the goal is to put out to everybody else who might do the same thing, that if you express your viewpoint, even a very mainstream viewpoint, I like the president. That's a mainstream viewpoint. may not be the majority viewpoint, but it's a mainstream viewpoint. And what the message is, if you have that viewpoint, you are going to suffer. The only way democracy can survive, the only way you can have a democracy is if there is open debate without consequence. Speech should only have consequence when it is either very extreme or when it exists in an area where you would expect there to be consequence, such as presenting an opinion to a group that is very unlikely to like that opinion, and that group is what you depend upon for your livelihood. That's a little bit different. I'm talking about from a customer standpoint. So if you're serving a customer base that feels a certain way and you say, hey, guess what? I feel the opposite way. That customer base may get pissed off and stop uh, patronizing you or your product. 
But that's when you have a niche customer base that feels a certain way, not just the general country. Goya beans are not aimed at the left or the right. Goya, their products are aimed at everybody, the entire country. And they're just being told the CEO can't like Trump. The CEO cannot at least express that he likes Trump or he will suffer. Now, I wouldn't have as much problem with this if Goya was specifically marketed and for people with a left-of-center political opinion. Then I would say, wow, that CEO is an idiot. Why would he say he likes Trump when he knows his entire customer base does not like Trump? That would be a different story. But it's not a niche company. It's not a niche market. It's not aimed at people with a certain opinion. So that's where it differs from something like the Dixie Chicks, who basically lost their careers because they did something that was very unpopular. They did and said something that was very unpopular with the country music audience when they bashed George Bush and when they bashed America while performing in London. There, it was a matter of doing something that their narrow audience, that is country music fans, weren't likely to enjoy. They weren't likely to like. And also, they were selling themselves as the product. And that's a big difference from Goya, where the Goya CEO is not selling himself. They're selling food. The Dixie Chicks are selling themselves. And if they make themselves unappealing to those that are buying their albums, then it would make sense people won't buy their albums anymore. But we're not talking about something which is aimed at a niche market or where someone's selling themselves. We're talking about food. We're talking about beans and that people aren't buying them anymore and encouraging everybody else not to buy them in order to send a message, a message that you better keep your mouth closed if you're on the right. And this isn't an isolated incident. This is happening in so many places. Look at how many people have had to apologize or were under pressure to apologize or companies were under pressure to fire people for things that they either are saying currently or in some cases things that they've said decades ago. There was an executive, I think at, uh, I'm forgetting what, some large firm, a vice president there had to resign for something that he said 33 years ago in an interview regarding women in combat. In 1987, he made some statement about women in combat and he was forced to resign over that. Can you believe that? So not only are people getting canceled based upon things they say today, they're getting canceled based upon things they said 30 plus years ago. And they're being judged using 2020 standards based upon things they said very far from 2020. And people are saying that's okay. You have to understand that capitalism is not what's going on here. It's an organized attempt to punish people for speech. And if you don't believe me, think about it. Are those who are expressing right-wing, mainstream right-wing opinions being punished? Are companies being pressured to fire people who are executives that express right-wing views, even very mainstream right-wing views? Do you think people on the right should be afraid to speak their minds, even if they have nothing racist or bigoted to say? Should people on the right be afraid to express their political opinions these days? And do you think they are afraid? Do you think it's a realistic fear that if you're on the right and expressing a, p- a political opinion in public that there are going to be people who get you fired or ruin your career in some way? 
The answer is, of course, yes, that's what's been happening, and it's very bad. And I'm not really seeing it happen much the other way. It seems to be all on one side doing it. And I am a big believer in free speech. I am a big believer in all sides being heard. I would never want a world where the left is not heard. I want the left heard. I want the center heard. I want the right heard. We should not be suppressing opinions. We should not be punishing people for expressing opinions and say, oh, yeah, no, look, you have free speech. You can say what you want. You know, some bad stuff may happen to you. You may get fired. You may have no career, but you can say it. We're not stopping you from saying it. No, people won't say it if they think the consequence isn't worth it. The only reason I can say this stuff is because there's nobody to fire me because I run my own site and I work for myself. That's the only reason I can say these things. Otherwise, I couldn't say it either. Even though I'm not famous or anything, I would worry. If I had a regular job, I would not put out this editorial. I would not post all the stuff I do on social media. I would not post a lot of what I do on Poker Fraud Alert. I'd be very, very careful because I'd be terrified about what would happen to my career. Yet if I were on the left, I would feel free to say everything because I would know I would never get canceled. And the problem is those who think that this is the right thing to do, what they believe is that they are so correct, they are so moral, they are so good that this is just what they have to do to make sure that their opinion is the one that gets through, that their opinion is the one taken seriously, that the world changes around their opinion, and that those evil people on the right don't confuse people into believing otherwise. And that's very dangerous. We should never be forced to only hear one side or pressured to where one side cannot freely state how they feel without consequence. Because then you start to only get one opinion. And then that's how fascism takes place. Fascism, I keep reading all this crap on social media about how we're descending into fascism and they're referring to Trump. They're referring to the right. They don't understand what fascism is. Fascism is not right-wing thinking. Fascism is not right-wing politics. Fascism is not law and order. Fascism is suppression of dissent, suppression of speech. Fascism is where you have to go along with one narrative and if you don't, Bad things will happen to you. And that is starting to happen. But it's not the right who's doing it. And if you still don't agree with me, just think about this. I am just asking that everybody can present their political opinion without consequence. Now, what's wrong with that? What could be possibly wrong with that unless you really feel that the other side should not be heard? And if you think the other side should not be heard, is it because you're so arrogant that you believe that you're so right and you're so good and you're so moral that there's no chance you could be wrong and that nobody should even have the opportunity to hear the other side to determine if you're wrong? Because that would be the only reason that you could believe that the other side shouldn't be heard. So think about that if you support this current cancel culture. And keep in mind that there are many who are on the left who do not support it, who have been speaking out against it, and then they are getting canceled themselves. Look at the letter that was signed by Noam Chomsky and Margaret Atwood and many others. Many on the left signed this and they said they don't like what they're seeing. They're very upset seeing this cancel culture and where 
only one narrow opinion is considered acceptable and anyone else who deviates from it is going to be punished. They hate that. And these are not crazy right-wingers. These are people on the left. And they're frustrated because they've seen what happens when only one opinion is allowed. And they don't like it. These are mostly older people. These are mostly older, wiser liberals who are shaking their heads at those supporting the left wing, the extreme left cancel culture. And it's a, it's a growing group who support it. It's a growing group who believe that we should be suppressing speech as long as the speech is, quote, hateful or the speech is supportive of hateful people, that we just must not hear it. And these older liberals are going, no. No, you don't understand. That's not how it works. That's not how democracy works, and that's very dangerous, and we don't support it. Even though we hate the right and we hate Trump, we don't support it. Everybody should be heard, and the people should decide who is right and who is wrong, and that's all I'm asking for. I'm agreeing with those old liberals who put out that letter, that open letter that now many are being harassed and canceled for themselves. Go take a look at the open letter written by Barry Weiss, who got – who had to resign from the New York Times recently because she was being harassed by people at the Times because she wasn't going along with all of their extreme opinions. And a lot of bad things were said about her and a lot of bad things were being done to her at work and she finally just got sick of it and quit. And she is not on the right either. She's a centrist. She said, it shouldn't take bravery to have a job at a major American newspaper. But you know what, Barry? It does. It does take bravery to be a centrist and have a job at a major major American newspaper like the New York Times, and that's really, really sad. You should be able to be a centrist without having to worry too much about people saying that you're horrible and evil for not going along with their side. So watch what's happening. All I want is everybody to be heard. You don't have to agree. You don't have to go along with it. You just have to listen and be willing to listen and not punish those who are expressing viewpoints you don't like. And you know what? Next time someone expresses a viewpoint you don't like on Facebook, don't block them. You can debate with them. You can say, hey, you're wrong, but do not block them. Why are you blocking people on Facebook? It's your right to block them, but why? Why are you blocking people for expressing political opinions that you don't like? You know how many people I have blocked in my life on Facebook for political reasons, that would be a big zero. Zero people in my life have I blocked or would I ever block for political reasons. I hardly block anyone anyway. I think blocking is stupid. But if I were to block someone, and the few that I have blocked, it's been people like uh, those I've had personal issues with where I don't want them to continue to look at my page and see what's going on with me and watch me interacting with my friends. I'll block those people if we've had like a major personal falling out. That's pretty much all I'll block aside from like bots or spammers or scammers. Other than that, I don't block anybody and especially not for their politics. In fact, there are some people in my life that I like very much despite the fact that we're completely opposite politically. Even Master Scaler, who appears on this show, who's been a very good friend of mine for 30 years, he's very much on the left. And he knows what my politics are. And even though we disagree, we respectfully disagree. And we never hate each other for it. And that's the way it should be with everybody. So down with cancel culture. I will never support that. I will never support 
boycotting or punishing anyone for expressing their point of view, especially if their point of view is very mainstream. It's one thing if you're boycotting something for uh, someone being a, a crazy major racist or white supremacist. You want, you want to boycott them or their company for saying that, fine. But not someone who's expressing a political point of view that a 100 million other people in the country have. That obviously is an extreme, and you're making a big mistake. All right, that's it. We will be back on Friday the 24th. That's our planned next show, Friday the 24th. Around the same time, thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Thank you, Brandon, for being on the show. Pleasant surprise for Brandon to just appear on the show there at around the hour mark. Trader Ruski, thank you to you for being here every week. Always glad to have you with us. We just kind of lost you in the middle of the show, but that's okay. You drink your tea, and then it just ends. <laughs> it ends for you, not for me. I have to continue to the bitter end. Poker Fraud Alert Radio has now been on for getting close to eight and a half years. Not quite eight and a half, but getting close to eight and a half years. And we're not that far from 400 episodes. Benjamin asked me recently how many hours of Poker Fraud Alert Radio I've done. And I haven't counted them. But we have to be getting close to 2,000 hours, which is really crazy. <laughs> and there's people who find the show and go back and listen to them all to the beginning of 2012. They listen to those 2,000 hours. But a lot of the stuff I talk about there is now obsolete and gone and different and no longer of consequence. But they still listen. Whether you listen to the new shows or the old shows or both, I appreciate having you as a listener. And I plan to be on as long as I can be. And you know what? With no World Series and no trips I can take, I guess that makes it more likely that we won't miss shows, though somehow we missed a show anyway. Somehow, despite the fact that I was stuck at home, I couldn't get a show in last week. It's a little bit embarrassing, but that's the way it went, and... I guess I just have to go with it and hope I will be here next week on Friday night, the 24th. That is all for tonight. 775-372-8355. If you'd like to text me in the meantime, I'll be glad to hear from you and probably respond to. Good night and shalom. Shalom.